everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 399, 108 400. I'm the host, Chris Zoner. Joined as always by my co host, David Bix and Span and Bix. We got an interesting show this week, a small show in size of notes, but I'm pretty sure by the end of the show will be uh, nice and meaty at the end. Uh, you're saying nice and meaty after that <laughs> off air discussion we just had? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness gracious yes if only you guys knew but that's why it's off the air so anyway yes we but before we get into the show proper we do have a patreon show to talk about and um somebody else that liked meat is uh, featured in the patreon show although he liked the meat of the ear kind not pig ears well, the human ears he would also uh threaten to eat your children as well Exactly. Yes, on patreon.com slash between the sheets, we talk about Mike Tyson 25 years ago, his road to WrestleMania. And, oh, man, what a show this was as uh, we talk about the uh, beginnings of negotiations, them making a deal with Mike, Mike showed up at the Royal Rumble, talking about Cold Stone, then the big angle at the night after the Rumble. We talk about that. We also talk about um, the big press conference for WrestleMania and uh, at, the at the All-Star Cafe in New York. Then Tyson shooting angle where he joins DX. And then, of course, Tyson turning on Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania and the press conference afterwards where he revealed that it was all a ruse by him and Austin all along, which perked Steve Austin up when they said that with the look on his face like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so a very interesting show. We also have Tyson, uh, the fallout with Don King, and how Shane McMahon was a key figure in, in that situation. And um, how WCW almost got Mike to join up with them, but probably would have been nixed by Turner anyway. I mean, very interesting stuff. And really the thing, the thing on this show to me that stands out is what was the original plans? Because there was a possibility that Mike Tyson was a, may have been originally scheduled to wrestle at WrestleMania. We don't even, we don't know. We we have different we we go different ways on the show, but the Nevada State Athletic Commission played a major part in that and and their attitude towards Mike competing at WrestleMania. So five dollars a month, patreon.com slash twin sheets, issue access to listen to all that and all the other audio that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. So everybody go check that out. It's uh quite the show. And uh next month on Between the Sheets, patreon.com slash between the sheets. If that if Tyson ain't a hook enough for you, we're gonna stay in nineteen ninety eight. And Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff. Oh boy. So uh and Bix has done the notes for that and we pretty much have uh, confirmed that this will be just a one-show deal. So oh, no, we yeah. definitely have. Yeah, surprisingly uh, limiting it from you know basically the beginning through the return in Greenville was able to was able to get it at about thirty pages. So yeah, just one part. So surprising, one part. So one part. So uh, we already have May ready as well in our minds. So uh, yeah, you definitely want to be part of the Patreon. Patreon.com slash between the sheets anything else big before we move on i think that's about it although i'm still reeling from the pre-show discussion <laughs> oh 
may. A fine discussion indeed, I tell you. Good Lord of mercy. All right. Well, we, if we had such a wild pre-show discussion, that means we got one of our favorites on with us. And uh, last time he was on, he was with one of our other favorites, Robert O'Connor. But now he's back with us solo this time. We are joined by our dear friend, the King of Kingsport, Bo James. Bo, welcome back to the show. Hey, I wish O'Connor was with us for that off the air oh. discussion. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> yes, he would have a he would have a field day with that one. I tell you, I got I got to say first of all, congratulations on Big Five Hundred next week. You mean four hundred? Four hundred. Four hundred. We're close. We're, Sorry, we'll, make five, we'll make five hundred. No, we're not quite yeah. in uh, Ian Rotten territory yet. <laughs> Although, unlike so, Ian, uh, we're actually remembering to commemorate the 400th show. Yeah, <laughs> so I've, I've been along for a big part of the ride, so it's always great to be back. Bix, how are you doing? I'm okay. I mean, in between what we're recording right now and then whatever else we record, not tonight, I'll be moving to my new apartment, but thankfully I have most of the packing done, so that shouldn't be too bad. Yes, Bix is... Uh... Moving on up in the world, folks. So, uh, yeah, to the east be, side <laughs> should be interesting. So, uh, there you go. Two way deluxe apartment in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say that. All so, right. Yeah, go ahead, as, as we get ready, as we get ready to start, uh, Chris, tell them, tell them the week that we're doing. And I want to hear from the two of you where you were at in life this week that we're covering. All right, so we we actually you know have a week plus. Uh, we got three extra days because of uh, past shows we've done. So we're doing the week plus that was March 29th through April 7th, 1988. All right, I was uh, eight years old, and I would have been uh, in, in uh, third grade at this point in time, um, just doing kid things, I guess. I would be a toddler, but I'm already actively watching as much wrestling as I oh, can. Oh, and, yes, and already and already got all the scoops. No, not and, then. Yeah, stooging, stooging to the sheets already. Stooging to the sheets already, yes. It's always been difficult for me to date because what, you don't start forming long-term memories until, what, around like two, two and a half? Uh, yeah. maybe. Something like that, right? <laughs> uh, so, like, I know... Because it's the earliest thing I can remember that's, like, specific that I can date. I know I was watching regularly by the time that uh, Islanders kidnapped Matilda a few months earlier. Like, because... I, just because that sticks out in my memory. But I also know that was not the beginning of all that. Like, honestly, probably the earliest thing wrestling-related that I can remember, which would be before that, is... I forget if one was for my birthday and one was for Hanukkah. They were both for my birthday. I think both my parents and someone else got me the uh, Hulk Hogan Hillbilly Jim LJN 2-pack. And because I was a toddler, I refused to let them exchange one of them for something else. <laughs> well, my, my, earliest wrestling, my earliest wrestling memory is that I know of is I remember um, Buzz Sawyer 
screaming like a lunatic in front and then, and then the TV camera getting right in his face and being scared to death. That's, that's my earliest wrestling memory. So that would have been when he was a heel in Georgia in 83. So, yeah. uh, so I would have been four at that time. Well, this week plus that we're covering here on this program, I am just shy of my 14th birthday. I turned 14 in July of 88. I'm two weeks shy of meeting Johnny and Davey Rich, which would lead to my first job in professional wrestling less than six months from what we're talking about today. Thanks to Mr. Ron West and Mr. Bob Polk. So 35, October of this year makes 35 years in the pro wrestling profession. If only you knew then what you know now. <laughs> yeah. If my parents would have known now, then what <laughs> They would have put their best foot forward to make sure you didn't get in the wrestling business. <laughs> they would have used that foot to kick me. <laughs> as long as they were using it to kick you. All right. So yeah. anyway, yes, March 29th, April the 7th, 1988. And one of the reasons why this show is not a big show in note size is because in these days, WWF took, WrestleMania off after WrestleMania took two weeks off. They would send some people to Europe on tour, which we'll have that later on. So there, I mean, this wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on in a lot in a lot of places, but there's some stuff going on still. So let's go to Junk Rock Promotions. The Dusty Rose suspension has been postponed and won't be announced until this weekend's television, and won't go into effect until April 16th, which is to allow Dusty to wrestle in the Boston Guard on April the 15th. There are already cities in which the Midnight Rider is billed as appearing, however. Basically, what this is saying <laughs> is Dusty is such a fucking mar for the Boston Celtics that he has to delay his work suspension so he can wrestle as himself at the Boston Garden, and then he can start a suspension the day after. Amazing. He's, he's fulfilling his contractual obligations, Chris. <laughs> And on that show, he, him and uh, Sting and uh, Luger and Wyndham beat uh, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Ivan Koloff in a steel cage match. So, all right, Bo, this is the suspension coming off of the angle with Magnum TA, where uh, they had Dusty used a baseball bat on Jimmy Crockett. And uh, they do the big deal where they had the, the, the press, not the press conference, but the little meeting of the board of directors and Paul Bosch has his amazing uh, facials and all that stuff. And it's, it, I mean, it's just a silly thing to try and, you know, jazz up the scene and go back to that midnight rider. Well, even though he had never done it in Crockett and it had been five years since he basically has done it, but Dusty was kind of, you know, stale at the time. This is something that could, you know, freshen him up. And, as much as the people in newsletters didn't like it, the fans definitely in the building was into the Midnight Rider. I mean, you watch those TVs. Oh, yeah. And he, and he comes up there on that horse, and the fans are going ape shit crazy. But uh, what, what were your thoughts uh, on all this, on Dusty and the suspension of Midnight Rider? Uh, this is the first time in life that I start to realize, wait a minute. 
They're doing something they've already done before. <laughs> because I read all the magazines. And around this time, also, I'm starting to get tapes, starting to trade tapes. Uh, so I've seen it. And then here it comes. And then I'm like, huh, they did this in Florida, or he did this in Florida. You know, it, it was just something, but it was different. And, and the people were with it. I mean, the people got with the program. Um, it was supposed to be, what, 90 days? And I think it only really lasts like forty some days. I mean, it's it's very quick. Yes, that they that, that they actually do it. It's uh, supposed to last one hundred and twenty days. Okay, but it, it was it was even even that ended short for some. Yeah, reason. he was stri- he uh, April fifteenth was when he was stripped of the title and suspended. So after after the Boston Garden, so you look at that. All right, so. May 15th, 30, June 15th, 60, July 15th, 90. So August 15th, around that general time frame, is when Dusty Rhodes was supposed to return. Um, around the, Like I said, around that general time frame. I would, you know, probably something would have happened at the Great American Bash that could have been maybe a top possible blow-off at the pay-per-view on July 10th. Still not put, you know, anywhere near. Yeah. The Mar, but I'm, the last appearance of the Midnight Rider uh, was uh, May thirteenth, but that was not even Dusty under the hood. That was Italian was, Stallion. Yeah, Stallion. Yeah. Um, Dusty oh Dusty's last appearance as the Rider was allegedly May eleventh in Tallahassee. Hmm. So he didn't last a month. Didn't he? Didn't even do it a month. Because, w- 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 but, but here's here's the here's the thing. Okay, what else happens at Nine Tallahassee? I don't remember. That's Wyndham turning on Luger. Oh yes. Okay. Oh, wait a oh that, no, wait a minute. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, no, that's I already happened. That, happened. that already happened. Yeah, I thought that. Happened that was in Jacksonville. Tal- Jacksonville. That's right. So yeah, that happened okay. in Jacksonville. I. Right. Uh, that was in. April the twentieth. Okay, so that's right after the the Ryder angle started. I mean the suspension, because Ryder was in the ring when all that happened. So, but anyway, yeah. So Tallahassee on May eleventh was uh, the last time he worked as the Ryder, um, and then D- Dusty they shoot the angle four days later in Asheville. Where Wyndham does thing where Dusty never did nothing for him, and that's when Dusty runs out as himself and has the wild brawl with Wyndham. The place, the, fight. Losing their, yep. the place losing their minds. Yeah. Um, so <sighs> who knows where it would have eventually gone? But you could tell a lot of booking in '88 is by is you know by the suit of their pants. Stuff changes, you know. Well, you also have to remember what's going on just weeks after this. They're told you're not getting your money. Yeah, the balloon payments. Yeah. Yeah. And June is when it all fell apart. It started at the taping, I think, in Savannah, and then the meeting in Johnson City. And the TV taping that almost killed the Tri-Cities, one of their best markets still. Um 
so yeah, things are, it's just, they're throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. The writer got over in the three weeks it was on TV and then it's just completely killed off. And yeah. like you said, he comes out as himself and there's no, Hey, you ain't supposed to be here. He, you know, it's just, let's forget about the midnight rider. Yeah. It's just, I, I believe Dusty's just completely burnt at this point in time, but he doesn't want to give it up. But he don't want to give up control, right? And, that, and, and, and and that's a major problem with bookers. Yeah, they 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 get so entrenched with that power that even when they know that it's time for somebody else to take that spot, they just don't want to give it up. And that that's not just Dusty. You know, that's been a problem for many bookers, current, past, present, future. That's, that's just an, an issue you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah, especially very, when you have the egos. Yeah, it's very rarely to find a booker that says, "Okay, I'm gonna. It's time for me to step aside and let somebody else come in, and I can take back over." You know, later on, you're just, you're just not gonna find that, really. Yeah. And, and, and here's the here's the other thing that's clashing. There's now the Tully and Flair camp over here wanting him removed as the booker. Very vocal about it. He's burnt. He doesn't want to leave because he wants to stay on and give them the middle finger and the big F you because I'm the boss. And it's just, it's coming apart. The wheels are starting to come off. But later in the summer, they start to get momentum again. If they would have had more time, it could have turned around. But it's, the sale goes through. Yeah. Because right now, like you said, they're in the process of booking, shooting the angles that are going to take them through the summer. So it's going to take a few weeks for it to catch fire to get ready for the bash. But by the time the bash gets here, they're so scrapped for money, they're in trouble. And it's either sell it or it completely goes away. I mean, by, you know, by the summer, it was basically, there's no other way around it. You right. know, it's just it's just a matter of, when is it going to get done? Because, I mean, the Turner stuff had already been talked about even, you know, before our week here. I mean, that's something that was talked about was going to happen. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. So there's just no way around it for them. All right, Bix, your thoughts? I mean, I can see why Dusty thought it could work. They had not done the loser leave town or gets us or babyface gets suspended and comes back under a mask gimmick at all in the time they'd been a national promotion. Yeah, the last time they did it was was uh, Handsome in 83 with Charlie yep. Brown. Yeah. Yep. So, there's been time. It can really work well with the right baby face. Dusty's fading in popularity, but if you freshen him up, who knows? So it's like, I don't think it was necessarily a bad idea. And I also don't necessarily think you could have predicted just how badly it would flop either. Well, the thing is, we really don't have no know how badly it flopped. Because how many dates did he even work? I said we're not even a month. All right, how many dates did he work? Okay, so, uh, oh well, it gets even better. He works as himself May second in Greenville. Uh. 
Him and Doc <laughs> beat Tully and Arn in a lights out match. It was initially well, advertised. He was, yeah, he was initially advertised as the rioter. But yeah, he was already reinstated. Well, they got around it lights out. It means it's not sanctioned, so he can fight. He's not wrestling. Okay, okay. suppose. Supposedly his his last get this his last supposed match on record as a Midnight Rider is April thirtieth. Yeah, I just saw that. So fifteen days. <laughs> okay, so looking at cage match, obviously they could be missing stuff, but they have nine matches and at least two of them are TV tapings. And listen to this shit. And one's Crockett Cup where he's not being. So really, yeah, there are, what, six matches that we know of, maybe less, where he was being relied on to draw as the Midnight Rider? And then April, on the yeah. April 30th Worldwide, they're teasing during a Dr. Death squash match that a man by the name of the Texan was coming in to a master Midnight Rider. Yeah. That happened, though. I mean, the Texan shows yeah. up. Cause, and that was Murdoch or someone else? Murdoch. Okay, the, so yeah. did the Texan even appear on TV? I've only ever seen the Texan no. showing up at Crockett Cup. That was it at the Crockett Cup. That was it. <laughs> okay, so they had built him up with on commentary and maybe JJ and promos, but that was the only appearance of the Texan. Yeah. Okay. It's it, it, They hot shot, and then they go, wait a minute, pull it back. So, I mean, they didn't even... New Jack had a longer run in Memphis than Dusty did as the Midnight Rider for Crockett. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, so yeah, on cage match, I just made sure to check carefully. There are only seven matches that we know of that he would have been put in a drawing position as the Midnight Rider in this run. So what's the actual reason that it's dropped so quickly, then? <sighs> my I don't guess, know. My, my guess, Crockett or someone else wanted it done. He did not want to do it again because he's on national TV and he wants his face on national TV. Hmm. All right. Listen to this. They're still doing interviews with the Midnight Rider in May 14th worldwide. All right. Where um, Ryder said that Dusty had a heavy heart and he would be there all summer until Dusty returned to the ring. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Um, So they do a promo on the May 14th. Uh, worldwide about that. Uh, let me see here. Uh, this is all out of order. All right. Uh, then the next week's pro and war and uh, it's where Wyndham talks about how uh, Dusty means nothing to him. Blah blah blah. And that's when Dusty came into the ring. I was in Raleigh. So. You're doing this thing on the worldwide the week before where Midnight Rider said he's there all summer, and there's Dusty on pro the next week in the rink with Wyndham. And then they do an angle on world the next week's worldwide where Dusty came out. So I guess probably, even though it was never explained, that they got Dusty unsuspended. So they could the horseman did. Okay. I, I, I just want to, I just gotta be what it is, but it's never explained this storyline. Wait, it was never explained at all why he was unsuspended? No, he just, he just no. was back. Oh, okay. When he, he just comes was back, back, it's just back and it's never mentioned again. No, that's it. It's gone. 
exists yeah, there. Forgotten. Yes. That's what makes it a clusterfuck more than anything yeah. else. And that's why it's remembered like it being a flop like it is, is because of how it was stopped. Yeah. It, just right there. Yeah. And yeah, it never had the chance to do anything because it was stopped so quickly. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I did check. Cage match has no results for Murdoch in this run as the Texan. Like Bo said, no matches. The only results from him as the Texan are from Florida in 72. And the only other search results on Cage Match are him teaming with El Tejano and IWA Japan in 1994. Because why not? <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and Dusty and Murdoch are tagging by mid-July. Yeah, when they well, do the double turn. They shot the angle, at least, for that. Yeah. yeah. They, did, they did the double turn where Dusty and Sheik were in, teaming. In Detroit. Yeah. yeah. And Sullivan and Murdoch. And didn't bother to video it or... <laughs> and they got that shit hot. That's the thing that the Dusty yeah. Murdoch revival got hot, and then it goes away. Yep. Because Dusty does the whole the thing with the Road Warriors. So... I mean, honestly... I mean, there was a lot of start and stop in 88 with Dusty. There's, there's a ton the of it. ton of it. It makes you wonder... I don't think that's just him being overworked or anything, so... Weird, like no, uh, no, no, no. There's definitely, there's definitely some overwork there because we've seen, we've seen that happen, where sure. you get stuff that starts and stops when the booker, when the booker's being overworked or has too much on his plate. Yeah, but it's his uh, own storylines, though. It's not. Well, that's most bookers are doing their. <laughs> you know what you I know, mean? Though. I know what you mean, but yeah, so. I don't know. It was time. I mean, it it was definitely time for him to to do something else. He's trying because everything else pretty much stays constant with everybody else. Well, I mean, He's, you look you look at the uh, Rick the Rick Steiner stuff is some great booking that he does. Yeah, this time period. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's it's not like he's not doing a great job on things. Rick yeah, Steiner, the, the he gets flood. over huge. The Sting and Sting and Flair stuff, yeah. Um, but he's he's trying to figure out what to do with himself. Yeah, exactly. And they, because they're going to turn Garvin. Garvin's going to supposedly work the program with Dusty. Then yeah. Dusty realizes he doesn't want to do the program with Garvin. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes to Garvin and says. Uh, we ain't going to do it. And we in Garvin's depending on these matches with Dusty to draw money, to make money, you know, but he's being told that you're going to go back down and we're going to rebuild you as a heel. And Garvin said, thank you very much, but I'm gone. And he left and never returned. And yeah. I mean, it's just, he yeah. doesn't know what to do with himself. And he's fading, and people are starting to boo him. People are starting to – he's stopped doing the interviews in the studio with the people. Oh, oh no, 88's when he has the most, some of the most memorable ones, especially when he goes up to that fat woman. Yeah, but he, he's doing more where he's sitting in the crowd or sitting in the empty arena in 88. He does more of them in 88 than any other time where he sits in the empty building. Yeah. And so he's trying – He's trying to figure out how to get himself over again. Yeah. How to come back. 
Yeah. All right. Ric Flair and Nikita Koff will definitely be in the main event at the second night of the Crockett Cup. You know, Sting would be the logical choice since he's the hottest singles guy. Or even let's look at Dr. F. Steve Williams would be hot since it would be their first shot. And even Wyndham, at least you would be guaranteed a super match. Well, he's going to be turning. But Dusty's given the key to the shot, probably for admirable reasons, but none of them have to do with what makes sense for the business. That's absolutely right. Nikita had no juice behind him. He'd been gone, growing his hair out, um, had lost the muscle mass. He was not the guy to be in that main event. That should have been Dr. Death. That's what it should have been because we never got – you know, the big televised Flair Doc match with the de facto unification match. Right. That would have been perfect. And I take it that what Dave's saying about probably for admirable reasons is Dusty wanting to give Nikita A, a main event payoff on a major show for presumably for his wife's medical expenses, and then also B, just as a morale boost, giving his wife's illness as well, I would think. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just Yeah, you can't let that stand in the stand in the way of business sometimes though, you know? I mean and Sting and Lou are gonna win the Crockett Cup, so I mean I understand them not being involved, but Dot Death would have been right there and it would have made a ton of sense. And he needed it. Dot needed that match and never got never got it. But that is what it is. Now one good thing they had going on during our week, the debut of the NWM event. Was on March was taped on March thirty first, aired on April third, and by and large is a hot show. It's Barnberg, so the crowd enthusiasm was super, and they did a super job of getting the noise across to the viewer. It makes the matches seem better than they really are when, when the crowd's going crazy for every spot. There were some problems. Tony Schiavone seemed confused at times, and the lighting could have been better. But overall, the Crockett product is coming a lot of fun to watch. So that's Dave saying that. There, the first show started with the Road Warriors beating a Super Destroyer, Gear Royal under the hood, and Larry Zabisco in three minutes. Zabisco walked out on about their minute, and the Warriors used all their moves to decapitate the Super D. Given what it was, it was just fine as the Warriors used lots of nice moves, including that clothesline on top rope while Animal has a guy on his shoulders finish. Doomsday device. The second match saw Dusty Rhodes pin Ivan Koloff in 6.30 in U.S. title match. The match was a lot better than expected than Davis expected because the crowd was going crazy for Dusty. And since it was short, they got a lot of spots in. Actually, given Dusty's limitations, both guys did a good job, and Ivan is amazing for his age. Dusty won't want to fly on by for himself top ropes. Honestly. The real hot match was the main event with Ric Flair and Tilly Blanchard and Arn Anderson down Barry Wyndham, Lex Luger, and Sting in 18 minutes. They did an early jump cut, anything five minutes of the match. Away, so Dave guess they went long in the original taping. This match was super and fast-paced from start to finish. Most of it had Luger in there, but the action never slowed down. Blanchard in particular was hot. It was an easy four-star match. And Dave, this is the first time he's seen a U.S. promotion try and duplicate what the Japanese do on their television show. And for a debut show, he was impressed. Now, real quick, uh, we had those results. And then they, at these main event tapings, they did, uh, they taped two weeks worth. So the next week, was uh, Powers of Pain over Tim Horn, the Italian Stallion, so over Brad Armstrong. Arn Anderson goes to double count with Dr. Death and Barry Windham beating Tully Blanchard in the main event of that show. Um, yeah, go ahead, Bex. So the thing we need to discuss here that I guess is not in these week's coverage, though, is 
there was a promise made to the talent. Okay, we are advertising these as main event quality matches. You know, even though you are working a TV taping, we expect it to be a main event quality match. So we will pay you, we will pay a $7,500 bonus to be split among each main event match for each episode of main event. That was the original idea that they knew that they wouldn't necessarily get the matches they wanted out of guys who were getting, you know, $50 TV payoffs or whatever. And if that happened at all, it only lasted a few months. It didn't last very long because, uh, I mean, it got to the point that they were already starting to, uh, they started showing repeat matches not too long. Yes. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan versus Big Bear Collie aired four times. <laughs> There's so there's so many problems with uh with I mean it's not just you know Crockett it does that in WCW later on too where they show the same fucking matches for over and over yeah, again it's a major it, problem they have here's the thing I, I believe I believe the TV payoff for the regular guys was forty five dollars I believe that's point, what it was at this point yeah. Might have been fifty, but I, I think it was forty-five. I think Handsome told me that. So they, they're being told you're not getting the balloon payment, you're not getting your money. Plus, we've added more TVs on, <laughs> so now you're not even going to get your house show payoffs like you were getting. Um, because it, it, they okay Sunday night or Saturday night, Sunday night worldwide. And Pro. NWA Pro, right? So now they've added this. So this, so main event would make the fifth show. Yes. Yeah. Because they haven't they haven't restarted championship wrestling yet. That's coming. Yeah. So, so yeah. So if we're going to do Mid Atlantic and Worldwide on Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, every other week, now we're going to have to add another TV night. To get the main event in, so that'll probably be in between those two tapings. Well, you know, they, they what they did was on some of the main event tapings, they would do a quick turnaround. Some of them were on Thursday. They would do a quick yeah. turnaround from Thursday right to Sunday. Um, but the main event tapings in general, uh, let's see, when do they stop? Uh, because it, they don't go extremely long with main event-centric tapings. Um, I'm I'm checking now, but um, but yeah, I mean, and, and they wanted to, they give it a different feel. They um they brought in uh Peter Burkholtz, yeah, with the Paul Bosch thing, and put him you know as an announcer to give it a different feel. Well, uh, wasn't that also because they were using main event as like the Crockett provided footage on the Houston shows too, instead of the one of the syndicated shows? Some some of it, some of it. All right, it looks like the main event tapings end at the Great American Bash. Okay. The main event-centric tapings. That sounds about right. So, yeah. three months. Yeah, so, yeah, June. Four months. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, because the boys are revolting. Well, you know? not only that, so... um. It, you know, and when I'm pulling some of this from in the, uh, you know, Matt Watch 91 annual, like the whole farewell retrospective Steve Beverly does, they couldn't even afford 
the expenses of recording new matches for main event at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was not only it was not only we don't have the money to pay this, it was we have a cash flow problem. We don't have money, period. Yeah, I mean literally because- he he quotes a TBS executive. The family's beginning to come around. The crowd as in the Crockett's as far as selling. The crowds aren't holding up and they're running out of money. They can't even afford to produce NWA main event anymore, which is why you've been seeing so many reruns of matches on that show. That's about September. Yeah. No lie. I was watching a episode of power hour from 92 before, before we started recording. And there was a match on there that aired on four different television shows. Okay. So here's the thing though, with that era, (laughs) unless it was a recap show, they just act, they just, they didn't treat it like a different, uh, it was nope. the same match. No, it nope. would, I mean, generally the overlap in that era would be what main event power hour pro. Yes. That's yeah. Three, three, at least three. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like the little you see like now that like sometimes 93 episodes of pro where we have the big gapper showing up, like when you see those episodes, like other than the different commentary, like there's, n- you know, that's it. But like, they're not, they're not distinguishing that these are airing anywhere else. Why have all the why why have all the TV if you're not going to maximize it? Yeah. You know. No, when but, I, but, but WWF. I mean, I mean, look at prime time. Prime time there for a while. There, all they were showing was fucking superstars and challenge matches. Towards the end, you mean? In the nineties, yeah. Well, they stopped taping house shows and. Outside yeah. of that one late 92 taping, they never did primetime specific tapings. No, but they would still, I mean, they would have primetime matches air. Right, they would still do some exclusives, but. Yeah, that was taped at the TV tapings, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, if, I mean, I'm, I'm, so I'm sitting there, I just watched this match already this weekend. And, and look at Action Zone, you know, eventually becomes the same show as Challenge. So, I mean, it's not just Crockett WCW that did this shit either. Right, and they never acknowledge either that Action Zone and Challenge no! the same show. No! Although Action Zone had the extra match, you know, because they didn't have the local promos, but... Um, and, so- and, 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 the, and the cute thing they did was they would air in, like, reverse order. They would air the way... Like, the, the last match on Challenge would be the opening match on Action Zone. Well, no, no, no. The opening match on Action Zone was the main event that was exclusive. Not, no, not all the time it wasn't. I'm oh, no. sure it always was. Maybe I want no, no. It, it, I mean, there was those moments, those shows that were like that, but a lot of them, that's the way it did. Because I would find the way I would find what aired on Action Zone was looking at the challenge results. It's like, oh, okay, this in reverse, <laughs> reverse order. Okay, so something else that's a layer to this, though. Does syndicated main events start at the same time? I have no idea. But no idea. Have any ideas? No, I don't. Because we never had syndicated main event. We just had main event. We didn't hear either. I never even I never even heard of syndicated main event until many years later. I never I, knew of such thing. I mean, I first heard of it when WCW Magazine would show the listings and stuff. I, I never I never even heard of it. We didn't we didn't get that here. We didn't get uh, WWF Wrestling Challenge. Uh. We didn't get challenged here until 89, I believe. 
So we didn't even know they had, because I would see like stuff from on primetime from there and think, well, what show is that? Yeah. I'm okay. trying to think what other. So I just um, checked newspapers.com. The earliest reference I can find to a NWA main event that's not on TBS, that's not a, you know, a newspaper issue that has the wrong year is basically when it starts on cable, is airing on WCAY in Nashville, Channel 30, at Saturday evening at 9 p.m. Uh, yeah. So, and that's like, what's the date on this? Yeah, it's March 27th. So the same week, basically. Hmm. Or even a week, wait a second, or, yeah, this is probably for the following Saturday. So, that's the... But that would mean it would air in on that market before it even aired on TBS. Yes. That makes no sense. And also in Nashville, it was the lead into world class. That makes no sense. Well, actually, no, wait a second. Though. Well, so wait, the premiere date, though, is April... 3rd on TBS, yes. Right, so at the late... At the, this, yeah, so this is from April 2nd. So yeah, it... I thought, at least later on, I thought syndicated main event was the previous Saturday's episode, but with, like, an extra segment or... I mean, previous Sundays. But I guess not? It's confusing. But anyway, but, but I want to get to Dave's point about this feeling, looking and feeling like a Japanese wrestling television show. Those early main events really do, in a way. Yes. And that's why I made it unique. Now, that said, they had already been doing the Super Bout shows. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's kind of different. I mean, then because, they didn't really promote them much anyway. Well, Super Bouts were, were, you know, matches from different buildings, too. So not the same tapings. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's another, you know, wild, interesting deal in 1988 NW, NWA, that's for sure. All right, let's go to house shows. Norfolk on April 1st saw Tim Horner pin Tyler Conway Jr. to roll up at 554, two stars. Shaska Watley pinned Mark Fleming in a dud. I would like to have seen that in, as a uh, real wrestling match. That had been a hell of a match. Because <laughs> those are two tough dudes. Dr. Def Stampede and Rick Steiner in 719, three stars. Midnight's and Fantastics went to a 30-minute draw, which was actually 2614, four stars. Dusty over Mike Rotunda by DQ when uh, Sullivan and Steiner interfered and Dot made the save in level 27, two stars. Arn and Tully beat Lex and Barry by DQ in 1539 when JJ handed Tully a chain, but with the got it, the ref saw him use it for a DQ. Three stars. And Flair over Sting in a cage match when Flair at the across body, Sting in his head on the cage and was pinned in 1828. Three stars. Sounds like a good show there. Yes, a uh, $40,000 gate, according to the Midnight Express scrapbook. April 3rd at the Omni. No attendance listed. Rick Steiner, Ricky Santana in your opener. Tim Horner over Shaska Watley. Tark Conway Jr. or Brad Armstrong. So we got a split in the Lightning Express Jive Tones matches. Arn Anderson over the Italian Stallion. Fantastic over the Sheep Herders. Nikita and Dr. Death over the Midnights. Barry over Tully. Lex over Rotunda by DQ. Rowers over Powers of Pain. And Flair over Sting to retain the world title. And that was a $44,000 gift. So what, probably one a great house. But the Omni that night, so... Uh, yeah, what were the ticket prices in that era? Oh, shit, I don't remember. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, 
Crockett's got a good crew all throughout 88, Bo. It's, it's a, you know, a mix and a match. You have some leave and new ones come in. I mean, they keep a steady, you know, group of talent coming in. It's just how they're being used. Yeah. And how they're being paid. That's the biggest thing about 88. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of people leave for that, for that reason. Uh, Pez, if this would have been 86, Pez would have stayed right there and worked underneath on, on the bottom and been happy with what he was making. He's making nothing. So at least if I go to Alabama, I can sell my own gimmicks and make that cash every night. And and he's getting a, a push, which is good for his, you know, ego. Yeah, but it, he, it, it, Paz wasn't that way. He was about making a living, taking oh, care of, of his family. Yeah. You know, so he's making, let's go to Alabama. Danny Davis made 100 grand last year selling T-shirts and pictures. <laughs> no. Will he be hurt? Here, here's the thing, too. And I never really thought about that until we've been sitting here talking. We're in the last days of Crockett's territory. Yeah. Which is telling all the other territories it's over because they were the biggest. They had the most money and they failed. We're doomed. So everybody else that's been trying to compete now see. But you know what? I mean, but, if, if but Crockett it, didn't let expenses get out of control, they would not have been in the situation they were in. No, that's true. But who's the two that last outlast everybody? Memphis and Portland. Because they only worried about their home. Nowhere else. And Carlos. I don't care what too. they're doing. Yeah. I mean, he, Double Double C still runs now. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're only concerned about this. Don't care what they're doing. Yeah. Everybody else that was ganging up, fighting, trying to go after them, trying to fend them off, trying to whatever, everybody else folded up. Yep. Well, now it's time for the Only in America story of the week. Charlotte Memorial Hospital and Charlotte Rehabilitation Hospital have sued Terry Allen for $56,692 in back medical care. Allen's medical expenses have surpassed $100,000 as far as sees $25,000 of health insurance coverage. A Toronto spinal cord expert has proposed to Allen a 9 to 11 hour operation, which he claims will give him full uses of his bad limbs that could give him at least a remote chance of returning to the ring. Allen's right hand and arm are weak, although his left arm is fairly normal. Weak is uh, being charitable. I mean, has a, we've seen it. He has a dead arm. Yeah. I mean, that makes me skeptical of whoever the hell this surgeon is. Yeah, I wonder who, who, who's in Toronto. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, too. This could be just a story they put out there to make people think there's still a chance he's coming back. Well, no, they actually sued him. Oh, no, you said about the... No, the oh, no, you mean the... Right, 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 sorry. Took me, yeah. 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 No, the lawsuit... No, no, I get that. The rest of it about the surgery and his arm and it's weak and we can build it back. This could be something that... The office is put out there to make people think well, we got to hold on. He, he's coming back. He's going to do it. Well, I mean, they're getting them involved in the TV angles again this time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. I pulled up Charlotte Observer from the 24th. 
Um, according to the suit, his care from October 1486 to February 2687 cost 96392 Papers indicate 39700 had been paid, leaving a 56692 balance. I haven't been ignoring the bill. I've been making payments, Alan28 said Wednesday. You always forget just how young he was. Yeah. Um, I've been paying when I can, and I will continue making payments. I think it's a misunderstanding, a lack of communication. Alan said his medical expenses have surpassed $100,000, far exceeding his $25,000 worth of insurance coverage. Terry is trying to do the best he can. Dennis Guthrie, Alan's attorney, said Wednesday. Well, yeah. Makes sense. He has been paying what he can after he makes payments on his many other medical bills. Yeah, it's not like these are his only medical bills either. This is just right. for the hospital stay. Uh, Terry is not dodging anyone. Uh, let me see. As far as uh, he hopes to wrestle again. That's still my ultimate goal. I'm walking without a cane now. It may take me another year to get where I want to be. But <sighs> we should stress, though, I mean, part of the story here is that the, the Crockett wrestlers had a group insurance plan that they bought into that the Crockett's found. Yeah. Like, Crockett wasn't paying towards it at all, but they did actually find a... Oh, I forget what it was, but Crockett did actually find a group insurance program for them, which is like... I've always found it interesting that no other promotion at least tried to help with that, or that even... But, you know, before things changed, you know, in the last decade or so with the law, that, like you know, to at least find a way to, for guys to buy into a group together so they can at least save some money. But this is with insurance, I, I, you know? I think uh, Francis found it through minor league baseball. Yes, because it was like a touring sports team plan. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, that jogged my memory. And that, that she was the one that actually, but I mean, Crockett's the one that took it to him and said, hey guys, look, we got this. I, his med, what was his total medical hospital stay? Just under a hundred thousand, about ninety six and change. Yeah, which would today would probably be over a million if you had to have that hospital stay now. Yeah, let's see. So it was let me see the total again. So yeah, ninety six. Uh, what was it? Sorry, because I'm looking at the article right now. I should look at that. It's ninety six three ninety two. Um. Any guesses, Chris? No, no guess. Okay, so we look at March 1988. So let's, I mean, should we go with that or should we go with February? Let's go with March 88 since that's when they're suing. It's less than both thought, but uh, $248,888.93. No, that's, that's using inflation calculator. Hmm. They bill you for every single little thing now. That's why I'm, oh, I'm saying different. Oh, you mean in terms of how much he would be billed by the hospital? Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yes. Nowadays, it'd be over a million-dollar bill. Oh, you're saying like I know back... what they... I get... Go ahead. I know what I got hit with over my health issues a couple of years ago, and I just laughed. I was like, how is this even possible? You know, so... I, and it, mine was not nearly what he went through. Yeah. So yeah, back then they weren't doing all like the charging for a box, charging like a hundred dollars for a box of tissues stuff. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, it sucks. 
Now, I have a question for Bo before we move on from this. What point did they stop doing the thing where everyone on the roster was pledging $25 a week towards Magnum, and why? Uh, once he came back, whenever he walked to the ring. Crockett Cup. Because, Crockett Cup, because then he's on the payroll. So what was he being, was he being paid as what? And what was he getting once he was, because he wasn't on the road more than occasionally, like, and he wasn't, like, he wasn't assistant booker yet, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's probably Dusty's got some just, type of, he's just getting some type of payday. Yeah. Right. And I should be clear, they, too, the Crockett's would, ma- when they did that, the Crockett's would also match what the wrestlers were pledging. Yeah, he was they, getting a payday. They um, they uh, created a spot for him to get, but once he was up and walking, the boys stopped giving. I mean, it wasn't the boys stopped giving; the office stopped taking it because they yeah. had created whatever uh, job they gave him. Yeah, whatever job it was. But I mean, that's getting ready to go away real fast too because they're bankrupt. Well, he gets no, he gets on with NWA. I mean, with Turner. Yeah, but I mean, for a while, and then and then he's gone in '89. But I mean, he's yeah. a, he's a he's a guy. He replaces Shivani with Ross on a on World Championship Wrestling as the announcer for a while. So he's still there after Dusty's gone for three to four months. I mean, he's the color commentator on Chi Town Rumble. Yeah, so yeah, he's yeah. there. But he, yeah, he he won't be there very long, and then he comes back with Dusty. So. Yeah. Uh, all right, Brad Armstrong's out of actual knee surgery. No word if he'll be back in time for the Crockett Cup. And does Brad's he come out. back at all? Yes. Okay. Yes, he does. He's one of those guys where once Horner leaves, Brad. I mean, they do a they do a deal where they put Brad and Ricky Morton together for a minute after Robert left over money. Um, and uh, I mean, Brad's there until. The end of summer, early fall, '88. Uh, no, Robert. Robert's hurt. But when, I thought it was money. No, when Ricky and Brad are teaming, Robert's hurt. That that's the beginning of the back problems. Um, I know, and I know, I know that in '88, if I remember, Robert did leave over money though. Uh, that was that. That was uh, after they got the bash checks. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. After the bash check, yeah. But right, I think what Bo's trying there, to say is. Sorry, that it's when it's Nikita, when it's Ricky and Nikita, it's Nikita replacing Robert when Robert left over money. When it's Ricky and Br- when it's Ricky Brad. and Brad, it's when Robert's injured. Well, they're doing yeah. this whole weird deal in that era where I mean, so many different guys are teaming with each other every week. Uh, mm-hmm. Brad Brad's last TV was November sixth, uh, which was taped October nineteenth. Um, but Brad's team with Doctor Death. Brad's teaming with uh, Ron Simmons. <laughs> Brad's teaming with Style. I mean, he's teaming with all kinds of people. And uh, him and Ricky on September seventh. Uh, taped on, I mean, aired on September tenth. Uh, hey, yeah, Br- he's Brad's just bouncing around everywhere. It's just they yeah, don't know spot. what to do with him, but they don't want to let him go because he's the best. Well, that's like Ricky Morton. I mean, when Robert yeah. leaves, I mean, they, it's just was. Find some, find somebody what to do with him. Yeah, Brad's summoned for Robert in August. He's taking his spot on August house shows. Yeah. So, 
There's even six mans where Ricky, Nikita, and Brad are teaming up together. Hmm. Yeah. Because Horner's gone in August, early August, if I'm mistaken. No, he's so, gone before that because he's back at Continental, isn't he? All right, Horner's last. Uh, no, he's working. He's on working on the August 13th Worldwide. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it was June or July. His last house show was August 1st. He lost to match in Milwaukee. Steve Corey, the hotshot former tennis promoter who gave World Class so much help in the Von Eris Across America tour, which didn't draw, but did a great job with publicity, is negotiating to help promote this group. Well, where was Steve Corey in, in 1989 when they needed him, Bix? <laughs> um, he never had the distinction of getting Ed Coffin's, uh, excuse me, not Ed Coffin, Ed Cohen's uh, coffee. I mean, good lord! They need WCW need all that they can get in promoting stuff in '89 and '90. Good lord, you could have got Steve Corey involved. Yeah. Oh god, what did we figure out was the connection though? Because where was Steve Corey from originally? Was he a Florida guy? Yes. That's right. Because the thing was his idea. Yeah. You know, Brian Carr's gimmick. Um. And given Brian Carr's side gig, that makes you wonder about things. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, for those who don't know, he was an enforcer for drug runners. Yes. Who would not only take horse steroids, but also literally inject them into his veins. <laughs> yeah. A very uh, freaky looking man, that's for sure. But th- it turned was... out, though, he was not the real thing. No, that was Rip Morgan. Yeah. He was a bogus thing. <laughs> and there was there was a lot of people shooting horse steroids at this point in time. Well yes. no, what he did it what he did differently was he actually would not just inject them into his butt. He would inject them into his veins. <laughs> which I don't think you're supposed to do. He was next level. I don't think you're supposed to inject them in your butt either. <laughs> well, into your butt cheek. Well, no, if you're not a horse, no. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like Road Warrior Hawk told me. Once we started on the monkey hormones, brother, we I knew we were screwed. <laughs> All right, well, we got clips to close out this section. Luke, Lex Luger and Barry Wyndham had won the uh, world tag titles on the previous Sunday's Clash of the Champions. So on the next Saturday, World Championship Wrestling, they show up uh, with the belts and uh, in front of the fans for the first time. And you can pretty much guess what happens here with Lex. So let's go to the clip. Are we going to hear the word, sorry, Barry, I got to do this? <laughs> Maybe. All right. And yeah, just for the record, the Clash and WrestleMania were two days before our period for our week plus here. Yeah, we've already done that. We've already done that week. Yes. Here they are, the world tag team champion, Barry Wyndham and Lex Luger. That was a oh, and their shirts match. almost match. I tell you what, it's something we told everybody that we were going to do. And we got really excited about it. You know that there's a price you have to pay for everything you get. But believe me, it was well worth it. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard put up one heck of a fight. But the World Tag Team Championship was what we were after when we were out there. And I believe it was less than 15 minutes it took us to take it. We won the World 
heavyweight tag team championships right there in Greensboro. Oh, he's been excited all week. You wouldn't believe right there. Yeah, he already bought himself a new Ferrari. Simply saw the reserve a little bit. Look at him. Well, I gotta get this off my chest just right now. Excuse me if the I shirt. a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time coming. There is life after the four horsemen. You can count on that, David. What is this me and Barrett standing out here with right now? World Tag Team Champion. All right, the world. Who was out last week with these belts on? Who won these before us? Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. God, I hate to rub it in. I hate to say I told you so, but I am. I told you so. We are the new World Tag Team Champions. I told you, JJ. Oh, my gosh. And you know, the Crockett Cup is just around the corner, isn't it? Right, that's right. Just around the corner. And you know, I don't know what the seeds are. I don't know what the seeds are. But we are on a roll. And who, who would you say the favorite is now for the Crockett Cup? No seeds or any seeds involved. Who is the favorite? You guys are on a roll, so you definitely should be. Williams and Lugo. now, right? Because the championship has changed hands, so the seeds will change. Evidently. We're going to have to look into that. I guess you're right. I'm sure that they will. I'll tell you what, the Crockett Cup, a million dollars, $500,000 each in our pockets. What another <laughs> feather here and a feather there. Can't no, stop. David. I hate to get serious, Roman. I don't want to get much here, Barry. Well, a few short months ago, I stuck my head after this man right here for what I got to inspire the year before. I had every right in the world to pull his hand away. But this guy right here showed me what kind of special friend he is. Very well, my national TV, I want to tell everybody, this guy is a heart the size of Lake Michigan. And let me tell you something, he forgave me. And just a couple short months ago, we formed a tag team. And here's proof in the pudding. Two short months later, we are the world tag team champions. And I love it. And we won him off the four horsemen. What about it? What about Terry Allen, Magnum? You, you know, we're, we're, we're so happy about this, but I'll tell you what, the thing with Dusty Rhodes and Magnum and Tully Blanchard, let me tell you something, Mr. Blanchard, we took something away from you, but Dusty Rhodes and Magnum T.A. are going to take something else away from you. Nobody knows, I'll make one short comment on this incident, nobody knows the depth of feeling. I mean, Dusty Rhodes, he was there at a hospital when he didn't get much of a chance. He was there. But Magnum started coming back, and he will come back. He will be 100% someday. No one knows the depth of feelings they've shared. And I'll tell you, after what Tully Blanchard did, in my heart, I know Dusty Rhodes' heart. He did what he felt he had to do, and I'm backing him 100%. Thank you, David. All right, thank you. Oh, no shirt. There it goes. Oh, no shirt removal. Team champions, Lex Luger and Barry Windham. More action come right after this. That was the most charisma he's ever shown. Well, uh, I'm about to get into that. All right, so this era is Lex as his most infectious as a babyface. He's the most, the most over he is ever as a babyface. And it, it makes it even more of a mistake that they didn't put the title on him in 88. It's the most likable, just as a, it's the most he comes off as a real person as a babyface. Yes. I mean, right there, when, when the promo started, Barry's baton to Lex is over there with the fans, high-fiving all the fans. 
Was he making eye contact though? Yeah, well, I'm sure he was. <laughs> Although you have to get a shade. Did, did they know he was pulling on himself over to the desk a minute ago? <laughs> well, even though he was being shot above the waist, you could see that he was pressing his hands down on the top of the desk, so he was not touching himself. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, he's so over in this time period as a baby face. And then you look at this, and you're like, they're about to break these guys up in less than a month. <laughs> yeah, and then it never goes anywhere. And then they never have a singles match until Shottown Rumble. Yes, oh, that's one of the biggest problems in '88. Is you do you shoot this big angle where you have Wyndham and Lex break up, and the heat goes to Dusty. Yeah, well, the, the, for Wyndham <laughs> it does, and then Luger is transitioned to Flair off of it. Yeah, all of a sudden, that was that was the other thing about Garvin. Um, Ronnie said, you know, when Dusty didn't want to work with him, then they were going to have him work with, uh, with Luger. He was going to be the, uh, like the horseman's guy to stop anybody from, you know, whatever. And Garvin said he worked with Luger one time and Luger went straight to Jim Crockett and said, I can't take a beating like that every night. <laughs> so, they do the split. Luger's red hot. He's going to get the one match with Flair on the pay-per-view, but they have nothing else for him. It's just because Dusty's trying to figure out where he goes. Now, since they're only together as a team for a few months and they're only champions for a month, at w are they ever actually named the Twin Towers, or is that like no. a nickname? Or no, that was no. a magazine thing. That was strictly a magazine thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because the basketball team, uh, Houston had the Twin Towers at the time. Yeah, McKeema Lodge one and Ralph Sampson. Yeah, and then uh, WWF rips it off later in the year. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, Wyndham and, and Luger were hot. Luger especially. And, you know, and Wyndham going to the horse was, you know, it was already foreshadowed for months ahead of time, and they they pulled the trigger on it. But man, there was so much that could have been done differently too. I mean, oh, oh this is the hottest they had a team since rock and roll first came in. Yeah, yep, absolutely. All right, well, Nate has some promo time. He's all happy that uh, he kept the title over Sting, even though he didn't win the match, but he kept the title over Sting from the Clash of the Champions. So let's go to Nate, shall we? Woo. Now, the leader of the four from the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair. What a suit he has here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a red, uh, red blazer, white buttons. Yes, he's. I think he has styling. matching slacks too. He's styling here. He he looks. I can't even figure it. Like he looks like he should be working the door in a hotel or something. But he looks. <laughs> he looks nicer than a doorman. But I can't put my yeah. finger on it. Sting took you to the limit. Impeccable pocket square. That you could handle, Rick. You gotta hate it, don't you, David Crockett? Luger's gotta hate it. Barry Windham's gotta hate it. The whole world's gotta hate it. But the bottom line is, if you want to see the real bad apple. In the wrestling ring, you had to be with us live Sunday afternoon. And unfortunately, 
the baddest devil of them all just happened to OD on Power Formula 1 and Power <laughs> Formula 2 stayed up all night with uh, he is referring to what is in the <laughs> thumbnail of the YouTube upload of this show, which is the Four Horsemen Power Formula 1 and 2 Vitamins. Keeps you, keep you up all night long, baby. You're a 60-minute man, you deal with them. I wonder what was in them. <laughs> was, it, was it an orange? Um, yellow, it? yellow root. <laughs> <laughs> Did, did Peter. Any... <laughs> yes, Peter. Well, no. Well, eh, I don't know exactly how did, beneficial that would be, but did, did, didn't Orange say on his uh, podcast that he took him one time and they gave him explosive diarrhea? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then Flair. Somebody asked Flair on his podcast. He said, "I don't know. I never took him." So. <laughs> Five women, all night, got that limousine, didn't go way over to Greensboro Coliseum, looking, keep in mind, whoo, as only I can look, I walked that aisle, women screaming, the penthouse pet died, beside herself, and then, because Sting was at his very best, I wrestled 45 minutes, not to a draw, only to have two geniuses and one idiot rule it a draw and give me the title back. The bottom line, once again, is Rick Rick, Face Mountain, if you may, has written another chapter in his book. He has proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can stay up all night long. With the help. Yeah. Oh. Right there. You want to know how I do it? Right there. I'm the world champion. And I'm the best there is. And for all you punks out there, like Magnum Pierre, <laughs> and that Magnum, <laughs> you, my friend, bowed up pretty bad last week. They're still in his mouth. He didn't swallow he them or anything. He cannot chew them. They're so hard, he cannot Wait, chew them. Wait, are they chewable? Are they supposed to be chewable? Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll watch the commercial after this. I'm curious. Trying to make a little bit of a comeback on your own. You got slapped. And then Dusty Rose. Still there. Oh. Yeah, he's got a little Let me regain my composure. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, the legend. He just swallowed him. Who has had the honor and the distinction of wearing this. A man who has been called one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Came out here in a multi-million dollar television studio and almost cost Jim Crockett his wrestling license with Ted Turner. Now, you know, that really bugs me, because I like all of you idiots out there to have to put up with me each and every week. So, Dusty Rhodes, keep in mind that all my financial resources are at James Dillon's feet, because we want you out of this business. We want you out of this one. 
we want you gone. And brother, for jumping on Tully Blanchard, you, my friend, are history. One more name. Please let me tell it one more time. During that two and a half hour magnificent program, a guy named Steve Williams had the audacity, <laughs> had the audacity to call my name in front of David Crockett. You're an idiot once again. Okay. Did it get stuck on the front on one of his front teeth? <laughs> Some residue, I guess. Great. He was he was trying to hold it like a dip of snuff and couldn't. I think it, <laughs> it dissolved it should dissolve a little at least. Lord have mercy. In front of five million homes. That's right. The whole world was watching Rick Flair and Steve Williams. You are like Sting. You're like Wyndham, you're like Luger, until I decide to go somewhere and lay down, I'm going to be the man. So Doc, come and get a towel, but remember, it's a lot easier to get on than it is to get off. Monday, I'm going to be at St. Martin. Oh, yeah, me too. Spring break, St. Martin, all the women will be there. Ric Flair, JJ, we will be there. Girls, tell me you need these bad. <laughs> <laughs> Bob David Crockett. All right, let's do this. He's just ready to get rid of them. <laughs> okay. What so, company made those? <laughs> let's see the commercial because it's. I doubt we can find any other information. You know. Yeah. Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson, James J. Dillon, Ric Flair, The Four Horsemen. Most powerful name in professional wrestling. Their strength is legendary. Their stamina is boundless. Their endurance is beyond the ordinary. And you are about to discover their most powerful secret. Okay, so they really are trying to discreetly market them as dick pills. <laughs> this is the Four Horsemen top performance system of caplets and chewable wafers, formulated especially for the Four Okay, so the, oh, okay, there are capsules and chewable wafers, so he probably took the capsules thinking they were the chewable wafers. <laughs> ...to provide peak energy, endurance, and unsurpassed power. Power Formula 1 and Power Formula 2, the top performance system that has made the Four Horsemen the most fearsome force in professional sports. And it does not go to the TBS 800 number. It goes to a NWA-specific 800 number. 800-NWA-2253. Formula 1 chewable wafers for that quick burst of energy. And Formula 2, an exclusive complex of the most potent herbs, extracts, vitamins, and amino acids. Take it from the champ. Formula 1, Formula 2, the power secret of the four horsemen. Use it every day, and you'll improve your performance in everything you do. The power secret of the pro is yours if you order now. Okay, so there's no address. It was only by phone. Okay. So, I had not watched that in a long time. Okay, A, yes, they are explicitly marketing these as dick pills without saying... Well, as explicitly <laughs> as you can without saying. Um, endurance, you know, all that. Like, it's buzzwords. So, 
I don't know what was in those. It doesn't say who made them. Um, I did dig around in my Twitter to find a magazine ad I tweeted a while back from uh, the March 89 issue of Celebrity Wrestling, which had an ad for four men only from Only Natural Inc. in Freeport, New York. Um, so what do they boast here? Let's see. Uh, a word about sex. Good health and sexual function is the concern of men of all ages. But age is not always the problem with sexual performance. Physicians know that lack of male potency and sex drive have many causes, such as depression, stress, alcohol, drug abuse, and nutritional deficiency. So it's the only valid, long-lasting aphrodisiac and preventative medicine for blah, 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 blah. Okay. So your ingredients? No caffeine, no chemical additives, but we've got vitamins B3, B5, B8, B12, vitamin E. Uh, magnesium, z zinc. Then we've got herbs. We've got uh, saltpeter. No, we got whatever Damian. No, so again, saltpeter is the opposite, Chris. Why do you keep saying that? Oh, <laughs> uh, so what the hell? If it was saltpeter. I'd try to find some of that and send it to West Virginia. To somebody <laughs> <know>. <laughs> oh, there's one here called Damiana, which they say in parentheses Turner's aphrodisiacs. <laughs> so maybe it was also in the the horseman vitamins. Uh, yeah, the root. <laughs> ginseng, saw Oh yeah, ginseng. <laughs> yeah. Gota cola. Uh, what? Sar what is this? Oh, sarsaparilla. Cap. Oh, Jesus, capsaicin. Uh, pussy willow. Pussy willow. Great what word. Why do I have a? Why do I have a feeling that Klondike and <laughs> Old Bunk Harris was in the back of Crockett's <laughs> office making this stuff in a makeshift uh, laboratory. <laughs> Bunk Harris wearing his Nazi helmet while he's making four horsemen vitamins in the bathtub. <laughs> it gets better, though, with this for men only, though. Um, so we got two amino acids, histidine and uh, carnitine. I'm going to... Skip uh, one and get back to it. We have food extracts, oyster extract, of course, bee pollen, <laughs> and whatever uh, octocosnol is. And then we have glandular extracts, 100 milligrams each of orchic extract, meaning testicular extract of some kind, and prostate extract. Now, it does not say the prostate or testicles of what. <laughs> but I wonder if... Uh, one of the four horse and vitamins were similar to these because it also says if not available at your local health food store, call or send to only natural link, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this isn't far from where I grew up. Lord have mercy. At least it's not the uh, trucker pills that were also being advertised in some uh, down market wrestling magazines in this era. Yeah, wrestling's full of freaks, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, why do you bring that up? <laughs> take, it, take it back <laughs> freak sexual deviance yes I took all I can stand so I can't stand no more I got to put my foot down on this subject <laughs> <laughs> oh man All right, let's go international now. We go to Japan first. Land the Rising Sun, All Japan Pro Wrestling. They've been on a match on April 15th in Osaka to unify all the singles titles. 
That's Bruiser Brody, international champion. We'll take on Tenugritro. Both both the United National PWF titles. This is something that they do multiple times before they finally, eventually have the Triple Crown in uh, in all Japan. Uh, and that that date of the official Triple Crown would be a year later, April eighteenth, nineteen eighty nine, is when we finally get the Triple Crown. So uh, it took a year, but we got we finally got there to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it made sense to go ahead and put all these single titles together to consolidate them. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, just understandable. So, there is that. Your yeah. Shaki Yatsu's at it. I mean, yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of hard to unify a title, I mean, unify all these titles at a time where still mostly not people doing jobs in the promotion. Yeah. Yoshiaki Yatsu's out of action again with a broken leg. He had a main event on April 4th against Bruiser Brody for the international title. If he had won the match, he would have been in a unification match against Tenru. Well, let's talk about that show. Uh, 7200 at Aish Perfectual Gym in Nagoya. Missile One Motor Kenna Kabashi in your opening match. Toshi Kawada over Matoshi Okuma. Isao Takagi, Masafuchi, and Shinichi Nakano over Ruka Egan, Isamu Ternishi, and Mani Inoue. Shunji Takano over George Skolan, yes, the son of Arnold. Akira Tawe and Giant Baba over Goro Shiruma and Russia, Goro Shirumi and Russia Kimura, excuse me. John Tenton, the Great Kabuki over Austin Island, Wildfire Tommy Rich. Sure. <laughs> Jimmy Snook over Samson Fuyuki. Sure. Jumbo Sharuda and Tiger Mask Masao over Big Booba and Tom McGee. <laughs> sure. Sure, Hara and over Hiroshi Wajima and Takashi Shikawa, and then Brody and Yasu double count out. <laughs> this tour has got a list of Gaijin. My goodness gracious. What a group. And we're not done. Let me read this, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, April second, I, I put this because of the mainly because of who the matches on this show. April second at Takafu City Gym on in front of three three thousand fifty fans. Mitsuo over Shiosh Kikuchi, Haruka Egan over Kenakabashi, Mighty Inoue going to double count out with Shinichi Nakano, Sansa Fuyuki over Asama Terunishi, Giant Baba and Asatakagi over Gorosharumi. I can't talk tonight. And Rush Kamura by disqualification. Shunji Takano over George Skolan. Hiroshi Wajima over Tom McGee. Like Matt Classic. John Tenta and Takama Masawa over Austin Island, Tommy Rich. Revolution, Ashirahara, Tanuganichiro, and Toshikawa over Masafuchi, Takashikawa, and Great Kabuki. And Big Booba, Bruiser Brody, and Jimmy Snuka over Akira Tawe, Jumbo Shiruta, and Yoshiaki Yatsu. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So I mean, go ahead, bud. They just say, let's book three rednecks, a guy from New York, and one of the Islanders. Well, I mean, you look, you look at what you got going on here, okay? So you got Brody's crew, which is Island Rich. You got uh, Snooker, which I guess he counts as Brody's crew in a way. Big Booba, Big Booba, about to go WWF. Um, and then you got George Scolan, who, of course, Arnold Scolan's son. How, how was, yeah, I never saw him. How was he? 
You you would not know as Arnold Skull and Son. I've seen a little he's, of his Calgary stuff, but I don't know if I've seen the old. He's 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 uh, how would I describe him, Bo? That some he, something he, that you wouldn't know. I mean, I I don't even remember how he wrestled. I remember he was very he's, thickly built. He's kind of built like Moondog Moretti, Bo. Ed Moretti. Yes. Okay. And then Tom McGee, who had been here before, but there he is again. So, yeah. Island Rich, you know, of course, working with uh, Blackwell at the time as well. That's the Brody hookup. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, here's what Big says Wadjman McGee. Uh, from another match of theirs. This is for April 22nd. Oh, yeah, wait a sec. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, might as well, though. They so wrestle more than once. Why? <laughs> this is the, and this is the second match. This is the rematch. I've seen, so, I've seen this. So the one <laughs> from our week is not a TV taping? No. I threw it on there because it, it was these two facing off with each other. Why? Why? Oh, but what about those strikes, huh? <laughs> yeah. What is he doing? I forget if we've discussed my theory that Doug Furness is Tom McGee if Tom McGee actually understood wrestling. <laughs> Imagine Doug, uh, thinking about Doug Furness had Tom McGee's hair. Yeah. He'd been the bigger star in the business. But think about it, though. Like, aside from, like, the, oh, my God, that TNA kick just now. Why is he <laughs> kicking him in the hand? <laughs> um, What was I saying? Aside from, like, the karate aspect, though. Like, think about it. Like, strong man who is not built like a power lifter, like a stereotypical power lifter, but also, like, all around very athletic and, like, gymnastic. You know, seemingly, like, perfect. Uh, <laughs> What a belly to belly. Seemingly perfect, like, athletic skills, though, or athletic talents to be a pro wrestler, and one was Tommy <laughs> D and the other was Doug Furness. <laughs> <laughs> Tom is so this, fucking mechanical here. This looks like the video that was going around of the two drunk guys a few And the weeks thing ago. is... He's rest, been wrestling for two years at this point. Yeah. Well, been he took there. like a year off, didn't he? No, he's been, I mean, he took time off, but he had been in the business for over two years by this point in time. Well, here's the other thing. You watch. He's been working full runs in Stampede. Full well, tours. You watch his like stuff from when Calgary starts back up in eight, late 85. He is much better than he is here. He's, he, yeah, he was regressing. Yeah. Like, I remember the, the first time I, I watched that stuff in a long time, it was after seeing, you know, this, the stuff WWE put out, etc. And I c couldn't believe how, like, perfectly acceptable he looked. Yeah, he looked horrible here for some reason. Why, I don't know, but... I mean, he, he, he was, it seems like, well, he took a bunch of time off in 86 and then came back to do the WWF tryout, and then I guess he had already regressed by then, and it just well, kept getting worse. He, got, well, he yeah. got comfortable. He's not hungry anymore. He's not chasing. He, he's thinking, all right, I got it. I'm making this much money. I'm here. I'll just go on cruise control. But he didn't realize he had two flat tires when he went on cruise control. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we'll have more Tom McGee in just a second. Um, Stan Hansen's popularity is up in Japan again due to the Tenru angle early last month. Everyone in Japan from the press to the fans thought the thing was a shoot when Tenru kicked Hansen, who was flying the map for 45 seconds, before waking up and slapping the you-know-what out of Tenru. The thing was made stronger because Tenru left the arena early and Hansen went to the dressing room looking for him. And later that night, Hansen went to Tenru's hotel looking for him, and Tenru wouldn't leave his hotel room. Since Tenru was honest wrestler in Japan, the angle made the fans think Tenru was afraid of Hansen, which of course makes Hansen real and gets him the hot popularity of a Brody or Maeda. They didn't know what it was. Oh, that he's here for reliable sources. That was a work. It's a work. <laughs> I mean, if they're doing stuff where Hans is going to the hotel, I mean, yeah, that, that's a fucking work. But Dave's right. Hanson, who was always over, 88, he gets red hot over again and stays that way for the next years. And then teams with Tenru a year later. But, uh, and then turns on him again in 90. But, um, yeah, I mean, this this gets him back in that spotlight again because he lost some of it in the Choshu era in a way, and then now he's gained it back, his popularity. But, uh, yeah, he beat the shit out of that joker. I mean, he slapped his ass. It, look, it looked like it could have been real, but it wasn't. So, yeah, interesting stuff there. All right, Tom McGee, who's wrestling in prelims, is an interesting story. He debuted in October 1985. Anyone was thinking he'd be some sort of future superstar. At the bags, he even started pushing him. He had the physique of Lex Luger, the strength of a world powerlifting champion, and world's strongest man contest three-time winner. He was six foot five, weighed between 270 and 290, depending on what strength sport he was specializing in, and had a gymnastic and karate background, which gave him the agility of Chavo Guerrero. He started in Calgary, and every match he was, had was worse than the previous one. And got nowhere. Okay, so there we go. That explains that, because we're, what we're seeing in the early Calgary stuff is probably literally like his first two or three matches. And that's crazy that that's probably his best matches. It's his best performances. His best matches are the ones with Brett and DiBiase. Well, look who he's in with, Bix. Yes, but they also took fairly different approaches. Well, and the Arn match, too. But they took different Again. approaches. No, 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 that's not my point. They took different approaches to working with him, though, too, but he is—no, but I'm saying he is worse later. His performances are better earlier. It's just weird. Oh, and also, it didn't hit me until you were done, you moved on for some reason, but uh, the real famous thing about the Hanson angle is uh, that he yells out, nobody potatoes me. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Nobody potatoes me. Yeah. Like, audibly um, on the broadcast. But anyway, back to McGee. He went to Japan for a match with Riki Choshu, which was awful, but he showed incredible potential. Then the WS saw him in a match in Rochester against Bret Hart. He uh, had a good match with Hart. Man, man, the game thought he was Hulk Hogan's replacement because he looked so impressive. But he didn't realize it was, it was Bret who made McGee look good, as I was saying. And nobody else could. He worked with Terry Gibbs, other prelim guys in pathetic C-team matches for months, showing no improvement before disappearing to go back on the strength circuit in Europe. Unlike the Anabala Warrior, who had a similar physique and even less wrestling ability, McGee was also hampered by having no charisma, nor personality, and his interviews were beyond bad. Anyway, at two and a half years after he was supposed to be a second coming of Don Leo Jonathan, 
The guy is as bad as his first match, maybe worse, and appears to not have any future in the business. <laughs> He's going to be working on WF again in 1989, Dave. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well, then that's pretty much the end. I think that's the end. Yes, they gave up. Although, wait, when is his tour for Otto? Is that before or after the last WWF run? Uh, probably before. Okay. that Those are actually his worst performances. Like, you look at some of that stuff on YouTube, and he is even worse there than he is in the more famous matches. But he's proof, Bo, that, you know, if you look like he looks, you'll get so many freaking chances to to succeed. Yeah. And they won't give up on you for a while. Well, in his case, though, it wasn't just look, though. What was? Is he, is he still alive? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I met him in Vegas four years ago. Huh. Um, But what was I saying? But it wasn't just look. It was that he had that look, but also had the gymnastics background. Had the strength sports background, was a karate black belt. You know, that he had all these physical attributes that made you think that if he was just even decent, he would be a superstar wrestler. Yeah. The problem was, if he the light, come close if the to light, decent. If, yeah. If the light bulb would come on. But still, you if he did not look the way he looked, if he liked George Scolan, he wouldn't get that many chances. No, he's not getting no. as many chances, but... That's the most important thing. He really only gets a few chances, though. <sighs> yeah, way more than some other ones would have. <laughs> right. You know? My point is, though, this is not... This is not them taking some guy who's just a bodybuilder and putting all their hopes in him. It's that he's this super athletic freak who also looks like a bodybuilder. On top of everything else. And, you know, and is very, like, conventionally handsome and movie star good looks and all that. If Bill Kazmaier looked like he did, he would have got a lot more chances. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, Bill Kazmaier had that same pedigree other than the athletic ability, but he did. I mean, Bill Kazmaier did play football, but he was a, you know, he was a strong man. That was his thing, world's strongest man. And, but he looked, he looked like a, rough and tough man, you know, with short hair and balding, not, you know, with the, 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 the luxurious hair that Tommy Gee had here. And he looked know? like he'd kill you for a quarter. Yeah, exactly. And that's why he only got one, basically one shot. And that was in WCW. And then that didn't last. So, you know, it, again, it's all cosmetic. How, how old was he when WCW finally got him? Oh shit! He's in his thirties because Kazmaier uh, was he around had, in the early eighties. Yeah, he had been in Continental. He'd been in Calgary. I mean, Kazmaier and he's thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah, thirty-seven. Okay. Yeah, because he was doing stuff in the seventies. Like you watch the old uh, World Strongest Man broadcast from the old days, and he's uh, he's you know part of it. Mm-hmm. He he first places in seventy-nine, and then he first wins in eighty. Yeah. So yeah, he was on the seat when CBS had it. He was on it. Yeah. Seventy nine and eighty, I think, were the years that had all the pro wrestlers in it, right? Seventy nine was uh, Superstar Billy Graham, if I'm not mistaken. 
because 77 was Patera, 78 was Putski. No, 80 was Superstar Billy Graham. 79 was uh, blah, 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 Jerry Blackwell. 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 Who came in last, yeah. zero points injured. Yeah, 80 was Superstar Billy Graham and Cleve Dean, who would uh, wrestle some as well. Um, well Graham yeah. didn't come in last. No, he didn't come in last. So he but, got he got his shot at WCW a full decade after that. And Tom McGee's in eighty two. That's his debut. In World's Strongest Man. Yep. Finished second to Bill Kazmaier. That is kind of insane. Like I know he was heavier when he did the World's Strongest Man type stuff. But you don't still... you don't look the same guy. Short hair, too. No, but still, McGee was not built like a Kazmaier though. He was no, still he was tall. Yeah, tall, like still naturally going to have the skinnier waist and Ranging. stuff. Yeah, like the fact that he could play second to Bill Kazmaier in World's Strongest Man at his peak, despite not being built like the other World's Strongest Man types, is kind of insane. Like, that's what I'm talking about with McGee, that like he's this package that you don't expect and really doesn't come around often. But he also looks like he looks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, including, that's what I'm, I'm trying to say. Including the look in the package, yes. Yeah. He just didn't have the mental aspect of the business. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll give it. Okay, Bex. Okay. What if Tom still had the short hair? Does that make – do you think that makes a difference in your in your eyes? Then? If he still had short hair, not the long – the hair he has, Maybe you know. Maybe a little. Uh, yeah, it does. Okay. The hair is the most important thing, I think, with Tom McGee. But anyway, enough about Tommy Gee. When the Malinkos were in Japan, they met Mike Tyson, who was all the rage over there. Tyson thought they were the British Bulldogs, and they pretended that they were until Tyson asked if he could pet Matilda. <laughs> but what is this proof? What's this proved that Tyson was a wrestling fan? You know? Yes. As we talked about on you know in the Patreon show, patreon.com slash Twitter Sheets. Why would he think they were the British Bulldogs though? They were short and muscular. Short hair. Yeah. They were not nearly as muscular as, well, Dynamite's smaller, but still on steroids at this point. They're definitely, they're nowhere near Davy's size. It's Mike Tyson, Biggs. Keep that in your mind, too. Uh, yeah, uh, of uh, Cold Stone and Steve Michaels fame. <laughs> Steve Michaels. But, uh... <laughs> He knew the value, brothers. <laughs> oh, that's his wheelhouse right there. Yeah, you know? yeah. But anyway, all right, let's move on now to New Japan for wrestling for a small news bit. Ron Simmons may be headed to Japan in May, which doesn't happen. He doesn't work New Japan until 91, so there's that. And now we go to the top story for the week. Akira Maeda officially announced this past week he's restarting Universal Wrestling Federation, and their first card would take place on May 12th at Corkett Hall. Joining Maeda with a new promotion will be Nobika Takada, probably the most talented of all the Japanese wrestlers, and Kazuo Yamazaki as the top stars, along with prelim wrestlers Yoji Anjo, Tatsuo Nakano, and Shigami Ado, all of whom were members of the original UWF organization, which closed up in September 1985. The official announcement was that this was to take place on April the 8th, but the story was broken a few days earlier. Of course, his promotions matches will be wrestled in the same style as the old UWF with virtually no showmanship. They concentrate on karate kicks and submission holds, and in the interview, Maeda said the promotion would return to his hard martial arts style. 
The old UWF, which lasted 17 months till folding, achieved the cult status in Tokyo and some of the bigger cities, but couldn't draw well on the road because they didn't have television. And because the style of any high spots wasn't easily understood by anyone but the hardcore fans who were generally located in the big cities. An interesting thing is this group isn't going to run tours like the other promotions, but instead run one big show per month for only the big cities. For example, after the first show, they won't return to Tokyo until August. Probably the new 10,000-seat Coliseum that's being built, and we'll run a big show in Sapporo over the summer, and won't debut in Osaka till December. My day was suspended by a new fan for delivering a legit kick to the face of Ricky Choshu, which broke two bones underneath Choshu's eye on November 19th. And then was fired March 1st when he failed to come to terms with new fan Booker. Seiji Sanguchi originally wanted Maeda to take a 15% pay cut and tour Mexico, which he refused, and later supposedly agreed he'd welcome Maeda back if he would do a job for Choshu and Antonio Noki. Dave would think this group would have a difficult time making it, simply because it would be difficult to keep promotion going on one show per month. Gates and subsequent videotape sales with no TV income and exposure. <laughs> oh, that's that's hilarious. Uh, Yoshiki Fujiwara and Osama Kido, who were stars of the old UWF, re-signed with New Japan, so they won't be making the jump. You know, those contracts all expired in the March. Yes, in these days, the contracts ran out in March, not January. And officially gave notice to Gucci as they're leaving on April the 1st. It appears the Forge Hallett will be booked through Carl Gotcha, Florida. It'll probably include mainly the pupils of Boris Malenko's wrestling school and perhaps some Europeans. Ironically, in Takata Yamazaki's last match in New Japan on March 19th at Corken Hall, another unfortunate incident took place. They were wrestling Kobayashi and Norionaga, and Kobayashi slapped Yamazaki hard in the face at the bell. Yamazaki, who knew he was quitting, then kicked Kobayashi hard in the face, and the two began the brawl with several of the wrestlers having to break it up. Later in the match with Kobayashi Otakata in the Domino Stretch, Yamazaki attempted to kick Kobayashi hard in the face again. Uh, all right. Boy, is it funny, Bix, to read that Dave sentence about uh, him thinking that they're going to have a difficult time in making it, knowing what we know. And, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, but, I mean, because, Dave, this once-a-month style of running shows and in the big cities – they're drawing ten thousand, you know, ten thousand people at most of these shows. Doing big business, huge ticket uh, sales. I mean, it's crazy the business they do. Yes, and I'm sure they have help from some local businesses as well. Yeah, well, hey, whatever help matters, you know, it, it all adds up to the bottom line. Yeah, I forget what was the name of the guy though in the office who. Maeda has the falling out with that leads to this promotion. Uh, oh, uh, uh, but, 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 Shinji Jin? Jin Shinji Jin. Yes. Yeah, Jin. Yes. Um, okay, I'm looking at your second generation UWF results to see who some of these foreigners are and refresh my memory. Okay, Norman Smiley's on. Well, Norman Smiley's on the second and third shows. Um, Gerard Gordo making his pro wrestling debut. Oh, I presume the uh, new Coliseum in the Tokyo area is Ariaki Coliseum? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who do I have? Who, who else do we have here? Norman Smiley. Mar who's Who was Mark Rush, anyway? Mark Rush? Yeah. He doesn't even uh, have a cage match profile, but I think he there, was there a few times. Uh, he was just a, a guy, basically. Yeah. Um, Bart Vale was what? Originally like a kickboxer who then trained with Carl Gotch? Some of that, yeah. You know, Backlund has his couple matches. 
more Mark Rush and Bart Vale and Norman Smiley. They really don't have that many foreigners in this version of the UWF. The Kozlowski brothers. Yeah, not up to them yet. Oh, Chris Dolman gets his pro wrestling star in this UWF. Not the football player. Oh, <laughs> Jumbo Beretta. Jumbo Beretta, yeah. As Johnny Barrett, yeah. Um, is that it? It's almost at the end, I think. But yeah, so I love the idea of, like, how Dave's saying no theatricality or whatever he said to it. It's UWF style. Like, in the evolution or whatever you want to call it of shoot style, like, it is basically just New Japan with less flashy high spots. In a way, yeah. Because the way, like, it always stuck with me was the the last time I watched the uh, April 95 Weekly Pro Dump Show. And I, I think it was whenever the first time it was that I got, like, the pro shot version as opposed to the super handheld of the big screen. And they put all the shoot style matches on that card back to back. And in that context, boy, does UWFI just look like it's basically New Japan, but with some theoretically realistic spots instead of full on pro wrestling. The style, the selling, yeah. the pacing, etc. Yeah. Oh, we forgot about Dirk Verge making his uh, debut in the second UWF. Actually,. I can, I'm glad you mentioned him because I was watching a show and um, they 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 pronounced his name as uh, was I think Dick Fry. I think that is the correct pronunciation. Yeah, Dick Dick Fry. Dick Leon Dick Fry. Fry. Yeah, yeah. Did not Dirt <laughs> Yeah. Oh, also. Oh, we forgot Wellington Wilkins Jr. Of course. But both. I mean. If if you're not going to be able to draw on these smaller towns and your bread and butter is running the big cities, I mean, going to a one-show-a-month format makes total sense business-wise. Yeah. And it's <laughs> – that's still the case now. The big cities are your hardcore fans and your smarter fans and small uh, – <clears throat> smaller towns. They just come to see wrestling. They want to see good guys, bad guys, and a personal issue. And that has never changed through the years in the wrestling profession. But, I mean, they're doing 10,000 seats with no TV. Yeah. Nobody else in the world was doing that. No. No. I mean, nobody. No, and I mean they created they tapes. created their fan base. They created what they did just by word of mouth and their work. Well, it, I mean the thing too is that you know they all mainly had the cachet for New Japan Television, yeah, which helps out. But still, I mean the fact that they're still able to promote these shows on a regular basis. And draw those type of houses with nothing backing them up, you know, other than their names in a way. I mean, that's a, that's pretty stout. Now, the guys that they flew in, were they getting them booked on other cards or just nope. wanted and go home? That's it. One yeah. and done. One so and they, done. They were taking some major gambles. Yeah. 
Well, they had money. That's what they had the bag. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, also, they're probably paying them really well because... I forget the specifics, but I read from it once. Uh, someone at Wrestling Classics a couple of years ago posted a contract from the first UWF. So when they were doing the small tours and may not have even been straight up shoot style yet. And they were paying like even like unknown Malenko students like ridiculous money. So I got to think anyone that's doing this is being well compensated to do the one booking. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and this this second run, uh, yeah, the first run, uh, people forget that first run was uh, successful, but not near. I mean, not, not close to what this run is. I mean, they're running Cork and Hall, they're running Tokyo a lot, but they're. I mean, it's just it's not even close to how successful this run was. So. All right, the martial arts exhibition card took place on April 2nd, Tokyo Sumo Hall, which included having shoot boxing, boxing, karate, judo, shooting, the sport Satoru Sayama founded, along with both men and women's pro wrestling. The show was dedicated to the late Iki Kajiwara, the cartoonist who created the Tiger Mask character, and the promoters wanted Sayama, the original Tiger Mask, and Mitsuru Masawa, who's Baba's Tiger Mask on the show. Baba team with Tiger Mask beating Abdul the Butcher and George Skolan. While Masafuchi beat rookie Kendo Kabashi to retain the PWF Junior title. JWP had a match where Harley Saito beat Miss A and Rumi Kazama, the most popular figure in their group, beat Kitty Suzuki. Miss Ayama had one of his shooting matches with an unknown opponent. So here's our first Kanjuar Memorial Show, which they would keep going. Or at least they would be more of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what is shoot boxing? It's kickboxing with takedowns. And I think also standing submissions. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's exactly what Big said. Yeah. So, yeah, then some of these, I mean, I think maybe almost all of these shows are on YouTube now. Yes, although a, a bunch of them are like edited down to an hour, though. Well, of course, it's a commercial like, video. Yeah, this one doesn't have any complete matches. The second one is the one that has the first Onita Ayagi match for FMW. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's complete, though. And that's a hell of a match. Um, yeah. And also, they were technically... I mean, they're largely pro wrestling shows. But I think they were they were promoted by Ishii and Saito Kaiken, right? Yes. It's also yep. an early link in the chain of uh, K1. Mm-hmm. All Japan Women. Shikusha Nagayo and All Japan Women's promotion made a tour of Thailand two weeks back. They were all the rage of that nation, drunk out across between eight to 11,000 fans and lots of newspaper headlines. The Bangkok newspaper called the Japanese women the new craze of Thailand. Still not everyone was impressed. One newspaper reporter wrote, I didn't know that women's wrestling was drawing so much attention to Thailand. The visit of Japanese wrestlers created tremendous interest, and according to promoter Sompop Sisamwonse, a record crowd is spent the night at National Stadium. How surprising it is that a few women with about two months of training, especially big framework, a few flying kicks, and some TV exposure could be a draw here when traditional Olympic sports like Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling failed to find a foothold. What is he talking about with the two months of training? I don't know. Huh. Okay. Um, they did a bunch of these tours, but they didn't always get that much attention outside of Thailand, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, 
I mean, it was something that was different for Thailand. That's why I drew so much. Did they ever run in the States after Beauty Bear era when they were running in Hawaii? And I guess Guam, no. if we count Guam. No, not that I know of. Because I got the impression no. from the newspaper reports that those shows drew well. It just, it, as far as I know, they never did, so. Well, and they also had TV at the time. They were running off of the TV. Yeah. And I'm not sure how long that lasted. Jumping Bob Angels have returned, build as WF Tag Champions, and they defend their titles on Yokohama on April 2nd against Mitsuko Nishiwaki and Yumiko Hota. Now, uh, the Fire Jets. Now, more retirements are in the offing as Kazuhiro Nakaori, 19, and Kondor Saito, 20, announced their retirements on April 2nd. 19 and 20. This brings the number the, the number of girls to seven who have the promotion this December. Others were Dump Matsumoto, Yukari Amori, and Devil Masami. All important wrestlers to the group, along with prelim girls Kyoko Aso and Sayuri Nakajima. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Dump Amori and Masami all aged out and turned 26, right? Yeah, but these girls were retiring at 19 and 20. So is that over injuries, or...? Well, they come back. <sighs> well, Saito does, does Nakahori? yeah. Pretty damn sure she does. No, she don't. Sorry, I was I was wrong. She made fifteenth, nineteen eighty eight was her last match. She was a hell of a worker. Only worked four years. But think about that, Bo. Retiring at nineteen and twenty. How how young did they allow them to start? I think fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen. And then they they were done at twenty six. That was yeah. My gosh, it's a teenage girl taking that much abuse. Yeah, well, not only just the Japanese dojo system stuff, but you have them working arguably the hardest style in the world, doing more dates than basically anyone other than WWF guys at the time. Yeah. And even in that case, they were probably a bunch of them working more than a lot of WWF guys. Yeah. Just burnt. Beat up and ready to go home. I mean, you know, as much as we can point to the whole idol culture thing in Japan and how the early retirement age was taken from that, it's probably also that the style was not sustainable past no. that point, especially if you're yeah. starting as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're still, they're, their bodies are still developing, they're still growing, they're kicking the crap out of each other, getting dropped on their head suplexed every which way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris, you were thinking of Yumi Ogura that came back. Okay. Protecting partner. All right. Uh, the results of that show in Yokohama, we have Erika Shishido and Nobuko Kimura went to a, well, a known finish with uh, Mika Takahashi and Kaoru Maeda. A.K.A. Aja Kong and Bison Kimura versus Mika Takahashi and Infernal Keiru. Dynamite King, Dynamite Queen, and Dynamite Jack went against Linus Asuka, Hisaka Uno, and Mika Suzuki. Uno, of course, is Akira Hokuto. Then the Jump Bomb Angels retained their titles over the Fire Jets, and then Chigusa retained her Triple WA opposite title, beating Bull Nakano. And she is still teenage dumps army look bull here, right? Yeah, yes. When does she switch to the weird mohawk or whatever? Not mohawk, the spiky hair or whatever you want to call it. I'm thinking... Uh, 89? 89 or 90, yeah. 
Let's go to Calgary. And lots of shit going on there. April 1st in Calgary drew a few tickets side of a total sellout of 1,800 fans. That's Jonathan Holiday pin Gilles de Fosse in 955 in the worst match at Calgary in many months. <laughs> Holiday messed up moves that even the densest fans noticed. Biff Wellington beat Goldie Rogers in a good match. Sunni Warcloud cradled Hashif Khan. Shion Shimoto in a fair match. Powerlifter shot putter Willie Seymour made his Calgary debut. He wears silver dates on the road in a losing effort against Champagne Jerry Morrow. Seymour is green, but not as stiff as many lifters that debuted here. Cuban assassin handled, handed Morrow an object, which he KO'd Seymour with for 12 minutes. Chris Benoit was a double count with Cuban assassin, Alan Cevedo, in an actually feel good match. Very good match in 16 minutes. Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman retained their international tag titles, beating the Midnight Cowboys, Carrie Brown, Rip Rogers, in 20 minutes when uh, Bruce printed uh, Carrie Brown. Pillman had to work most of the match because Bruce isn't 100% due to his eye injury. Match is very good. Just after the pinfall, Johnny Smith, Mucket Singh, and manager Abdul Wazal ran into a tag baby faces. Wazal was about five feet tall, climbed to the top rope, and Wayne Hart pulled his leg, and the manager crossed herself on the top rope, which is poetic just of sorts, since heels have been doing this constantly of late to Owen Hart and Brian Pillman. Then we had Jason the Terrible and Owen Hart coming in for the make, make the save. And then Mehmet drew the sellout. Owen Hart and Jason beat Johnny Smith and Muck and Singh by the Q in a street fight in 15 minutes. Brawl from bell to bell with all four men juicing. Jason juicing heavily. Uh, Smith and Jason brought out Southern Ring for more than five minutes at one point while Owen and Muckin were brawling both in and out of the ring. Finally, Carrie Brown and Red Rogers didn't run in as the heels were getting creamed for the DQ. Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman followed up. At one point during the match, Johnny Smith used an empty 45-gallon drum on Jason in the crowd. After the obligatory post-match challenges announced that on April 8th, it'd be headlined by an eight-man street fight. However, because of all the fighting in the stands during the match, the Calgary Boxing and Wrestling Commission refused to allow the match. So instead, there'll be a regular eight-man tag with two referees, plus Britt Bronski returning from his ankle injury team and Willie Seymour against Cuban assassin and Jerry Morrow. Ah, the commission... Yeah. Fighting the crowd. We can't have them. And they had a city commission in Calgary. Yeah, this is the city commission, not did state. Calgary have the smallest arena for headquarters. I was about to ask that because I had never eighteen hundred seats. Yeah, I had never given much thought to how many people uh, the pavilion held. Yeah, you I mean you can tell on TV it's I always figure that between 1500 and 2000 just from tv so, All right, so okay so let's think about it um i mean as far as when, other when you when you or, when, when you talk about headquarters i mean that's that's the money town of the week that's where everybody lives okay. that's the because i mean uh, you know memphis had memphis atlanta had atlanta uh you know, the building in Portland held more than this. Yeah. Um, they could fit, what, like 2,000 in Portland? Civic Coliseum in Nos was bigger. Yeah. Um, what was the home base when Kingsport was its own territory? Well, there was two weekly buildings that made the money, and they were about, about this size, maybe a little more. The John City Rec and uh, Civic Auditorium and Kingsport, but the Auditorium and Kingsport at that time had bleachers and, and more it was bigger um, would okay okay would you count rup arena as the home base of icw 
No, I would count the Clay County High School. There you go. Because they they ran it, but even it's bigger than this. That that that's one that's right there though. I mean, close. Well, did the, the, ICW ever run Rupp on their own? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. did well. Um, I guess Oak Hill, the the West Virginia territory, their biggest building was Bluefield, but that that's bigger than this. Bluefield's about thirty five hundred. How big was um? Uh, Houston County Farm Center in Dothan. Oh, about three thousand. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because you had you had uh, concrete bleachers on both sides that went way up and way long because it was a full rodeo arena. Yeah. And then you had all you had hundreds of seats on a couple of hundred seats on the floor. How about how about the fairgrounds in Nashville? That was that wasn't the money town of the week though. It was for Goulas. No, it wasn't. Split. No, it wasn't. Chattanooga was. See, I, I wouldn't even I thought I thought about Chattanooga that way because of that, uh, Chat Chattanooga Thorn. was where the TV was done. That was where the angles were shot, and that was the money town of the week. Forty four hundred seats in Chattanooga, and and they also had the bout well. Yeah, because yeah, well, you always think of the other promoters though. That's the yeah. thing. Harry Thornton and the guy in Birmingham. Oh shit! What was his yeah, name? Yeah, but they they really weren't the promoters. They were okay. they did the local running. They had a small they had a piece of it, kind of like Paul Jones in Atlanta to use their name. They were given a payoff and do minimal work. That was I can't remember that dude and uh, Birmingham's name. That was was doing that. Was, his name was used as a promoter. Shit. I'm just. What, what about McGurk's? Uh, oh, go ahead. What about McGurk's territory? What was the biggest building that he ran? Tulsa. After the split, you mean? Tulsa. They ran the yeah. fairgrounds. Yeah, fair Tulsa fairgrounds is bigger than that. Yeah. Chilawi. And they ran. They ran the. They ran the. They ran the National Guard Armory in Oklahoma City, and they ran the the fairgrounds in Tulsa. So they ran they ran the guard army in Little Rock too for years. And then and then they moved the Barton. So they had the bad yeah, Barton Coliseum. Yep. When it was built. Yep. Uh so here's the thing. But, 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 but big... Edmonton, Edmonton was a bigger building than Calgary, though. And that's and how that's big... on Saturday nights. That was Sales Pavilion. Oh God, how big was that place? Uh, but how did they how did they draw there? Pretty pretty stout. Okay. Um, I don't. Okay, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know what it would be now as far as uh, attendance. I, oh, the money, well, the I just realized the money town, like when they started running there, was Vancouver at the PNE. They didn't. They only ran there for, for a few months, basically. I yeah. Know, I'm just. I'm just yeah. Thinking, like that's Tomco. That's Tomco's territory. They were in a position for a little bit. Here's the thing. You never, ever hear anybody say Stu Hart was a terrible payoff guy. No. You never hear anybody say we starved to death in Calgary. No. You you never hear anything bad about them. So that means per capita, Stu had to be paying better than any other promoter in North America. I mean, the worst thing you hear about Calgary is weather, road trips, and trips. Like yeah. Well, I was going to say Calgary and, ri- and ribs. 
In ribs. In ribs, yeah. but, but people love, I mean, you know, tell some territories. Look at how people, they talked about Stu, a- Abby. Abby, yeah. bo- I mean, love that man. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he was, they were, you know, it was beloved because mm-hmm. Stu, Stu was Stu, but I mean, you were like part of the family. The, uh, no world, I, I can't think of any world champion that refused to go there. Flair never went. Yeah, I don't know Flair if that's refused. I, I don't know if that's the thing. I don't know if that would be refused. I mean, that's well, probably he, he never went. That's probably just you switching to Bachwinkle because it's easier to get dates. Yeah, that's what I would imagine. Well, that by that time they created their own world champion. No, that was later. No, but they they had they had they had a world champion, but they never used him. You know what I'm saying? They they supposedly had that. That deal where they had a world champion, but they never brought him in until they, cre- they did that thing in '84 with Matt Superstar as the IWA world champion. Yeah, because Bob Winkle, Bob Winkle goes into Calgary in '81, and that's the last time he goes. No, he definitely did the '82 Stampede Week. I I've seen it. '82. He made that '82, '81, '82. It's one of them. But after that, no, no more. He's not there in '83. That's for sure. Know that for a fact. So, so, but small. I mean, like it's like Don Owens. It's like Ron Wright here. They kept small crews, and they paid well. Yeah, Bach was there in '82 and '83. I just, yeah, just look. He didn't do Stampede Week in '83 though. He did April '83. Yeah, I see that now. Yeah, I do see that now. The O'Burke. And, and, and Doctor D to learn, and Doctor D Vancouver, and then he did Vancouver against Doctor D in August, but that's it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Stampy was a learning territory. So, if they were doing Vancouver in August '83, that means they were running there for at least a year. It, but not on a, reg, a, a, a not on a regular regular basis. They weren't yeah. going at least monthly or anything like that. Okay. I mean, not a, again regular. I when I think regular, I think like weekly. Oh, you're thinking hitting it as a weekly town? Okay. Actually, I mean they they started in Vancouver earlier in '83. Um, I think they start in April. Yeah, April sounds about right. I mean they had TV there earlier for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the earliest result in Vancouver for Brett is April '83. Yeah. So. All right now, speaking of Edmonton. April 2nd and drew 1,100 fans and a $9,800 gate as Jonathan Holiday pin Gilles de Fosse using the rest for leverage, one star. Will they see more over Goldie Rogers with a splash at the press slam, three quarters of a star? Champagne Jerry Morrow over Sunny Warcloud, two stars. Benoit over Cuban Assassin, three stars. Midnight Cowboys over Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman, bad company by DQ and attack title match. Good, but not spectacular. No star rating. Muck and singing it. Well, I'm not done yet, I guess. Muck and singing it. Fear gave Pillman the Karachi crunch. And then Brown went for the pin, but the two Owen ran in, kicked him, but the ref saw that and took off a DQ. Three and a quarter stars. Well, the men this saw Jason Owen in the street fight going to WQ with Muckin and Johnny Smith and a bloody brawl with lots of juice, ending with the Midnight Cowboys and Bad Company and Fear to set the eight man tag on April 10th. Four stars. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Stampede '88 is a is a hell of a hell of a territory, hell of a territory. 
Yes. And uh, as usual, I would thank Star Ratings, courtesy of Trent Walters. Yes. And they're drawing better than any of the other territories other than Memphis. It's still left. Yeah. I mean, there's two towns of, you know, there are almost 3,000 tickets sold in two days. Yeah, and the thing is with them is they, I mean, WWF is not really competition. Right. I'm, because I'm they're about, wor- they're working with them. Yeah. So they're, they're not competition. So they don't have that as like the big time wrestling is coming around my area that much. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit different for them. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're doing good. Jason the Terrible, Carl Moffat said in Japan in May. So there's that. That's Seymour from, Gaspar, right? Or is he Jason first? That's Gaspar. Okay. And Seymour is from the Bahamas. Shot putter in the Pan American Games. Later went on to the University of Missouri. So there's um, that. Oh, wait a second. A uh, Bahamian wrestler in Stampede again? Yeah. Who's, boot, who's bootlicking their TV abroad this time? <laughs> they always found ways to get some, uh, get some talent from these uh, islands to come in. That's for sure. Yes, and they... <laughs> And a lot of the time, there were places where Stampede TV was being bootlegged. Yeah. You know, of course, there's the famous story of the Antigua tour. Yeah. Because Charles Buffon uh, was in the territory and told them how big they were on TV from the bootlegged TV. Yep. All right. Uh, let's go to Puerto Rico. WC. No lucha this week. As uh, we go to San Juan, April 2nd, in front of 10,000 fans. Tony well, Fall. Wait. What? They're drawing. Tony Yeah. Here's the well, they never drew after, you know, whatever different times. They they still kept big houses until when? Early nineties? Later than that. Yeah. Later than when that. when did it really drop off? Mid nineties. Mid nineties? Yeah. yeah. And then they had that big explosion again in the early two thousands. When they stop bringing in, you know, decent names from um, America, that's when it stopped. Basically. Yeah. All right. Tony Fall won the junior way title of Huracan Castillo Jr. Eddie Gilbert went against uh, Miguel Perez Jr., no result listed. Invader won, won the TV title from Super Black Ninja, Keiji Muto. Manny Fernandez went against Invader 3, no result listed. Bobby Jaggers and Dan Crawford, the new Candace Jayhawks. Uh, defended the Caribbean tag titles against Ricky and Rob with the Rock and Roll Express. So they work in Puerto Rico too. And then Hercules Ayala retained the Universal Heavyweight title being Carlos Colon. Hmm. Eddie and Rock and Roll are all over the place. Mm hmm. Yes, they are. And uh, yeah, 88, 88 uh, Puerto Rico before, I mean, before Brody's murder. I mean, yeah, they, they had a, a lot of good talent coming in. A lot of good talent coming in. And we'll still get it in after he, after he was murdered, too, but just a different sentiment at those shows, that's for sure. All right, it is now halftime. So that's some great uh, 1988 commercials, fifth and a halftime, some of the show, where we'll talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back. Bo will be back with us as we go back to the United States. We've got news on Buck Robley shaking things up for Jerry Blackwell's promotion. We got uh, USA Wrestling in Knoxville, one of their very first TV shows, and some awesome stuff with Ron Wright. And uh, we got Memphis, where uh, Eddie Marlin's in a big angle with the Gilberts. 
We have Brother Ernest, Jerry Law, Kurt Henning. We got a lot. So all that more after the break. Prepare yourself for an evening of top-notch excitement. Wrestling's back at the Showboat. It's Rage in the Cage 2 featuring Wahoo McDaniel against Kurt Hennig in a classic grudge match. Baron Von Raschka and Ray Stevens take on TJ Khan and Soldat Ustinov. Greg Gagne fights it out with Paul Diamond. And Rock and Roll Express battles the Nasty Boys. It's a full evening with the baddest bashers in the business. Reserve seats $12, general admission 10, kids 7. Wrestling Saturday, April 16th, 7.30 at the Boat. In a consumer magazine test of 48 moisturizers, YouthGuard ranked in the top three. Impressive results. YouthGuard with Paba moisturizes and helps keep your skin from aging too soon. Moisturizing plus proven performance. YouthGuard. Sometimes the most important thing you can wear is MaxiThins. Get full protection in a thin pad. MaxiThins. It may be the most important thing you wear. Jack Watson is 81 today. I wish I could do it again because I had that much fun. But this year, he's celebrating in his grandson David's body. I'm 18 again. A pure delight. <laughs> Rollicking good fun. Should be the time of your life. Charlie Slatter is a real find. Put it back. I can't write this review. I can't stop laughing. 18 again. Rated PG. Premieres tomorrow at a theater near you. Special blessings, adorable dolls who share the joy of counting blessings with your child. I love to care for special blessings, brushing, combing, laughing, dressing. She's my best friend night and day. I love her so in every way. Special blessings, new from Kenner. Peace and quiet are not part of this job. Headaches are. I used to take aspirin or Tylenol, but today my choice is Advil. My doctor told me to try Advil. He said it contains the same medicine as in the prescription brand Motrin. You know, doctors put so much trust in Advil, their recommendations have grown each year and now total over 15 million. Advil gets rid of my headaches, and it's gentler to my stomach than aspirin. Advil, advanced medicine for pain. Sunday has been a massive guerrilla offensive against the government. We're cut off. Get our Navy people out. Supercarrier at a special time, 7, 6 Central. I don't want to die here. That. Spectre. This man kills for pleasure. Sean Connery from Russia with love at the Supercarrier Sunday. You know, Oscar's a guy who really knows how to attract a mixed crowd. I like that in a statue. Monday, the 60th Annual Academy Awards, live. In response to our challenge, people attempted to stain new wear-dated carpet with stain blocker in some very imaginative ways. Of course, they didn't have much luck, but they sure had fun trying. Wide oval solid. It works better than the leading solid. 
If you're one of the thousands of people who asked for a free sample of where dated carpet with stain blocker and tried it, you'll probably like to know what steps to take to buy it. Wear dated, please. So call for the dealer near you and ask for it. Perfect choice. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles in my way. No other glass cleaner works like Glass Plus. It sprays, and now, with a flick, it foams to stay where you want it and clean without streaking. Gonna be bright, bright, Glass Plus days. Glass Plus cleans glass, plus a whole lot more. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1988 commercials as we pivot to halftime seven in the show, where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And yes, as you heard at the beginning of the show, we have the newest Patreon show up for $5 a month. And it covers uh, Mike Tyson's Road to WrestleMania 25 years ago. Hard to believe, but yes, it's true. So uh, we'll have all the discussion there about uh, how that went down. And we did a hard sell at the beginning of the show. So I'm not going to go too far on this one in this section. But um, we go into all the nego negotiations, then Mike showing up on TV, and then the whole thing with Mike and Don King having their falling out. Thanks for Shane McMahon. And then uh, the press conference, WrestleMania press conference. Mike Tyson joining DX, turning on DX at WrestleMania proper, then uh, revealing the big master plan after the show that gets forgotten in a week. And, uh, yeah, so a very, very interesting show. Five dollars a month, patreon.com slash twin the sheets. So you definitely want to uh, listen to that. And in April, we'll stay in 1998 as we look back now at 25 years of Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff. That's right. Yes, we look at that whole situation, which led up to the big night in Greenville in September 98. But everything begins in April 98. So, uh, We'll have all the stuff that happened there between Rick and Eric, the beefing over uh, Rick one time off, and this, that, and the other. And, yeah, so it should be quite the show. And it will be just a one-part show, so it won't be a multiple series. So that's good because we have something we want to do in May, too. So we're going to be able to do it. And so, June. Uh, and beyond, and, actually. And, we yeah, have a few so, ideas uh, queued up. Yeah. So uh, we, got, uh, we got quite an interesting set of uh, shows coming up, folks. So you definitely want to be part of that. So patreon.com slash 20 sheets, $5 a month gets you access to all the audio that we've done in our six plus years of the Patreon. So a ton of audio for very little money. So uh, everything else is going up in the world. Groceries are going up, you know, rent's going up and you know, apartments and stuff, which Bix knows well now, and just everything's going up. So <laughs> our Patreon hasn't gone up. So, yes, a great bargain. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets, $5. And that it comes up to $50.40 for the $5 tier per year. Yes, if you pay Six a year in advance. Yes. So 16% off of that. And that covers all the tiers, too, in its own percentage way. So there's that. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord and fans in this segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week, which we will have uh, one next week, but it will be more than just $25. We'll get in that in a second. Um, $25 allows you to pick the show, like I said. And uh, 
Have two shows in your mind, just in case uh, the show that you may want to do can't be done for various reasons. It could be something that we've talked about already. It could be some a week that somebody else has already picked on the calendar. So, um, yeah, have that. Uh, have two shows in your mind. Ask Bix uh, or myself about that. We'll try to make sure everything gets uh, taken care of. You, you uh, get clarification on your show. Let us know why you want to do the show. Of course, you got the ten-year rules in effect. Thirty days before you want to do your show, let us know about it. Wednesday to Tuesday in the timeline. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website to get that information to us, and we should be able to get it taken care of. So do that, and you'll be good to go. Fifty dollars I send for a segment of the show if you choose, and a hundred for the whole show if you choose, which we'll have next week. So um, yeah, should be good to go. Once you get all that taken care of, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big Swift, this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right, so let's thank. Uh, first, we have a increase from the dollar a month tier to the $5 a month tier from T space RB or TRB. I don't know. Thanks, TRB, for doing the upgrade. Yes. Well appreciated. And then everyone else is just a new or returning uh Five, five dollar subscriber. Uh, wait, hold on. Oh wait, I see what happened. I had I somehow pasted it twice. I was worried that I messed something else worse than that, but I did not. All right. Yes, the rest of them are regular five dollar a month uh, newer returning subscribers. So we would like to thank uh, Nick Testarelli. Thanks, Nick. LF Doom. Thanks, LF Doom. Nick in the MF Doom. I'm assuming it's a reference to MF2. I would think so, yes. Amp Williams. Amp. And Richard Mann. Thanks, Richard Mann. So we think new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have left, came back. We thank all you, the ones that even uh, stay from the beginning. We definitely thank you and never left us. We thank everyone for your support at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix. As we record this, WrestleMania weekend's in full force, but uh, now it's time for the Aftermania discussion from our streaming services. So, what's going on with IWTV and Fight this week? Yes, as we record this uh, during the ROH Supercard of Honor Zero Hour pre-show, which, you know, is not part of Fight Plus, but remember, you can eat when you, well, we'll get to Fight Second, but... For fight, the referral also works as far as us getting the referral fee on pay-per-views as well. But anyway, we'll start with IWTV. And on there, they've got a few things of note coming up this week. On Monday, the day this comes out, they've got another one of their Monday night H2O shows with Hustle Palooza 2023. And that is headlined by Matt Tremont defending the IWTV Independent Wrestling World Championship against Brandon Kirk in their ongoing uh, rivalry. Also, Manders defends the H2O championship and more. So that's going to be Monday, a.k.a. the night this, well, the day this comes out at 8 p.m. West Coast Pro is back this week. Friday at 10 Eastern. Does not, unless it just didn't get changed on the IWTV end yet, I'd have to check. I don't think this is the one they're uh, renaming for Matt Man as Kid Zombie. I can double check real quick. Do you happen to remember? Is that like the, if that was their next show, or if that's a few weeks out? I thought it was in late April. 
Okay, give me one second to double check. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I thought. Because I feel like I've only been seeing the tweets about that show. So I was that April twenty fourth? Uh, let's see. Okay, I think it is a different show. That's how. I thought it was April twenty fourth. That's what I thought. Okay, so I'm guessing one San Francisco, one Sacramento, or whatever. I guess. All right. So anyway, this one is Home of the Killers. And, as usual with them, fairly diverse and interesting lineup. Main event, Masha Slamovich defends her newly won uh, inaugural West Coast Pro Women's Championship against Mia Yamashita. Uh, Titus Alexander, Kevin Blackwood, and Alan Angels take on Jacob Fatu, Starboy Charlie, and Vinny Massaro. Which, by the way, if we can make the time difference work, we really need to get Vinny on the show <laughs> sooner or later. You know? I bet, I bet there's a lot of stuff we could have him on for that would be interesting. But anyway, uh, Speedball Mike Bailey versus Michael Oku, who I guess is making the most out of his stateside trip after Mania Weekend. Aja Kong versus Vert Vixen. Leah Rush versus Alpha Zoe. Jordan Oliver versus Brian Keith. And West Coast Wrecking Crew taking on, I don't know who they are, but the Velocities. So usual, fairly stacked West Coast Pro Show. And also there's a freelance underground show, underground, underground show on Saturday at, I can't read that, 7 Eastern, that includes uh, Storm Grayson defending the independent title against Wes Barkley, among other matches. And then finally, DOA Pro Wrestling has a show on Saturday at 10.30 Eastern with our dear friend Daniel Makabe in the main event, taking on Derek Shaw. Good, see Dan back on the scene there. Yeah, I know he doesn't have that many more left in him, probably, but still always good. He is worse when he feels like it, so, uh, hey, that's good, as long as he knew that. Yes, yes. So, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and we'll get a referral bonus for each month that you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Now, on Fight TV uh, this coming week, it's their schedule page, I think, only has so many shows on it, and it doesn't let you skip ahead past that. So I, I think it's possible that there's more shows this coming weekend than are listed right now, but only one... Um, one second. Only one of them is actually listed at this moment. And that is the Wrestling Revolver show on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And do they actually have a lineup on Twitter since Fight is not always good about having the lineups on their site? Come on. Oh, here we go. I'm seeing something. Okay, they've got Alex Shelley versus Jake Crist for... For their remix title. And remember, Jake is not the evil one. <laughs> um, Ali Catch versus Miyu Yamashita. That's a match. Uh, why don't they? What is it with these indies not having, like, here is the one tweet with all the matches and not pinning it to the top of the account if it is there? Chris Saban versus Brian Keith. That's an interesting match. And more. I, 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 why? And why is it not on fight when I click on the description? I just, I don't know. 
And anyway, of course, remember that uh, this also goes for pay-per-views as well. So uh, if you want to check out the Tokyo Joshi Pro Show for Mania Weekend, um, the Impact vs. New Japan Show for Mania Weekend, or internationally, wink wink, Supercard of Honor, you can also do what I'm about to mention, which is tinyurl.com slash BTS fight. That's F-I-T-E. Go there and we'll get referral bonuses if you subscribe to Fight Plus or buy uh, iPad previews. So that's tinyurl.com slash BTS fight. All right. Well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even using Cognito mode, your network providers storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet source provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you could take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go with that, shall we? We offer three different plans for you guys. We've got a regular monthly plan of eleven ninety-five a month. You get a yearly plan. It goes out to $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. Or you get the number one plan. Three years plus four months at $1.98 a month, 83% off, $79 for the first three years, yearly thereafter. The best damn deal on the market. Can't recommend it highly enough. Why? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other private, virtual private network on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. If you like it, if not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the market completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, show 400, 400. And we will be joined by Tyler Gignac, who had that week picked as a Patreon show. So he gets to be on uh, show 400 and he wants us to go back to 1993 where we'll have a week plus, including two Saturdays worth of television. And uh, we got WrestleMania nine and WF in Las Vegas, featuring the debut of Jim Ross and Hulk Hogan, regaining WF title and all the drama surrounding that. So we'll talk about that and everything else going WF. As uh, there's a lot of unrest in that locker room at this point in time. And then we'll have uh, all the stuff in Japan, another big All Japan show, All Japan women's show to talk about. It's been like the running theme lately. We got a lot of interesting stuff in Mexico. Then we got um, the US indie scene featuring uh, Smoky Mountains in a hot period. So we'll have some clips from there. Memphis as Lawler's Army's back. With new members, and the first family's back too, with new members, and no no Jimmy Hart. So we'll have that. We'll have stuff from the Metroplex, including Big D for Bix. And in WCW, we'll have uh, all kind of turmoil going on there, as uh, usual, behind the scenes. WCW, everybody sectioned, lots of stuff going on there, as uh, 
They're an interesting time in their existence in this early 93 as Eric Bischoff and Ole Anderson are freshly in charge. Uh, a lot of stuff going on there. So everybody check that out next week on Between the Sheets. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And what's going on with you this week, Bix? I don't know if there was anything too noteworthy. Um... Yeah, not off the top of my head, at least. So, uh, we'll see. Probably next week, though. Um, we can discuss more then, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about. Obviously not, uh, not many a weekend so far, because you haven't watched any of it. <laughs> no. But, anyway, I don't know. I feel like there's something I'm forgetting. I feel like there's something that we, that would have been worth talking about, but. I'm drawing a blank. Well, anyway. All right. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right. Let's get back to the U.S. now and to the lovely southern half of the United States. And we start with uh, Jerry Blackwell's Southern Championship Wrestling, where Buck Robley is making his presence felt as the booker for uh, Jerry's promotion. Paulie Dangerous would quit the promotion at the TV taping on April 3rd in Marietta, Georgia, while Steve Lawler and John Michaels quit as well. <laughs> well that's one way to do it, I guess. <laughs> sure. But Paul comes back. So, yeah, I mean, it's Paul. I'm sure that Buck Robley and Paul uh, <laughs> had some issues there, but but Paul comes back because he's part of the whole Buck thing at uh, – on Russellthon. Yeah. So I believe probably if you were not using psychedelic drugs <laughs> and smoking no less than a pound of pot a day, you probably <laughs> had issues with Buck Rover. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting run he had this time period. Uh that Russellthon angle will always be remembered, you know. I heard but- I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard he was on the Four Horsemen vitamins. That's what really whacked him out of his head to make the to do the wrestlethon gimmick. Oh man, he popped out the box. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, well, at least he was instantly over. <laughs> Well, hey, don't mention the Four Horsemen Fields when Rick Stewart was in the promotion. Oh, God. <laughs> he, that's who Buck brought him in to be his play-by-play man. Great. Because Rick didn't come in until Buck brought him in. Because it was Joe and uh, Rhubarb on commentary. Uncle Ruby. Where, where was, I wonder where Rick Stewart went in between jobs. All right, so... He leaves Crockett at the at beginning of 87, and then I don't know where he's at between then and here. He stays in Kansas City. He does Kansas City's in the summer of 87. All right, so he's doing Geigel's regular TV. Okay. Yeah, and then he just disappears from there. Yeah, shows up And Blackwell. I didn't even realize he was doing Blackwells, and this would have been his last wrestling gig right here, I think. No. Nelson Royal in 89. Oh, yes. That's yes. his last one because he dies in 89. Yeah, that's that's when I met him when he was when they he was working for Nelson. Yep. 
And I, he's I, working I, for Nelson not too long before he dies. Yeah. But you can also, you can tell he's not well. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Buck Robley. Yes. Doing Buck Robley things. All right, well, let's go to uh, USA. Rick Stewart was doing some Rick Stewart things, too. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Let's go to USA Championship Wrestling. And uh, they're just really starting to get going. This is one of their early TVs. When is this? This is week number three. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Three. All right. So, um, Austin Idol makes his debut for USA wrestling which is interesting because he's be in the other side before long at continental so let's go to the clip here and see austin showing up in knoxville of uh, well he's the universal heartthrob what else can i say except austin idol I don't want to let go of Austin. <laughs> Austin, it's nice to have you here. On behalf of the fans of Tennessee, since I'm a Tennessee boy, it's a pleasure to have you up here in the Tennessee, Kentucky, Carolina area, and uh, you're a great, great wrestler, world-renowned, and uh, I think you got some things you'd probably like to say. I've never known you not to have something you'd like to say. Well, well, Ron, I tell you, and Gordon, you know, really, I, I'm pleased as punch just to be standing here with this kind of greatness, no doubt about it. The greatest sportscaster anywhere in the world today, and certainly, let's face it, Ron, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time right here. So, I, I, I really, really, it warms the cockles of my heart to be standing amongst this kind of greatness. But I want to say something, y'all. I have heard through the grapevine, and it's not just the grapevine. It is on the street. The word is out. And it's not just here in this area, not here just in Tennessee, not in Kentucky and North Carolina. I'm talking about everywhere. I'm a traveling man. I just got back from Honolulu, Hawaii. I'm leaving in a couple of days for Tokyo, Japan. And I want to tell y'all something. That's I the ain't shoot. and I ain't driving. Ron, listen real good. This is gospel. I will not lie to anybody within the sight of my face and the sound of my voice. This is gospel. U.S.A. Wrestling is what's happening today. It is going, yes. And it's going to be happening for a long time to come. Y'all going to be seeing me, a whole lot of me, in the near future. I love each and every one of you. God bless y'all. Hey, thank, thank you, you so very much. Thank you, Great having you, Austin. Universal heartthrob and a uh, young man that speaks from the heart. No question about that. The interns are in the uh, We're waiting now for the... Correct me if I'm wrong, Bo, but wasn't this his only appearance on TV? No, <clears throat> no, he come he he has a match with uh, JD Wolf. Um, he's at the first two TVs once they start running, and he had sent he, the first TVs he had sent videos in from Pensacola. Yeah, and then he's at the first first two tapings after they started because he's on the Coliseum, and. I think he comes back 
in July for one and then never heard from again. But he's working for and, and working at Continental. He, yeah, and he was supposed to do a job for Buddy in the Coliseum, and that's where it all went downhill. <laughs> and he didn't want to put Buddy over. <laughs> it didn't work for him, brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here, here's the other thing, too. He was over in Knoxville. He was not over in the Tri-Cities and in Hazard Market like he was in Knoxville because Johnson City and Hazard got Memphis TV and were just much removed from the Lawler Idol Rich run. So we all had just sit and watched him be a heel here on TV for a year and then now he's on Knoxville TV as a babyface without any explanation. That's the thing in in this era when you have this bleed over the promoter and or somebody needs to somebody needs to think about that. Like, Wait a minute. Yeah. We we need to possibly do something for those markets cuz you know, they saw Memphis TV. Explain something why this man is a babyface here with us and a heel in Memphis. Well, I, I I told the story on this podcast before. They had no idea we saw Memphis TV until I asked Ron or asked Bob Polk about it, and he went and got Ron West and came back, and he said, "Tell him what you just told me." And I I said, "How come Dundee's a good guy there and a bad guy here, and how come this and that?" And he goes, "How do you know about all this?" I said, "I watch it every week. It's on Sunday night." Could have, should have kept my mouth shut because we lost it two weeks later and it didn't come back <laughs> on for like three years here. <sighs> Lord, Lord, but somebody Lord. should have asked that question. They should know. Oh, right. Just look in the, look in the uh, TV guide. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, now we go to... It's a new rust promotion, so you know we got to figure out ways to make money. So let's go to Gordon with Buddy Fuller. Yes, a rare Buddy Fuller appearance on Between the Sheets. So let's go to that clip now. We'll give you the address for the USA Wrestling School. Sitting with me right now is the senior director and instructor for that wrestling school, Mr. Buddy Fuller. And Buddy, obviously, we've had a tremendous response thus far. Well, that's very good. I would like to tell the people that uh, we're going to have workouts in the morning in the gymnasium and workouts in the afternoon to learn to wrestle i'll right. be the wrestling instructor and uh you're gonna if you join you're gonna be mat burned and you're gonna be sore until you get to learn to wrestle and and but we're gonna show you everything you're gonna need to know to be a wrestler all right now the cost on this by the way is two thousand dollars that's for eight weeks of instruction that covers all of the gymnasium costs and, of course, all of the cost of the instructions themselves. And, of course, you're on the very mat that you see here on USA Championship Wrestling because uh, Buddy Fuller will have you in the ring on that very mat uh, as he begins to show you the finer points of the great sport of wrestling. Now, again, if you'd like information as to how you may uh, become a student at USA Wrestling School, please write to the number you see displayed on the screen at this time. And uh, you will be sending applications out to everybody who sends in uh, an inquiry, right? That's right. We will answer every letter that we get. All right. We certainly hope that all of you will 
uh, make it a point now, if uh, you're a young man at least 18 years of age and older, uh, weight is not a critical, critical thing, but as uh, Buddy Fuller said, if you want to get in uh, to the heavyweight ranks, you, you do need to weigh 180 or better. 180 or better. You, you'll gain weight when you wrestle. You'll just automatically gain weight, but you should. What? If you want to wrestle professionally, you should start at least 180 what? pounds. All right, fair enough. We hope that all of you will write the very address you see on the screen at this time. USA School of Wrestling, P.O. Box 51408, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37950. We'll hear from you. All right. Bo. You just automatically gain weight. I don't know how. Bo, uh, describe what the actual USA School of Wrestling was. Uh, it was Buddy's farm. <laughs> he had a ring set up in the barn and uh he had some weights in there and you would work on the farm during the day and then you would wrestle in the evening and wait the, what, what did the included gymnasium fees cover then the, the, the tennessee stud gymnasium right there in the back <laughs> of the barn <laughs> yes that's what it was and you would go to TV and set the ring up and work out there a little bit in the Coliseum. Anywhere they had to pull the ring yourself and put it up, they were there to put the ring up. And the only person that came out of this group that I know is Ron Wright's bodyguard, who you will see in a few weeks on um, USA Championship Wrestling. That's where he came from. Nobody He's, knows uh, his name. Nobody uh, can remember him. So he was the only one. They, now, <clears throat> watching these, when I when I redid these for Ron for his streaming network, and I went through and took out the copyrighted music and stuff um, a couple years ago, I believe some of these guys, like this guy that's in the ring right here on, on the thumbnail, uh, Chuck Singer, I believe he was training with Buddy. Um there's other guys that drop in that you'll see <clears throat> do jobs that you never see anywhere else. I believe that they they were part of the school. Uh-huh. Okay. But now we're laughing about it and whatever, but this is the same setup this family had been doing for years. Yeah. Where Danny Davis had came from, David Schultz had came from, Wayne Ferris had came from. <laughs> Um, gosh, well, who knows? I mean, there's that angle in Memphis in 80 where buddies, mm -hmm. you know, doing the angle, you know, uh, with the wrestling school with the Danny Davis, what Terry Sawyer thing. Yep. Yep. So, so they, they, uh -huh. they created great wrestlers in Coco their balls, right? Coco. Yes. Uh, I think Bill Ash was another one. Um, a lot of people over the years that went on to draw a lot of money started in one of the Welch family members' barn and went on to have great success and a great career. And Buddy was a great trainer from everything that I've ever heard <clears throat> from people. And, uh, you know, they believed in paying your dues and they believed in kayfabe and they believed in, in protecting the business and that's what they did. But they turned out wrestlers and good ones. Yeah. And uh, if you, you didn't, didn't make it through, that's why. 
So uh, adjusted for inflation, the two grand is a little over fifty one hundred dollars. Um, well, at least it costs less than OVW. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Which, by the way, I, yeah, I I found like the last application that was on the website for the OVW school before the website broke. I don't remember who had told me that it was like thirteen grand because of the whole financial aid racket. If you look at the form from a couple of years ago, it says it's it says it's three thousand dollars a semester and three semesters, but it also says it's six thousand total. So I don't know. Still, it's very expensive by wrestling school standards these days. Um, That's why I recommend <clears throat> Jacobs Pritchard Wrestling Academy, jpwrestlingacademy.com. Yes. Dr. Tom Pritchard, the best trainer in the sport. You want to get into wrestling business? That's the place to go. Yes, and it's not the shits, according to some people. So right, <laughs> and it's uh, okay. I just checked. Yeah, twenty nine hundred dollars. And you can shits. break it up, and you can break it up in payments. Yes, and you will. You will. I guarantee you this. Once you graduate there, there's a network of promoters that Tom has put together and I've helped put together for him that you will go to wrestling almost immediately after you make it through the 12 weeks and the advanced class continues on where you can train for $20 uh, a week after that to advance your training and your learning at the school. So, And, you know, it is important to make sure that you can get bookings immediately, you know, like a lot of schools, even good schools vary as far as how much they are able to help with that. Yeah. Uh, Tom's students pretty much soon as they come out of there, there's SBCW in La Follette. There's my promotion. Um, there's a promotion in West Tennessee. There's two or three around Knoxville that are booking his students right away. They, they get, uh, you know, they get moved to the front of the line if they go through the 12 weeks of training with Tom. Now, in that 12 weeks, you're going to train five days a week, four hours a night. So you, it's not like a lot of these schools where it's once a week or twice, you know, <clears throat> it's five days a week, and it's it's you're putting 20 hours a week in. You're putting a part-time job in just training. Yeah. So I don't want to get too far and off topic. Oh, go ahead. And, and you're learning from the guy that, The Rock, I mean, just go through the whole list of guys that he helped train or did yeah. train or guys that he found like John Cena that helped get hired. I mean, the, even now, pretty much the developmental like training system as far as the drills and everything are pretty much what he put together, right? Yes. He wrote the book on it, Pro Wrestling Curriculum on it. He has it. Oh, so the one quick last thing I want to ask before we move on, what do you think of, like, the move towards the, like, 12-week class model compared to how things used to be where it was kind of like when your trainer thinks you're ready? Uh, you, you're going to open the door to more people in those 12 weeks because you're, you're going to keep repeating. You know, you you have a new cycle of new hopefuls coming in every few weeks. Um. But if you can't learn it, if you can't learn the base, I'm at the JPWA very regular. I'm there pretty regular. 
So I've seen it. I, I, I see it from the beginning to the end. And I've been going to the school, you know, what they've been up now, four years or five years. I've been going for the last three, helping and helping them get booked and, you know, just different stuff. But uh, you know the fundamentals because his drills, like the man in the middle where you stand in the middle of the ring and everybody feeds you one at a time and you do a move to them and hold on to a hold, you're getting so many reps in that in that 12 weeks, you're far advanced than anybody else um, that's training one day or two days a week. Uh, shoot, you're you're far advanced than a lot of people leaving that school that's already been wrestling that were trained by, you know, Billy Bob down at the service station. Uh, but Tom's system, the way that he does it, it gets you the reps over and over and over to where you know the basics to begin with. You know the basics to have a match with. And and I sit Saturday night in La Follette and watched uh, four graduation matches. Um, and every match was different. So all, some of them did a couple of things the same as somebody had did earlier, but every match was different because Tom helped lay it out. This is your match. You do. This is what you're working on. This is what you're working on. But they knew the fundamentals to where they didn't have to copy each other. You got the leg, you got the arm, you got the head, you got, you know, it can be done, but it has to be a legitimate trainer. Just because somebody's offering wrestling training does not mean they're qualified to train you. Oh, that's the truth. Well, and the places that, that are doing the class model are generally, like, fairly established people. Like, you know, Lance Storm doesn't have his school anymore, but he was one of the first to do it. You know, Rollins at Black and Brave does the 12-week class. You know, yeah. JPWA, like you said, um, Sean Spears and Tyler Breeze with flatbacks in Orlando. You know, all reputable schools and you know several of them also you know have a dr tom lineage in them too yeah hey, tom literally wrote the book on training someone to be a pro wrestler i mean and he's the go-to guy that many people from other schools call to ask for advice hey how do I, how should i go about doing this how should i but you know where but i mean here's the deal this club right here that Buddy Fuller was just talking about, it wasn't a wrestling school. It was a club. It was the $2,000 and we beat you up club. <laughs> Much different time and place where they were wanting to run you off. They did not want you to finish it. They were taking your money and you protecting the business. That's yeah. not what it is today. Yeah. So... Look at Nikita Koloff, drew big money. Nikita trained like three days <laughs> and was thrown in the ring. Yeah, can, can you shave your head? <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, I mean, that's basically what it was. The, that, that's exactly what it was but the Vladimir first day Pietro, you might shave your head. Yeah, Vladimir Pietrov, same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Killer no Tim Brooks. Killer Tim Brooks rode to the town with his cousin, Dick Murdoch, and somebody didn't show up. <laughs> and Murdoch says, well, my cousin wrestles. He's right out there. Let me get him. He goes out and gets Brooks and says, hey, you're wrestling in the second match. He goes, <laughs> no, I'm not. 
Yeah, you are. <laughs> I got trunks and boots for you. <laughs> and Tim Brooks was in the wrestling business. Man. It's all about if you can mentally understand it. Yeah. Are you physically able to take it? And are you emotionally, mentally, and physically tough enough to take yeah. what the business will do to you? And yeah. what the people in the business will do to you. You can have the greatest training in the world, but if you're not mentally capable of understanding it, it's no good. Yeah. If you're not emotionally tough enough to take getting yelled at, forget it. Wrestling is not for everybody. Oh, no. It's not a big family. It's not a big fun. It's not playtime. No. That's what most people think. That's why they fail. Yeah. All right. Well, back to USA Wrestling. The big angle going on right now is between Ron Wright and the Armstrongs. Now, for those of you that know Ron Wright from Smoky Mountain, the Ron Wright in USA is a little bit different in uh, 1988. So we're going to have clips from what happened the week previous, leading up to uh, a match in the studio, and all hell breaks loose. So let's go to the clip. If there is indeed a man who is surrounded by controversy, it has to be this gentleman, Mr. Ron Wright. Glad to be here, Mr. Soli. I got so much I couldn't say it in a whole hour program out here, but I'm getting tired of these people interfering with us and messing with our matches the way they are, trying to do anything in the world it can do to keep us from winning. We're still winning every match we're ever getting a ring in. We've got a video that I got confiscated that I'd like for you to get in and roll. I just want these people to see what kind of interference has been going on when my man is in the ring trying to wrestle clean and scientific. Yeah, let's take a look at this video that he's talking about. The bullet has gone to the... He's at the airport right now. My little brother's just gone to get him. And I just want to say one thing. I am tickled to death to be here with USA Wrestling. And... I'm tickled to death to be one-third of the party boys with Johnny and Davey Rich. Hey, wait a minute. You ain't got no business out here running off at the mouth because you're a yellow bell and you're godly. Nothing on like your daddy ain't out here. The reason your daddy ain't out here wrestling on TV today, boy, is because he left the ring then and got out of there is what he should have done. But you can't tell these people or I'll see that for no reason in the world. The man hauled off and smacked me upside the head. And he wonders why he got his brains beat out. I ain't never seen nothing so disgusted, carrot belly in my life. And look at that. Hit me again. Me doing nothing but trying to stand up there. Be a perfect gentleman that I've always been. And the man has done hit me two times up there today. No reason. No reason at all. Well, you certainly can't call anything about this fair. Two men on one. Well, look, I can't help it if the man is stupid. He must have had his contacts off. He ran into the ropes and came back over there trying to hit me and knock me out of the ring in his own clumsy stupidity run right into me. Me being the big heavyweight man that I am, he couldn't knock me down. He got knocked down himself. Now, the only thing that's going on right here, everybody can see, the man done made me mad, I'm telling you, Mr. Soley. He was a hollering mercy. Please don't hurt 
me. I'm trying to get out of the ring. He was trying to run from me. I had to get down there and hold him a little bit because nobody in the world hits Ron Wright, tries to humiliate me and smack me in the face and get out without getting his brain stomped good. That's exactly what I've done. But you see, I'm still a perfect gentleman, Mr. Soley. Not one time did I try to hit that man with my fist. I didn't try to hit that man with my walking stick. I just sat there and held him to make sure that he couldn't get up and run out of that ring and had everybody out here see what a cared and yellow belly that the man really is. Now, if you'll excuse me, my man, Mr. Stomper here, it's got a match. We got, I don't know who we've got up there, but we're going to go up there, tear somebody else up, have him carried out of here on stretchers because that's what we intend to do to every pony that comes in there because we're going to own all of these belts by the time this stuff's over with. We'll find out. Well, I'll tell you what. Stompers moved in. Let's go to Phil Ladies and gentlemen. Before, before we get started with the match. Yes. God, how great. How great's Ron Wright. <laughs> he's, great. he's absolutely great over there. <laughs> over there, Bix. <clears throat> that was probably the last bump that he took on television was right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right, folks, because, you know, Smoky Mountain, he's always doing the wheelchair gimmick, this and the other. Yeah. Here he's in his tuxedo. He's walking around no problem. He's got his top hat. Top hat. Yeah. Yeah. And at this uh, point, for the record, he he's 49. <laughs> <laughs> Same age as I will be in July. <laughs> so anyway, Stomper's about no, the rest of the... No, it's even better. So wait a second. Uh, Chris, you turned 43 last year, right? I'd be 44 in August, yes. Yes, yeah, so Ron right here is only six years and change older than you. Yeah, and uh, so anyway, Stomper's about to have a uh, match with a job guy here, and uh, yeah, it's about to get wild. Let's go to the clip. Just keep playing. Yep. In our final match of the day, one fall. First of all, Still rainy. from Clinton, Kentucky, weighing two hundred ten pounds, Tommy Powers. And from out of Mongolia, weighing 258 pounds, the fallen outlaw. by Ron Wright, <laughs> the Mongolian Stomper. Mongolian Stomper moves right out against Tommy Powers. He's not waiting for uh, the niceties of a bell. He just uh, moved out, and uh, the Mongolian Stomper only knows one way to go, and that's straight ahead. That's right. Do you see the old dog and right in the background back here? The dog following right around just like a dog. He really reminds me of a dog. He loves him almost. But you can see Stomper's really taking care of business as Stomper's best capable of. Got the boy bent back over the ropes there and really, really made him around. But he catches himself in the same position he was in he earlier. He sure does. Gordon, he's right back in the same position he was last time. He's trying to find them both, and he's doing it 
doing a good job of it at this point. Oh, gosh. Got the glove. Yeah, catching him from all directions here. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back as soon as we get some order restored. We'll be right back. USA Championship Wrestling comes to Hazard. Keep Kentucky. it going. On Saturday night, April 30th at Memorial Gym in Harlan, Kentucky, Kaywood High School Gym on Friday night, April 22nd at 8 o'clock as the main event, the Mongolian Stomper managed by Ron Wright takes on the bullet. Tag team event, the Rock and Roll RPMs versus Johnny and Davey Rich, the Dog versus Doug Furness, Nature Boy Buddy Landell versus Bill Superstar Dundee, Hector Guerrero versus Scott Armstrong, and Barberville, Kentucky That's at the car. High School Gym on Monday, April 11th, 7.30 p.m., the USA Tag Team Championship, the Bullet and Scott Armstrong take on the Rock and Roll RPM. Tennessee Championship Superstar Bill Dundee takes on Buddy Landell. Doug Furness takes on the Mongolian Stomper. Johnny Rich versus Hector Guerrero. Davey Rich versus the Dog. That's Friday night, April 22nd, Harlan, Kentucky. And Monday night, April 11th in Barberville, Kentucky. And don't forget, on Saturday night, April the 30th, USA comes to Hazard's Memorial Gym. Well, we got a little bit of order restored, and I've got... Two fellows here, three fellows here know how to restore order. You know what goes around comes around. Amen. Can I get an amen? Now I'm going to tell you boys something. Instead of just having one in the ring, me and Scott going to take on that right dog and stomper. And thank goodness we got the strongest human in the world backing us out, baby. Hey, Landell, let me tell you something, punk. You've been trying to sneak up on me for weeks, and it ain't worked in, it ain't gonna work down. The next time we get in the ring, I'll guarantee you one thing, I'll tear your head off of you, punk. Hey, hey. You know, I just got one thing to say, and I want you gentlemen to understand that dynamite does come in small packages, brother. I just wanna know. You know, I told him right here last time that I was going to walk on them. I want to know how them footprints feel on their face all the way down to the ankles. And we ain't through yet, brother. We're going to keep on keeping on until we get it all set. Now, Ron Wright, Ron Wright came up here and he told everybody that the people in Tennessee were such big liars and he left. That ain't the real reason that people of Tennessee run him over them mountains and he better not come back. Well, I think there's a lot of people, obviously, that agree with that. But you are going to have to keep eyes in the back of your head. Exactly right. we got to look behind us at all times. That's why Scott and I are going to take them on in some tag matches, get both of them in the ring. And like I say, the man, the strongest man in the world, going to be watching our back. So, Mr. Wright, come on out. I'll make that top hat an accordion, brother, and smash your head in with it. So come on. Bring it on. You just got a taste. You just got a taste of what could come. I'm just going to dedicate something right now. Every muscle, bone, and gristle me and Brother Scott got here. We're going to dedicate it to the downfall of Wright's Enterprises, Stomper, and the Dog. Very enough. There you have it. The word from the bullet, Scott 
and from Doug Furness. And we'll be back after we pause. Yeah, Ron had moved to North Carolina. He was still living in Raleigh Durham area during this. Yeah. How great is that bullet shirt? Yeah. Somebody needs to remake that that shirt with the bullet mask on there. USA had they had great merchandise, the different shirts that the boys had. I I've got a couple of them put up in here. Uh Doug Furnace with the Orange Crush shirt, the Party Boy shirts. Uh, Wendell Cooley was trying. I mean, they had their shit together. It's just a damn shame that it didn't last longer. Well, they got the okay for the hockey team. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. You know. But yes, this was. This is one of the best summers of my life. I mean, the TV's well-structured, well-organized, good booking, because, you know, Dundee's booking. And, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just really good stuff, man. Good stuff across the board. Good, good talent coming in and out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really good stuff. It also makes you wish that Continental had gone back to a studio format earlier. I, that just, just still blows my mind that David Woods didn't take it back to the studio. I mean, they should have went well before. They, when, when they started hemorrhaging in Birmingham, They sh- that should have been the, the sign right there. Okay. Let's, let's let's either go on the road every week mm-hmm. to different different towns, or let's let's get a studio. It made no sense or to just ta- keep or tape going for me. Tape every couple weeks, you know, something tape, something different. In spot shows, tape take a spot show and do TV in it two hours. Because I I mean USA in this where they're at here in this studio, I mean it's really good. Well, it, really what good is it? It's like a hotel. It's in a hotel, right? It's, no, no, it's, it's in the Coliseum. It's, oh, that's it's right. Inside that's right. the Coliseum, it's the ballroom upstairs. And just, the boys dress. Um, it's really not a dressing room. It's, it's not a hallway. It's not a dressing room either. It's a, You come out, and there's like a landing, and then steps that go down into the uh, next level, and then you take that level to the box office and go into the uh, end of the Coliseum. Now, did Smokey uh, run that same room? One time. Okay. Because they taped they it the Civic Coliseum, but not. I don't, they may have taken that, that room once. Because they taped it another yeah. room, a smaller room. They take, No, it was in that one one time. They did one early taping in in that. Uh, and that's why I couldn't understand why Jimmy didn't use this same formula right here. Well, especially when it got later in the game, yeah. Yeah. Do the TV on the Sunday after the Coliseum show, and yeah. then you got the clips from the Coliseum to drop in. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that, that always kind of baffled me. Yeah, just really fun, fun stuff here. USA wrestling. Yeah, I mean, just one of the best things about 1988 wrestling. Absolutely. All right, Mongolian Star became the first USA champion for Ron Fuller Promotion in Tennessee, winning the tournament in Knoxville on April 1st, beating the Bullet in the finals. Most notable participant in the tournament was Terry Gordy. Fast forward to the next night in Chattanooga. At Memorial Auditorium on April 2nd, we have Hector Guerrero over Scott Armstrong, Bill Dundee over Ron Sexton, Terry Gordy over The Intern, Bill Dundee over Doug Furness, The Party Boys, 
Johnny and Davey over the Rock and Roll RPMs. My Davis Time and Lane by DQ and Bullet over Stomper by DQ. Uh, that intern would have been either Chris Powers or Tim Fry. Yeah, because on TV there was a tag team of the intern. So yeah. yeah, I'm not sure which one it is. But yeah, Rock and Roll Party Boys was great. Buddy and Doug was great. Um, Scott Armstrong and Hector could have been. They could have did. They had a couple of matches, but never really did a program because Nelson's coming in to work with. Uh, with Scott and just a couple of weeks after what we just watched, Scott gets his ankle broke. Yeah. A legitimate break. Um, and he's out for four or five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Gordy's here at the same time. He's in world-class doing the angle with Michael Hayes. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's doing the angle with Doug Furness where, I mean, Gordy's really technically not a heel or a baby face. He's, just has an issue with Doug Furness. Yeah. A different type of portrayal. Because Ron Wright want Ron Wright wants him, but he he, he turns him down. At yeah. first. At first. Yeah. Until he drops Doug on his head. Yeah. Which still is one of the most sickening sounds I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that before on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did that week. Yeah. All right. Well, not like going on a continental during our week, but oh, we oh actually... wait, wait, wait! Co- it's continental in 1988, and there's nothing in the Observer. Oh, I guess someone's not booking there yet. No, they're there. It's just not really nothing going on right during our week. Okay. Now, there is a a group of current and past TBS job guys that were on a show ran uh, promoted by Steve Atkinson, who was a TBS job guy, and they were first in Phoenix City. 4350 fans. Those appearing included a Beach Boy, the Raging Bull, Randy Barber under a mask, oh, Randy Ho- Randy Hogan, who beat a mask destroyer, Mike Jackson, built as Alabama Junior Way Champion, Cowboy Kevin Dillinger, Alan Martin, Donut Don Sanders, the Zebra Warriors, real name Bill Guffrey and Steve Miller, and the Black Assassin Bill Tab, who was built as their international heavyweight champion. This this stuff this type of stuff goes on throughout the eighties. Oh, um, it was, yeah, it's 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 Mike Jackson's group. Um, they okay. How do you know who the Booker is in Alabama? Hmm. If Mike Jackson is on TV, Bullet Bob is the Booker <laughs> because. Yeah. Bullet says if he's working for us, he can't be running opposition. <laughs> Smart move. Yeah. <laughs> so when Bullet's not booking, Mike's not around. And he's off running towns like this. And then Mickey Henry's running Coleman and Boaz. And then the Gulf Coast left Gulf Coast leftover guys are running the Gulf Coast. But yeah, there was a lot of outlaw wrestling inside the Continental Territory. And wow. Speaking of, they ran Mobile on March 29th. We only got three matches from the fairgrounds of Mobile. Marcel Pringle against Pat Rose. Kamala against Mr. Olympia. And Bob Holly and Ron Starr against the Rock and Roll Express. Ricky and Robert in an elimination match. So, yeah. Um, the Wild TV that's on YouTube ends in January 88, if I'm not mistaken. So 
we don't have TV from the air or rock and rolls are coming in and working, but uh, yeah, yeah, they work pretty regularly here. Here, here's another, here's another big milestone as we're looking at here. This is the era. Guys are starting for the first time to come off of TV and take independent bookings. Yes, off their TV name. Yep, off their TV name. They're starting to work outlaws and are starting to work all around and making very good livings. Rock and roll was getting five apiece at this point, plus their merchandise, which was unreal. Because now they're going to towns that are smaller than Crockett or anybody else that ever ran these little bitty towns. Here comes Ricky and Robert with T-shirts and eight by tens. Mm-hmm. So you want to go work for Crockett and all the stuff that's going on over there? Yeah, you're going to wrestle in front of big crowds and and all that, but you may make more money working Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee outlaw shows and selling your own merchandise. And Robert, still local, you know? I mean, yep. he's a local name, been been five years since he's been there, but still, I mean, the Gibson name is well, very well established. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, it, well, I had an interesting run. We're, that, we're getting towards the end of that run here in the spring of 88, but, uh, yeah, they had an interesting run of especially in the latter era, which is funny because like I said, the TV runs out when they start bringing in more names that we have. We don't have on YouTube. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> weird. That, that, that is, I guess maybe whoever was recording it every week goes, ah, we've seen them people on other shows. <laughs> I was just recording it. Cause we just had people we'd never seen before. Yeah. Because uh, bad company was there. Tanaka and Paul diamond. Um, yeah. Like I said, you know, the Olympia, Jerry Stubbs is working there. All, Adrian more and Linda. Adrian, Adrian and Linda getting yeah. ready to come in. Yep. Yep. So weird. Now, what has got a new TV is Memphis. The Financial News Network began showing weekly main events as part of their Memphis wrestling package, which aired on Saturday nights. The April 2nd show aired to complete. Jerry Lawler and Eddie Gilbert matched to headline the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum car on March 28th. Next week's main event will be Lawler Kurt Henning in a stretcher match. And it airs once again on Saturday and will continue to be done in that, that manner. The NWF group is scheduled to do a TV taping for FNN sometime later this month with Sergeant Slaughter and others. And the show will debut right after the taping in the Sunday night time slot. For now, the Memphis show air in the Sunday night slot. But we flash forward to a week and Dave says, Financial News Network is having all sorts of problems regarding the NWF tapes. I didn't even realize they, in theory, even had a deal with the NWF. I don't think these air, do they? I don't remember them airing on there. Now, we, I remember getting NWF, but that was syndicated here. Did you get it on the Pedicino block or somewhere else? Nope. On the, on the other one. Child 69. Ah, you know, when the original Child 69 block. Yeah, yeah, when they run in opposition to Joe. Yeah, well, yeah, it aired on it, but it aired during the week. So that's back when they were airing different wrestling different nights of the week. So, yeah. How but yeah. long? How but, long did wrestling stay on FNN? Because we never got FNN here. My my grandmother, my granny finally got it in Kingsport at some point. But by the time she got it, wrestling wasn't on there anymore. As far as like, okay, so FNN proper with the ticker was only ever Hawaii, the Hawaii TV, and that was like yes. eighty five, eighty six. Which I don't know why they didn't just give up showing the. 
ticker on weekends, but whatever. Um, then I don't know if there's anything for a while, and Danny Wolf, once they start doing sports at night as score, they have him spearhead bringing on some other wrestling shows. So, like, in terms, though, of, like, your weekly Memphis and or Continental, I don't think it lasts beyond the end of 88. Ooh. Yeah, because I, I think she started getting FN in towards the end of 89 on the cable and keen sports. And I never could find any wrestling on there that I remember reading about in the magazines that they showed it. And no luck. I, I mean, we had, we had all that stuff when we did the Memphis set. Yeah, I, we got it from uh, Danny Wolf via Kurt Brown. Um, I can't remember how when it ended though. I mean, we didn't have a ton though. I think we had a few months worth. I mean, I I don't think they kept up with the score match of the week the whole time. Like, I used to have a tape that I think had an episode from like November, December that was just the regular show. But it was our way of getting those matches once we didn't have the access to the arena TV anymore. Right, which is about to go off the air, but I think it's still airing in Jackson at this point. But, yeah, it's cool stuff, though, because, I mean, you get Lance and Broadway Danny Wolf as announcers. So, uh, at the Coliseum. So, yeah, which we'll have that coming up. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it was fun. I like the FNN version of Memphis TV as a compliment to the other versions that we have. Yes. Because your differences. It's kind of like how um, when you would have, like, like we talked about earlier with syndicated main event compared to main event, or the Chicago version of Pro compared to the regular version of Pro. So, and the New York version. Yeah. All right. Let's we, go had, we had different versions of Continental than the Alabama end had. Yeah, yep. you told us that before, yeah. All right, let's go to Memphis. The big news here is that on May the 9th, they're holding Jerry Lawler night. And the main event of the car will be Kurt Hennig defending the AWA title against Jerry Lawler. If Lawler doesn't win a title, he's going to retire from wrestling. Well, we all know what happens there. Let's talk Let's talk about Jerry Lawler, shall we? As uh, He's <clears throat> on April 2nd television, getting, <clears throat> getting ready for his match with Kurt Hennig. So let's go to that promo, shall we? And talk about Eddie Gilbert as well. Some days are better than others. And here he comes, the king. And he has got to be feeling about 110% better, as they say. Yowza, I love it. Lance, what's the old saying, brother? When you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And I guess Eddie Gilbert knows that right now. Eddie Gilbert, you came out here on television. You told everybody that you were the legend slayer. You told everybody that you had put the king out of professional wrestling. Well, where are you today, Eddie Gilbert? Where are you today, huh? King is still here, brother, alive and kicking. And conveniently, Eddie Gilbert is absent today, Lance. I yes, can assure you that. He's going to be absent for a long, long time. Eddie Gilbert, 
Before you talk about slaying legends, brother, you better sit down and think for a long, long time before you jump on this legend again. I can assure you that. Well, there he goes to the ring. We're going to see him in action right now. I think uh, Eddie forgot to check out whether that dragon that he slayed could All fight right. back or not. And he What happened was it was the Monday night previous that Jerry threw the fireball at Lawler. I mean, Jerry threw the fireball at Eddie. One of the most famous ones. Yes, because Eddie cuts that promo the following weekend. Where he, where his face is all marked up, but he starts with his back to the camera and blah blah blah. The handsome, the handsome Jimmy promo. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, yeah, actually, uh, that airs the week after our week. Actually, yeah, there's the two weeks after the the fact, basically. But anyway, all right. So speaking of the Gilberts, Tommy and Doug are there. And uh, they're upset at Eddie Marlin. So let's go to that clip, shall we? The hitman. But before we get to that, I want to call out here promoter Eddie Marlin. Now, it's been a while since we've been able to to say that, and I am delighted to see it, Eddie. How are you doing, bud? Yeah. You know, I told you a few weeks ago I was too old to wrestle. I'd get in there and fight. And I think I finally proved to Tommy Gilbert the old man had a little fight left in him. Now, as long as it's a Gilbert in this area, I just don't feel like that I can do the matchmaking like it should be done. So I'm going to leave that up to Randy Hales. But I'll still be involved in the promotions. I'll be at the towns and all my duties that I have to do, I'll try to perform them, you know, the best I can. Now, uh, Eddie Gilbert seemed like Jerry Lawler pretty well took care of him. Mm -hmm. And I proved to Tommy Gilbert that I had a little fight in him. And Dougie Gilbert's still around. So, you know, I just just can't do it right. Uh, I got in the ring and it was hard every night when I'd get in there. I want to thank all my friends and fans. You listen to me, Eddie Marlin. You're the whole cause that my brother got burned. You protect Jerry Lawler. You always have protected Jerry Lawler. And I demand that he is fired or suspended. You've seen him throw the ball of fire. Doug is 18 years old. I watched the agony and the pain when I carried my brother back to the dressing room. I will not stand for this at all. You're going to have to do something, Doug. Yeah, but you can come out here and say what you want to. But you're in no position to demand anything, young man. Who watched Jerry Lawler when he was in pain and agony? Who watched my son-in-law when he was in pain and agony? Who watched... Wait, I'll say something. Who watched Randy Hill when he was burned? I watched him. Yeah, yeah, you watched him. But how many people was Jerry Lawler burned? You protect him. This promotion has protected him. Yeah, yes, sir. You're protecting him. You have always protected him. You always will. You protect him. You will not find him. You will not suspend him. You will not fire him. I will not stand for this, and we will not have it. That's all it comes down to is right there at the point. We don't have the same old story I've been hearing for so long. No, you sit there and say, That's Tommy, I think, Eddie. Yeah, 
Tommy. You're going to be through here forever. Hey, will you give me somebody out here? <laughs> Lance Take a break now while we get Eddie out of the ring, and we'll be back in just a moment. Come on, Lance. Right. I know why Gary's there. He's uh, Tommy's new adopted son. <laughs> yeah. Do- All right. Dr. Tom just saw – Dr. Tom just went to Little Rock and saw Gary uh, two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's doing well. All right, so before we get into what we just saw, we got more as uh, Eddie comes back out during a Jeff and Billy Joe Travis promo, and uh, Eddie's uh, pretty upset. So let's go to the clip. Wait a minute, I got one thing to say. You know, I come out and tell you I'm quitting. I'm not going to get in the ring anymore. Well, I lied. You can't quit when you're laying your flat of your back in a pool of blood and the guy that does this to you walks off laughing. Let me tell you something, Tommy Gilbert. You walked off today laughing, but young man, I will get my chance to walk off and look down at you and laugh. Now you've done this twice, twice. He's busted my head open with a cowboy boot. And young man, it hurts and it hurts bad. And I want you to know how it feels for a cowboy boot to land upside that head of yours. I remember a few years ago as a little sneaky manager. I like Tommy Gilbert, sneaky, coming up behind you. He was handy with a cowboy boot, and he was run out of town with a cowboy boot match. So, Tommy Gilbert, 
Put on your cowboy boots. I got a pair of cowboy boots. I'll put them on, and we'll put a cowboy boot match on that, Tommy. And then if you can bust my head open, it'll be legal. But it'll also be legal for me to bust that big head of yours open, young man. You need to get that taken care, care of. Well, the main thing I need to take care of is Tommy Gilbert. Okay, fine. Well, uh, we'll check with Randy Hales and uh, see about it. Let's go to the uh, the ring. We've got a match uh, coming up here right now. Great shit. Because, I mean, Eddie Marlon and Tommy Gilbert was one of the biggest tag teams in the area in the 70s. And, you know... You see why Eddie was so over. Same thing with Ron Wright. You saw why Ron's career lasted so long. You see why Eddie Marlin's career lasted so long. When they talked, the people listened to him. Mm-hmm. And they interacted with him. With Ron, oh, he's a liar. He's full of crap. Oh, my gosh. Uh, with Eddie, well, Ron, too, when he was a babyface, they believed. We got to go this week because he's going to get even. Oh, and that cowboy boot match is a hell of a match, too. It is. Yeah. Uh, Score match of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eddie Marlin was a great baby face. He was a, he was so over and just because the people believe he was like the guy that lived at the end of your street. Everybody talked to him. Everybody knew him. He was, you know. When he was uh, working in the office, and he was always out front. People saw him. He'd go out and make announcements. And, you know, in Nashville, I saw it one time. He went out there, and he just picked the microphone up, and everybody sit down and shut up. It was in between matches, and he picked the mic up, and the whole building went silent to hear what he had to say because they knew he's going to tell us something, and it's important, and he's going to deliver on what he's saying. Yeah. And – I don't even think Doug was out of high school yet. I think he's only working he's on them. He's 18. Yeah, but he, he he had played football that fall. So he was still in school then. So he maybe if he graduated after that semester. Because but, he worked the year earlier. As the enforcer. In, in UWF. In the, as a master yeah. enforcer in UWF because he was underage. He was 17 during that run. Yeah. He was 17. Yeah. yeah. But only worked during the summer. Yeah, because he was in school. Yep. Also, I did want to answer just as far as like the appeal of Eddie Marlin. I love the way that a uh, friend of the show, Phil Schneider, puts it when talking about like the appeal of Eddie Marlin on these promos and stuff. I think he describes him as what is it, like a like a small town country judge. I mean, it's, yeah, and, and that's 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 what his brother Thomas Marlin was. <laughs> yes. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Referee well, Thomas Marlin. Wait, so was, they was were, Thomas Marlin like an elected judge or did he go to law school too? Like, um, I'm not 100% sure. Elected judge, I'm sure, probably. It's a, it's a Southern thing. Yeah, yeah, probably. probably. But they were well-respected men in their, in their community. And, uh, you know, at the end of Eddie's life when Randy was there taking care of him and stuff, and I'd call down there – and uh, you know, I'd say, "Hey, I got, I got Eddie a que- I got a question for Eddie." And he'd say, "Hold on." He'd give Eddie the phone. I say, "Hey, you ever heard of this guy? Because I, you know, I'll be doing research and come across the name." And he'd he'd say, "Yes." And he'd tell me something about him. Charlie Smith was great for that too. Their minds all the way to the end were so good, where they could remember guys and remember stuff about them, and just they loved the wrestling business. 
Yeah. And no, it's just, and we'll never see people like them again. Nope. Nope. All right. Well, a familiar face made his return to Memphis television. Although when he was last there, he was pretty hated, but he's come home as a conquering hero. Let's go to the clip. Do I see a smile from ear to ear on this young man? Here's a guy that we have known in good times and bad. We've been the friends and we haven't been too friendly, but I got to take it. All of that behind us, I got to tell you right now, I couldn't be happier for Pat Tanak and Paul Diamond. And if you will forgive me the uh, saying so, you'll upset the Midnight Rockers and have got the world tag belts, Pat. Yeah, I was real pleased with that. Me and Paul, you know, we've been working out hard and they were pretty overrated, you know. So me and Paul went in there and we fought pretty hard and we beat them and we upset them. I'll tell you one thing, I don't care how it came about, this is the proof of the pudding right here. And you know this, you've been around long enough, Pat, to know that this is only the beginning. You want them, now the tough part starts because everybody in the world will be trying to take them away from you. That's right, we got these guys called the Cuban Assassins coming up and uh, I think that they're pretty overrated too. I heard, that, I heard a lot about them as I was traveling around the world this time on this tour. So I think that, you know, we might have a tough time, but I think we'll take them. Okay, good luck to you. Pat, again, you be sure and tell Paul congratulations. Pat Tanaka, Paul Diamond, the new AWA World Tag Champions. And I got to tell you, <laughs> they're a scrapping pair to say the least. Let's go to the ring. We're ready for the next match, Dave. There you go. Yeah, about that. <laughs> and, you know, it makes sense for them to be cheered because they, they just beat the Midnight Rockers, who were just there as hated heels. Yep. And the girls just, by Pat Tanaki anyway. <laughs> you know. Well, at least somebody did. <laughs> I know somebody who doesn't as a, on social media in the past uh, couple weeks. MPP does not like Pat Tanaka, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen a couple of that, yes. <laughs> Why, did uh, Tanaka tell him he could get him a license to work in Japan? It's about crack, and it, yeah, it involved crack money. So. Oh, well. <laughs> all right well we close on an exciting episode of uh, memphis with quiet time with brother ernest oh, oh hold on i just realized who the manager that Marlon eddie Marlon was, was talking yeah. about jimmy kent oh yeah 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 all right let's go to quiet time with brother ernest on championship wrestling uh, we have a little segment with brother Ernest called quiet I did I choose my words carefully I think, think that's a pretty uh, careful yeah. choosing there yeah I, I'm, I'm not gonna say too much about that for a unique experience <laughs> take a look at brother Ernest quiet time Welcome once again. Isn't it wonderful that we're having this quiet time together? But I've got a problem, and I need to tell you about it. How is it that even with a shot this close, you can tell that it's Jerry Jarrett's house? <laughs> well, it's a distinct house. It's like the Bill Watts' house. I, I, I was thinking the same thing. It's like Bill Watts' house. Actually, yeah, wait a second. What is it with 80s territory promoters and wood paneling? It was wood paneling was very, very popular in the 80s, Bix. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it saddens me a great deal to see no contributions coming in 
You know, probably one of the biggest things that saddens me is the Jerry Lawler, the Jarretts, and the Marlins. Oh, they're not going to be on the great wrestling USA ship. And I don't want you to be left out. So keep those cards and letters coming in. Just I look in the mail every day, and it's kind of chintzy. And I know you're not chintzy. And I know with the first of the month coming up, I want you to count Brother Ernest in on your budget this month. So I'm going to let you go this time. Once again, I want you to put your hands on the television set and let me feel what you're thinking. Be sure to let me hear from you this week. Be sure and enclose something that you want to help me build Wrestling USA with. In order to keep this show, I must have those donations. So once again, I'll part with you, with you, me, and the good book. Well, it really wasn't quiet enough. No, it's far too noisy. Mm, no conversation would have been just about right. How about our action today, David? <laughs> well, we had a... You know, it's oh, amazing man. this got them so much heat locally. And, like, heat that they had to drop the gimmick when... It's clearly not making light of religion. It's a Jim Baker satire. Like, obviously. Well, there's not so many people in that area probably got hoodwinked by Jim Baker. Uh, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, uh, when was his uh, conviction for, uh, what was the name of the alleged amusement park? Oh, Heritage USA, yes. Heritage, U Heritage USA. Uh, yeah. Okay, so wait, Hush, well, there was the Hush Money, too, with Jessica Hahn. P PTL Club. Yeah, I'm trying to see investigations. Arrest report, sexual misconduct, and resignation. Uh, the trial began in August of 89. That's the trial for the embezzlement, though. Yeah. Okay, but it's in 87 is when everything really gets aired out. What a mess. I was always surprised they didn't put a lady with him with big hair and lots and lots of makeup. Yeah. Yeah, to really give it the the effects, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Tammy <laughs> Faye, like, turnaround... I mean, people already were kind of sympathetic. They could have got, hey, they got Debbie Combs to do it. <laughs> <laughs> she had the hair. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Ernest ended up good. selling cars in Knoxville. And ended up on Smoky Mountain, yeah. Yes, but Landell... And did other work too. Um, he did other wrestling work. What was it that we saw him on? <sighs> he commentated somewhere. Yes, he was I, announced I for somebody. Oh. Was it Kansas City? No. Oh God! Did he do work for Eddie and Continental? Did he go to Continental? Maybe I, I can't remember. Yeah, he did something. But yeah, he did. He, he did go to he did go to Alabama. Yeah, because he was like doing interview he interviews. Had, he had the Samoans for a short time. Yeah, yeah. He did something too, something else. All right. So Miss Upcalls CM April fourth was headlined by Jerry Lonaker and Henning, which drew about six five hundred fans. Partially because all the students were admitted for a dollar. Their match was a stretcher match, which will air on the Financial News Network on April sixteenth. Law was on his way to victory when Sky the Body. Scott Levy, who was a babyface prelim guy, interfered, but Lawler beat him up, pile drove him. Levy came in with a mask and had the mask pulled off of him before getting beaten up. Then a second mask man, Eddie Gilbert, came in and put chloroform on Lawler and put him to sleep. And Lawler was carried out in a stretcher and had a near riot breakout. 
And then uh, on television, which didn't air during our week, but we'll mention anyway. Yeah, Scotty buying a grudge match with Law on the night for the stipulation of Scotty when he gave Dave Missy Hyatt. Of course, Lawler beat him up. And again, after the match, Missy slapped him in the face. And Scotty's back, back as baby face when Lawler said Demetri was beat up afterwards. And to be clear, it was the angle was that he interfered because Eddie said that if he helped, he'd get him a date with Missy. Yeah. But then it gets turned into, well, if you beat Lawler here, you'll get your date with Missy. Yeah. So wait, he was, I always found it weird though, he was working as a babyface with the name Scotty the Body? No, he was working as Scott Levy. Okay. Yeah. So he changes to Scotty the Body here. Or, or as, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Scott Levy. <laughs> so, yeah. You know how that goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, I just, I just had a long conversation with uh, John McAdams about the chloroform used in wrestling the other day. Go on. Oh, yeah. Chloroform and ether, it, I presume. Yeah. Well, it's ether. It's not chloroform. It's ether. And because he had said something about, you know, they didn't use real ether. And I said, yes, yes, they did. It's the spray that you spray in a diesel engine to start it up. It's depending on what brand you get, it's anywhere from 20 to 40% of ether. That's what was sprayed on the rag. That was what was used, and that was what was thrown in the crowd. So people would pick it up and smell it mm-hmm. and get woozy and go, my God, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I've used uh, it was... myself several times. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, the, <laughs> the results of this show, Brickhouse Brown over Tom Brandy, that jobber. Don Harris over Scotty Dabody. Oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> Max Payne retaining CW Heavyweight title, beating Scott Steiner. Eddie Marlin won the Cowboy Boot match over Tommy Gilbert. Bad Company retained the NBA World Tag Titles, not over the Cuban Assassins, but over the Mass Mighty Yankees. Bob Cook and Jerry Gray. Then Doug Gilbert and Gary Young over Jeff Jarrett and Billy Travis. And Kurt Haney won a stretch match over Jerry Lawler, which we do have clips of. So let's go to the FNN score match of the week. And Lance Russell and Broadway Danny Wolf. Hmm. So do you think Don Harris was just jealous and assume that we were all like that <laughs> maybe Okay, I have a question for both, so I don't forget this. Henning is working the right leg. This is American pro wrestling. That is not the norm. Is the right leg the one that Lawler broke? Yes. There you go. That's why everybody knew it. Psychology, brother.
use the f word <laughs> yeah i heard something making some fucking sense i didn't hear what the beginning of that was yeah now this is a stretcher match why are they count pinfalls I mean, it was no DQ, it was, clearly. In, in, yeah, wait a second. Why did you need to have the ref go out if there was no visual fall or anything? It's no DQ. Um, you had to get the pinfall then on the stretcher. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, the, I just it, love that. It, so it's like, like Texas, it's pinfall, and then you have X amount of time to get them out on the stretcher. Yeah. So sort of like I just, Texas has. Okay, I just love how they're like, oh, Eddie, it's Eddie Gilbert under the mask. <laughs> I ain't gonna pretend Probably it's not. Well, he did have Eddie's yeah. taste in clothes. <laughs> yeah. They're saying that Eddie Gilbert's put him a $25,000 bounty on anyone who can break Lawler's leg. Even though Gilbert has left the area, he's supposed to be sitting in interviews to keep the bounty thing going. And the current plan is that this group, Continental, Jerry Blackwell's George promotion and a new promotion that Jerry Jarrett, Mike Graham, Steve Kern, and Gordon Soley are starting in Florida will all be working together. That's right. That's still going on at this time. Is that is that supposed promotion in Florida? Which actually, in doing research for this show, Gordon Soley was at Memphis TV um, the week after our week or two weeks after our week. Didn't they they tape they tape stuff in the studio to yeah, send to Florida? I think there was some stuff yeah. that didn't air on the Memphis show, and I think there was also, I think Lance told me once that there were tapings. I think he might have at one point confused this with the '84 stuff, but I think he was referring to this point <laughs> where Gordon was in the back vo- doing his own commentary on the Memphis TV matches. Yes. Yes. So I mean that was it was a thing, but but Jared got out of it. So and uh, but Jared Steve, Jared's name is on the corporate paperwork. To be clear, yes. And Steve Kern and Mike Graham are in as the Florida Tag Champions mm-hmm. uh, around this time. They come up and do the TVs and do the loop. Yeah, yeah. 
It appears that Doug and Tommy and Missy are sticking around. Eddie still sends his tapes, and each week he sends a bounty hunter to try to break Laura's leg. Iron Sheet may come in one week as well. Well, that doesn't happen. Steve Kern will be back for the end of the month. Well, there you go. It appears that Jonathan Boy, Moondog Spot, excuse me, Moondog Spike, Bill Smithson are already gone as they weren't mentioned at all this week. And it's a very slight hint on TV. They may turn Billy Travis heel on Jeff Jarrett, although Dave may be reading more into the comment than he should. Well, eventually, not for now. It takes a year. Yes. Um, okay, I actually pulled up the Florida Business Division's <laughs> record. So yeah, for, uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, Inc. Um, this was filed on March 25th, so it just happened. And, you know, their mailing address, of course, is at 106 North Albany in Tampa. Uh, so your registered agents and officers are, of course, Edward Michael Gossett. Mike Graham, Jerry Jarrett, that's J-E-R-R-I-T-T, <laughs> Steve Kern, and Gordon Soley. Yeah. So there you go. But Jerry is not in the mix long. No. World-class championship wrestling. There are obviously problems around here. Financially, they've cut way back on television tapings. They've cut back the run in Fort Worth every third week. Doing nearly four hours worth of television on those cards, which still leaves them one week for showing almost nothing but rerun material. The regular world-class shows also taping every third week, which means lots of shows are featured old tape. Fort Worth had been running weekly since World War II. Yeah, the world-class TV sometimes is a mess trying to figure out what was taped when in this yeah. era, for me. <laughs> Very hard. And when when Fort Worth when it dropped, it dropped. Big time. I mean, it just, that stuff that uh, I've got from uh, where they're building to the RPMs and Fantastic Scaffold Match, and they have the scaffold set up in Fort Worth. Some of the shots you can see, there's just nobody there. That's 87, yeah. That, yeah they, were doing, they, were doing show, they were doing shows in 87 when they were drawing 100 fans. Yeah. And and Will Rogers Coliseum. A, a big building. And three one, years one earlier, they were selling it out with big ticket prices. Shit. A year or a year or two years yeah. earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, World Class is starting to, to turn the corner at this time creatively, but it's not really hitting the business yet. Nope. All right, Sportatorium, April 1st. Stephen Casey, a.k.a. Stephen Dane, ass, went to a draw with Playboy Vince Apollo. They asked Solomon Grande over Killer Tim Brooks, Missy Link and his son, Jason Sterling, over Jack Victor and John Tatum, Wild Bill Irwin over The Hood, and Carrie Von Eric and Michael Hayes over The Angel of Death and Black Bart. And The Hood at this time, of course, is uh, the recently departed Jeff Gaylord. That's right, yes. yes. Uh, may he rest in peace. Jeff Gaylord of the legendary, uh, the dream team, the super team of Jeff and Jeff. Yes. Yes, indeed. A dream team and a super team only because they were both <laughs> named Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and Jeff. All right, Michael Hayes been doing some super interviews on television. Yeah. Yep. He was. The penthouse store in Avonaris was dropped in the July issue and no rescheduling date has been announced. What ends up being the cover date for that? October. So it's delayed three months. Yeah. With Scandal at Bar dropped by Jim Crockett, Dave wouldn't be surprised to see him wind up here. 
He does. He's part of the, one of the bookers. <laughs> uh, World class is making noise on TV about making Houston their second home. They tried. They ran uh, Sam Houston Coliseum and drew 45 fans. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's not good. No. Eric Ember made an appearance for Jody Hamilton's Deep South Wrestling, but was a world-class heavyweight champion. And yes, I uploaded this match on YouTube many years ago. He defended against Dwayne Bruce, the future uh, Sergeant Bradley Parker, in a, a show at, in Jonesboro, Georgia, at a local school. Did they bring up what he did to poor uh, Peter Vandergrayling? I don't think so. Aww. I don't think the announcers, Nick Patrick and uh, Rock Hunter, weren't uh, bringing that information out. No. Well, if you tell Rock Hunter that someone's African, he probably wouldn't think of Peter Vandergrayling. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. The reason Fab the Fabulous Lance hasn't shown up yet is because he's extending his tour of South Africa where he's a hot baby face. Ironically, using the read the name of Lance Von Eric. There's some apprehension of Lance coming in because there's legit bad blood between himself and Kevin and Carrie because of all the embarrassment he caused the family by quitting the promotion. Can you imagine how bad a match with Kevin versus Lance would be even if both guys were working together? Now think of how bad it would be if there was a cooperation problem. He does not come back. And they were saying in the newsletters for months, and mainly the Observer, that he was going to come in as part of because, the whole Wild West merger. Yeah, Kim Mantel thing, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, Doesn't what they happen. really should have done was he shouldn't come back as Lance Von Eric. He should come in as Kevin Von Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Central States. This group is now working with world class as far as for importing some name talent for their big shows since world-class guys aren't getting enough work in texas anyway but the first example turned into a disaster on april 7th in kansas city mike george was defending the world title against chris adams next to the potato chris with a drop kick adams suffered a broken cheekbone broken nose and lost several teeth and we undergo an reconstructive surgery on his face from the blow no word how long adams will be out but he was just returning from missing several weeks with a broken hand which didn't heal correctly Ironically, at the time, he had to take off with his injury, which will allow doctors to re-break Adams' hand, and hopefully it will heal properly this time. George also made defense on April 8th in St. Joe against Dan Peterson. Yeah, so if you're wondering, those of you just watched ADA World Class, why Chris Adams was working with a catcher's mask on, that's why. I forgot what the storyline excuse was, though. Some Terry Taylor did. Yeah, something Terry did. Imagine how hard you have to kick somebody to do that to them. Jesus, yeah. It, well, Mike George was not a small man. No, he was. So there not. was a lot of weight in that drop kick. Too. Well, also, I mean, he's he's got a powerful build, especially like lower body. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, power, like he can get up there and he can generate some force kicking off. So, yeah, if anyone's going to do it with a drop kick, uh, Mike George makes sense. Good lord, Ooh, that sucked bad. All right, uh, we got two Kansas City shows during our uh, time here. March 31st, Curtis Hughes, which will draw with Lord Molitar. Lawler booking? <laughs> Shirley Black <laughs> over Sandy. Well, Shirley Black and Sandy Partlow went to a double disqualification. Those two women have been wrestling in that area for 20-something years. T.C. Carter and Rufus R. Jones went to a double countout with Ken Timms and Masahiro Chono. <laughs> I guess better in a minute. Mike George over Steve Ray. Bulldog Bob Brown over Joe Lightfoot. 
And then DJ Peterson retained the right foot was still working in '88. Yeah, and DJ Peterson retained the Central Heavyweight Central State Heavyweight Title, beating Stephanie Gilbert, who is working here because his dad. Uh, well, no, his dad's not booking yet. He's in Memphis. No, yeah. So he's just hey. he's just making stops here. Well, yeah, I mean he he had worked there in the past. Yeah. All right, April seventh, week later. Curtis Hughes, Steve Ray, and Vinny Valentino beat Bulldog Bob Brown, Simon Fisher, and Lord Molitor. Who's Simon Fisher? A guy that did not last long. Don't know who it was. Ken Timms over Rufus R. Jones in a street fight. Vinny Valentino over Masio Chono. And then Mike George retained WWE Heavyweight title, beating Chris Adams by disqualification. Simon Fisher. Simon Fisher. I can only imagine what happened to him if he left the wrestling business after starting in this territory. <laughs> well, some of the, the people that were the, the worst offenders aren't here at this time. So That's true. I mean, they're yeah. elsewhere. Yes. All right, AWA. The story that Dave's got from here is... If, go ahead, if that was not his real name, why would you pick Simon Fisher as a wrestling name? I think he had something to do with Lord Molotar. So, anyway... AWA, the story that Dave got from here is this group's trying to no longer be a wrestling promotion, but be instead be a booking office. Oh, yeah. This is going to work out great for TNA, too. What they want to do is showcase as many wrestlers as possible on the Las Vegas tapes, use ESPN to sell shows to local promoters, and on the days that they don't have shows, farm out as much of their talent as possible to other promotions, and they want to do this with all promotions that don't work against them. At least that's a theory. We'll see how it works out in fact. Well, they do this a lot in uh, the summer of 88. They do. They have the tours of California that they uh, have people on. They do um, the tour of North Carolina, South Carolina that they deal with. They do stuff up in the Northeast where we have handhelds from. So they do this. It just yeah. doesn't last very they, long. Um, somewhere around this time, I sent letters to all the wrestling promotions about a fundraiser just to see what, if I would get anything back. And I got letters back from Crockett, WWF and AWA and AWA wanted $10,000. They want, they wanted a guarantee of 10 grand to come in. That's insane. Right. So all these towns that Rob Russell rustled up for them are paying 10 that local promoters paying 10 grand on all these weird out-of-state spot towns well the carolina stuff was wahoo and ray stevens running mm -hmm. and they ran roanoke and and somewhere around richmond might have been richmond they ran quite and a few places ran, yeah but that that was that was uh Wahoo and Ray Stevens, but other places, I yeah, I don't know. If they were paying ten grand, hell, you know, if they were getting it, get it, yeah, you know, shit, yeah. If somebody's willing to pay you that money, take it, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that they that they've now become a uh, booking office at this time more than they were. And, and everybody itself. else was everybody else was a percentage deal. Yeah. Except them. They were the only ones that wanted guaranteed money. Yeah. All right. Um, Medusa Mancelli is doing a test year of Playboy magazine. The magazine has been wanting to do a photo spread on Pearl's personality, but several turned them down, and you'll have to guess for yourself who else was approached, but you'll probably be right. Okay. 
we are recording this segment at least on the day Medusa's book came out. Funny timing, yes. This reminded me that I had been meaning to order it when, you know, for Kindle once it came out, so I bought it just now. Uh, search for the word Playboy in the Cloud Reader version, and here we go. Because this story has always been out there in vague terms, but I don't think she had ever given any details before, right? Mm, no. Okay. So, here we go. And who was the first woman wrestler to post for Playboy magazine? Me. But then I chickened out. It's still a good story, though. Still early in my wrestling days, I was broke and in debt. Getting naked was a way out. Gathering my nerves, I went to a strip, went into a strip joint and sat in the office talking to the manager about a job. He was enthusiastic. I was not and never did dance. It occurred to me that posing an adult magazine could work, and this was still a time before porn everywhere on the internet, so the mags mattered. Bravely, I sent my press kit to Playboy, and they called me right away about wanting to meet up, or called me right away and, and wanted to meet up. They flew me to Chicago, first class all the way, for moral support the night before meeting with them. I went out for dinner with Mike Music, a bodybuilder friend, M-U-Z-I-K to be clear, a bodybuilder friend who I knew from the Windy City's gym scene. The meeting was at the Drake Hotel, and next thing I knew I was posing for Playboy. It was a different and really interesting experience, and I was treated with courtesy and respect. It never felt dirty. After the shoot, they presented me with a model release. I couldn't sign it. I had reservations about the publicity regarding the photographs and the effect it may have on my career, especially as I was about to leave for Japan. So I withdrew my permission and approval for the photographs to be used. They were surprised. I still have a couple Polaroids from the shoot. Around the same time, Penthouse asked me to pose, and I declined. And on another occasion, I was flown to Hollywood to be wooed by Hustler. After the conversation... I was never going to pose for them, but accepted the flight to L.A. <laughs> That's how you know she's a worker, brother. Uh, yeah. I went to the Hustler-related store and went to pay for a necklace, and I was told that it was taken care of. There must have been cameras watching or something, so I always proclaimed that Hustler owner Larry Flint bought me the jewelry, and I still have that necklace today. Seeing the WWE machine get behind promoting its women in Playboy years later was both inspiring, you go girls, and left me wondering how my life would have been different had I gone through with it. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, the way I think the story had always gone around was not this. It was that, I think it may have been similar, like she had posed for the photos, but went to All Japan Women before she signed the release and they, and they said she couldn't do it. Something like that, right? was how it went around. Yeah. So here she's saying, she's like, oh, wait a second. I'm about to start working in Japan. This is not how they're presenting women's wrestling in Japan. This could hurt me there. And at the time, she would have been right, probably. You know, because, you know, we're just a few years before the thing we talked about a few weeks ago. We're on Debbie Malenko's first trip there. They're telling her you can't wear a two-piece outfit and show your abs. Because then they start thinking of your boobs and your butt, and then they're not thinking of you as a wrestler. So, the way that All Japan Women was at the time? Yeah, who knows? Like, I mean, who knows how her career goes, because she probably doesn't keep the opportunity in Japan. Yeah, that changed a lot for her. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 
look, she was charismatic. She had something before she had the Japanese experience. But what really becomes her appeal after that is that she's become this good worker who does this Japanese style. You know? Well, she changed her whole thing, you know. When she comes back to WCW in 91 and stuff, you know, I mean, she's doing that whole athletic deal. You know, she's not – well, she was an AWA where people last really saw her. Unless, you know, I mean, unless, no, I'm not talking about LPWA or shit like that. If it wasn't saw an AWA when she was, you know, managing Kurt Henning and Kevin Kelly and those guys. I mean, then you see her and, whoa, wow, she's totally changed. And I mean, LPWA, she did at times like almost like a like a middle finger to sexualized women's wrestling gimmick. Yeah. Like where she would come out and wrestle in sweats or fatigues. And then yeah. one match, she might actually be wearing something more, you know, traditionally, quote unquote, sexy. Yeah. You know? So like it changes her trajectory completely if she does that. Like she could have certainly had positive, you know things come out of it in the states and you know who knows just in general with playboy if you know with that issue which ends up not being what they wanted it to because the biggest name they get is magnificent mimi and even then she doesn't show what one would expect in playboy very tame so it's not really a remembered thing so you know yeah there's a lot that could have gone differently if she had signed that release yeah. A guy named Diamond Dallas Page, or it says here <laughs> Dallas Diamond Page, is being brought in as a manager on the April 16th ESPN tapings in Las Vegas and on the Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. What, Dave? You don't remember handsome Dallas Page who worked for Jordan Cannon eight years ago? <laughs> <laughs> nope. So, yeah, there's a, a, a legend being born there. So, wait, did he work AWA first or did he work Florida first? AWA. Okay. That's it. And this, he's at this, so yeah, he didn't, doesn't even have the Dusty hookup yet. He's just a guy who sent in a tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have That's this it. guy who's 6'4", managing Pat Tanaka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibbs are supposed to be booked out of this office, which Dave guesses makes the AW their headquarters, and should in all rumors them be in WF bound. Dave hasn't heard any word on the Midnight Rockers leaving, although with the Rock and Rolls in, they've got two teams like playing basically the same position on the cards. They could turn one of them and have a decent feud. Well, the Rockers are on their way out soon. So there's that. But Rock and Rolls aren't here very long as a team. So No, because Robert does not stay. And then they end up back in Crockett, you know, not very long after that. And then they end up back in the AWA. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the place. Bob Orton didn't return. They, to... they were working a lot of independent dates too. A, a lot. lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot of places. Yep. Bob Orton Jr. didn't return to Japan and won't be coming back since he signed a three year deal with Vinoki. And he looked fantastic on that tour too. And he did stay all three years, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Snook and Manny Fernandez was to be headed here when once they finished their respective tours with Japan. And Snuka... they did. Wait, Snuka does come back here? Not yeah, it's not, it's not many me appearances, but Bull, of course, is there on a regular basis. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't remember Snooker coming back. He works a couple of shots. All right, uh, there's talk to some of the Pro Wrestling America guys. Skip Luther, Alex Luger look alike, and Larry Cameron will be headed in. Cameron is black, which Dave brings up because he always thought the AWA promoted it like it was 1947, the year before Jackie Robinson brought the color barrier in baseball, which he means 1946. 
But this shows they've advanced to at least 1949. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a story Dave Meltzer's told before. I think there's a Wrestling Classics post. I'm not going to hunt down the actual post if it's still there right now. Um, where uh, I'm trying to remember how the what the context was that it got brought up. But it was about black wrestlers in the AWA and why there were so few. And he tells this story that a quote-unquote AWA lifer told him, which, given who would be talking to Dave, narrows it down pretty significantly. Um, I can think of two obvious suspects, so it's probably one of them. Uh, Tony Atlas was brought in... I forget, was he a regular at all, or was he just doing shots? Oh, he was in 84, he was a regular, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess it's his debut... Gets a great reaction. He's over. Vern turns to the person we are assuming is either Nick Bockwinkle or Red Bastine and says, See? I told you blacks can't get over in this territory. <laughs> uh, me. Larry, also- Larry Cameron was a guy I always thought would have been a bigger star. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was starting late in life. But he had the look. Yeah. But he had the look. He could tell. He had a... Yeah. He had um, the look. For what it's worth on Cage Match, at least, they do not have any Snuka AWA stuff after the previous run ends a year earlier. Yeah. Vera Gagne is going to show in lots of free 1984 tape of several of the main guys like Hogan, Ventura, Brunzel, Tito on the show to intend to build up his TV ratings. In other words, by actually giving WF guys publicity, it seems like he's almost completely thrown in the towel as far as pushing house shows. And they're going to do just some small guarantee shows in the area and basically keep an AWA all to keep producing alive, alive to keep producing taste for ESPN. Because they were getting a rights fee. Yeah. And like in 87, 88, there are months long stretches where they are not running shows as the office. Yeah. They exist to keep the ESPN deal going. Yeah. They've got spot shows, but they're they're bought. They're bought shows. They're paying. Yeah. And, Speaking... and that was the deal, too, where uh, they would put you on TV if you just flew yourself there and showed up to the showboat. Yeah, there was that, too. Yeah, they did all kind of stuff. All right. Um, Speaking of any Sharky. Eddie Sharky, the founder of Minnesota Independent Pro Wrestling America, is no longer synonymous with the group. Jim Koch, or Coke, has taken over the group and hired Jim Mitchell, the Iron Duke, as his booker. Oh, and Christopher Love has promoted <laughs> some shows for this group in Iowa, Minnesota. <laughs> Sharky is promoting shows as well, using the Terminators at the Iron Horse Bar in Crystal, Minnesota. Okay. Um, Burt Prentice, huh? I know Chris Gullo tried to do a comprehensive Bird Prentice podcast series, but he was missing some stuff. Okay, so let's review. The Dakotas Bird is were from first. Iowa. No, I know. But the Dakotas yeah. were first, right? Yes. And that the, was when? Uh, right after this, 88, 89. Oh, okay, so that's, the fir- that's his first territory. Okay. So at this point, he's just at home with family and trying to get back in this way. Yeah. Okay. So he's helping promote towns for Eddie Sharkey, then opens his promotion in the Dakotas and closes it. Then after that is Kansas, right? Yeah. 
with the ECW in 90. Eric Fontaine is there for some reason. Um, then, okay, because what is, is Indianapolis next or, no, Big D is No, uh, Greensboro. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. So it's Greensboro, then Big D, then Indianapolis. Yes. And then Ozark Mountain. Yep. Which turns into North American All-Star, which turns into Music City, which turns into NWA Worldwide, which turns into NWA Nashville, which turns into USA Championship Wrestling. Yep. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. had a good run. Yeah. You sure did. And we go to Portland. Buddy Rose is supposedly in the building, ready to debut for Don Owen this week. However, for some reason, he wasn't allowed to. It was speculated it was the commission's decision. Didn't they just open the commission? <laughs> yeah. Like, they started within out. Within the last few weeks? Yeah, started out just being assholes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and for some reason, they, Oregon and Washington, had it in for Buddy. And I I don't know why. Who knows? But he, he had major issues with both commissions as soon as it's, they started. Yeah. I mean, he had had his run in, in uh, California, too, the decade earlier. Yeah. All right. Uh, that show in Portland, April 2nd, in Sports Arena, we had Alberto Maduro and Coco Samoa beating C.W. Bergstrom and Moondal Moretti. Our bar beat Mike Golden by disqualification. The Assassin, Dave Sierra, over Moondal Moretti. Scott Peterson over the Avalanche. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo, PN News by disqualification. And the Avalanche of Mike Golden team, that would be Art Bar and Billy Two Eagles. And then grapple over Matt Bourne in a steel cage match. Nothing against Ed Moretti, but who could have thought, looking at this, that 35 years later, he would be the most relevant person in wrestling on this show because of his grandson. Well, in some circles of wrestling. Well, who would be more, re- who on this card is more relevant right now than, uh, Moondog Moretti via Nick Wayne? Our bar. He's not relevant right now. I know, but he's more remembered. I mean, well, of course. If you ask, if you ask people, our bar, Moondog Moretti, who do you know? That's not what I'm saying. They're gonna, they're gonna know our bar. You know, that's not what I mean though. Anyway. And how many people actually know Moondal Moretti's Nick Wayne's grandfather? More than you, not as many you think. Yeah, get out of your bubble sometimes, bitch. Well, that doesn't get brought up as much as Buddy being. You got to get dad. out your bubble. <laughs> well, Buddy being his dad is brought up in like every ring intro. So. Yeah, but even then, I mean, Buddy Wayne's mainly known for his, his relationship with Brian Alvarez. Yes. Because he never really wrestled on TV here. Yeah. I'm actually surprised so. he doesn't get brought up more as Darby Allen's trainer. Yeah, but anyway. And now let's close with the World Wrestling Federation. Titan Sports released information that WrestleMania 4 is projected to gross $40 million when end up revenue from the live gate, pay-per-view, closed circuit, and projected videotape sales. Let's tell the big lie again. And the funniest part of their press release is it figures they gave were $1.5 million for the live gate. Which you throw in Donald Trump's site fee is probably accurate. What five million for closed circuit, roughly double the accurate figure. Twenty million on pay per view. They're claiming a nine point eight percent buy rate, and four million based on selling a hundred thousand videos. 
which Dave's told is completely out of the question. And those figures up, and they still don't come close to 40 million, or even using their own exaggerated numbers. <laughs> yes, several publications have printed all these figures in the $40 million figure without taking time to do the addition. But there's an important point to be made here. Titan's entire business is based on imagery. They're really 9% of the wrestling business truly is as well. Titan has to claim WrestleMania was a bigger success than last year for three reasons. One, advertisers and media ties have been predicting the end of the wrestling fad since the day the so-called fad began. Any information that would start the for the important people who are really the ones who made Titan what it is in the first place, thinking wrestling was going down, and lots of companies would drop tight like a hot potato. Two, Titan can't have any failures, and in truth, this show financial was by no means a failure. It made money. It just didn't make well as projected for reasons we've gone over, and it was a bad show in many ways. And three, if this event wasn't as successful as projected, people look for reasons. The reasons were, of course, the tournament idea wasn't as strong as projected, which shows a weakness of McMahon's genius image. And in truth, he can't be blamed for it because a lot of people were saying it was a strong idea until ticket sales were slower than expected. And Crockett's free show on TBS. If anyone came to the conclusion that Crockett's show hurt Titan, which it did to the tune of seven figures, it would make Crockett competition and Titan's official line is to not acknowledge that there is such a thing as competition for them in the wrestling business. But to the real world, WrestleMania therefore was not a failure and Crockett's show didn't even exist. And overcoming that hurdle should be Crockett's number one goal. And McMahon's privately admitting that WrestleMania wasn't the success he expected it to be, and is somewhat blaming himself for not spending enough time on the creative side. <sighs> Bix. This is how many times on this show have we done the, this type of story where W puts out some numbers that are totally wrong, and the media just runs with it with no fact checking, nothing, you know. You know, questioning anything, just running it verbatim. Hello? You mean like, oh, sorry, I was muted. You mean like grossing more than the NFL? That's one of them, yeah. Although when we were doing the Titan Gate shows and that kept coming up, we, di we did theorize that one of the versions of the figure may have been closer to legitimate, which was more that they were doing more licensing revenue than the NFL. Yeah. But... And that for like 1991, that was not completely ridiculous as far as a possibility. Um, with the home video, I'd have to check to see if it eventually went gold or anything. But it was them, like, aggressively pricing that thing by the standards of the time. You know, it was four hours of WrestleMania. Two videotapes. That's what I was, that's what I was about to say. Basically, double or more the content of their normal releases for two-thirds the price. Because it was thirty nine ninety five when everything else was fifty nine ninety five. Mm -hmm. Although I guess WrestleMania each year was usually thirty nine ninety five, but still, like you know, and they had the the pop up box and everything with the Hogan thing. So I don't know. I, 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 and I it was I, one of those video, and it, it is one of the early versions that they did use Macrovision on. So if you rented it from the video store, you had to deal with the darkness. Yeah. So that, yeah. that kind of forced people to want to buy it more because, shit, I can't dub this when I haven't it go dark every so often. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so as what was their go ahead? But what was their percentage of the sale? How much of the forty dollars are they actually getting? 
That's a good question that I do not know the answer to. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what I was going to say, so as far as pay-per-view, what Dave reported at the time was about a 6.5% buy rate compared to WWE's claim of 9.0. So if the WWE claim was what the universe was at the time, would have been 909,000 homes. With Dave's percentage, it was 656,000. Big difference. Yes. All right, and then we have the uh, other numbers here, um, like site fee and stuff with, with Trump, which Dave said that, that, that could be right. Um, and then you got the uh, closed circuit. The number of, of uh, places that were doing this closed circuit by this point in time is way less than what it had been before, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? This is the first year they really downsized big. Yes. So, ain't no way in hell they made that money that they thought about here, you know? Well, let's see. Actually, wait, we have some of these numbers because of, uh, whatchamacallit, because of the lawsuit against the Athletic Commission over the t in the tax court. So, let's see. Uh, b b b All right. Uh, okay. So, WrestleMania 4. Um, they had agreements with 615 cable operators nationwide. 22 of them were in New Jersey. Um, okay, so their gross on paper... What did they say their gross on pay-per-view was? The gross on pay-per-view was uh, $20 million. So, depending on if we... So, wait, $20 million to Titan or $20 million in buys? It said $20 million on pay-per-view. They're claiming a 9.8% buy rate. Okay, so Titan received five point nine seven million, meaning That's a big difference. Yes, give me one second to do the math. So let's see to figure it out. Ain't what, what you actual... make; it's what you save. Well, it, 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 <laughs> there's that, Bo, but there's also the perception. If they, if yeah. they're putting these, they, like they, I said, they're, put, they're putting these numbers out there and the media's <clears throat> running with it, the people was like, oh, well, that's right. what they got. That's what they did. Nobody questions it other than the boys who are now going, hey, how come we ain't being paid off of that house? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're paying us off of this house. You're claiming this house. Yeah. Okay. So this is, so that's national pay-per-view buys. If we assume they were, that Titan was getting 40% at the time, which Chris, I believe that's the number, right? It's not 50-50 like till later, I don't think. Yeah, it's, like, it's 40, 40, yeah, 40 is right around this time. Then they would have grossed 14.9, I mean, the entire pay-per-view, not what went to Titan, would have grossed 14.9 uh, million. So it's like, why even exaggerate? Still ain't 20, but yeah. <laughs> it's not 20, but it's at least in the ballpark. And, and remember, these are real numbers. These are real numbers from court. Um, what did they say for closed circuit? Closed circuit was, uh, five, five million, which they wow. said was double the accurate figure. Dave is wrong. Uh-huh. $5,535,256.40. How about that? So Dave assumed wrong. And what did he say, two? He said two and a half. They sold over 1.5 million in closed circuit tickets in New Jersey alone. Well, how about that? 
Um, inter did was there anything about international TV rights? No. No. That was eighty three thousand four hundred ninety six dollars. He had a uh, live gate, one point five million. We've done closed circuit. We've done pay review and the, the videotapes. The, yeah, Four million. Uh, yeah, videotapes not mentioned. Right, they're they're disputing the media rights tax. So I don't think the gate or the videotape come up here. Uh huh. Crockett. Let's talk about that part of it. Um, I mean, Dave's right. The fact that yeah, it made it had a big big hit on it. You know, millions of people tuned into that show, but to the national media that WWF is courting here with this press release and not wanting to mention that, that show didn't exist. And that that is a problem that Crockett had to had to deal with. And I mean, even to this day, you know, even AEW, I mean, does get out there and stuff, but still, you, I mean. It's like they exist, but they exist on a much smaller level on a national landscape than WWE does, you know? Yes. And that's the problem yeah. that any wrestling promotion is going to have. WCW had that problem, you know, for their whole existence and, and until, well, you know, those last, I mean, those years of the NWO were hot. But even then, you know, they were still being called WWF on Sports Center, you know? Even then, because it's like when you think of wrestling, you think of WWE in a national landscape. So what what kind of money for the classic champions? What was Crockett being paid? I don't TBS? think we've ever heard nothing. that, have we? I don't think they got paid nothing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they had a great TV program but it because really you, didn't draw you, you, it, did, you get, it didn't you, draw well you got to think about it crockett only had three clash of the champions or was it four uh when was Char, i mean greensboro miami, miami georgia Al albany three. albany yeah because yeah. four was Chad, the number. Chad, yeah because yeah so three they only had three because the yeah. sales in effect and that's owned by the, the, the network. Yeah. So only so, three. So actually, for TBS, then it was actually profitable because they were getting the commercials. Yeah. Uh, but for Crockett, it cost him more to produce it. And his house was way down because people said, well, just sit at home and watch it. Um. Well, the Greensboro house was strong for the first one, for sure. I My, look that up. I don't think it was more than four or 5,000 people. Oh, uh, let me see here. It was just shot very well to make you think it was. Let me see. 6,000, which in this Greensboro, Greensboro Coliseum is uh, about the third of the house. A third of the house, yeah. That's, a, that's an eighteen thousand seat building. Yeah. So, it was shot good, though. like you said. It was shot and yeah. looked full. But you're yeah. right. You're right. And were the boys paid on the house or paid as a TV? House. Yeah. She might have got a little bit extra. Yeah. Let me, check. 
Let me check the Midnight Scrapbook. Dusty might have got a little bit extra, considering who oh, he was. Okay, there is no gate listed in the immediate entry. Um, It says... It says the clash live in Greensboro drew quote a strong five to six thousand fans. <laughs> so with TBS in forty million homes at the time, the first clash did a five point eight rating, a thirteen share, and about four million viewers average across the whole show. And Flair Sting did a seven eight rating, a fifteen share, and over five million viewers for the last fifteen minutes of the match. And I think even the average for the match made it the most watched match in cable history up to that point. Yeah. But, I mean, there's no doubt that it hurt WrestleMania. It did. You know, so they they, they accomplished that. But they shot themselves in the foot also. In a way, yeah. Because then it kind of got to, well, they're going to do these big ones on TV. And then we'll wait till the bash comes. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. The houses started coming back up when they got to the Great American Bash. The thing is, too, though, is um, like you look at Greensboro. All right, let's see. At the show before it, yo, you'll like this, but February twenty seventh, eleven thousand seven hundred seventy one. Oh, two thirds of a house. That was main evented by Dusty Luger and Ole against Arn Tully and Rick in a cage. But so they, the did, they did half of that for the. Yeah. They did half of that for the clash because everybody stayed home and watched it. Then they come back. You know, next show in Greensboro's Crockett Cup that night, sixty-three hundred. That whole Crockett Cup was doomed. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's part of it, I guess. People stayed at home. You know. All right. Very little going on since there won't be any shows until the end of the month. If that's supposed to WrestleMania shows all over the place, the Debiase Randy Savage one for the title will be the headline matches everywhere through the end of May at least. Hogan's name isn't on any cards through the end of May. So there's that. All right, but how, how did how did Savage and Debiase draw in the towns? It was good, but it wasn't Hogan. Yeah. Nobody's Hogan. I mean, so I mean, let's look at the garden. All right, that's I mean, that's a barometer. All right, so um, I mean, Savage drew better as champion once he turned, didn't he? Pretty much. I right, Savage and DiBiase the Garden on on April twenty fifth drew seventeen thousand fans, and that's a, and that's the true main event of the show. I mean, demolition against Strike Forces underneath, but that's seventeen thousand claimed. You know, on that one. Then they came back. The next month, and drew sixteen thousand on May twenty seventh, and they then came back in June for the cage match and drew eighteen thousand three hundred. So that's good. I mean, really, mm-hmm. really strong for for the Garden. I uh, Philly, looking at Spectrum. I um, they don't do May, they don't do June, they start July. July nine thousand one hundred fifteen. Come back in August four thousand four hundred eighteen. That's the the weekend of SummerSlam. Cage match the next in September twenty four 
3,952. So tanked in Philly. Totally tanked. And that's, a, that's after a break. Yeah, totally tanked in Philly. All right, Boston, we'll, we'll do them for the last one. All right, so uh, let's see. They don't do May. Uh, they don't do June. All right, July 9th, 5,000 fans at the Garden. Uh, come back August the 6th, they go, go up to 8,000. But Duggan and Andre's underneath in a lumberjack match. And then in September is Hogan and DiBiase. So they don't even do the cage match in Boston. They just do two matches. So, And, and had to bring Hogan back to pop it. <laughs> yeah. So great at Masquerade Garden, but not doing great elsewhere. All right. So the crew, some of the crew has gone to Europe for some house shows. Well, we have April 1st in Lugano, Switzerland. Steve Lombardi over Brady Boone. Walter Warrior of Andre by disqualification. Duggan over Hercules. Coke over Ron Bass. Brutus over The Hammer. And Young Stallions over Demolition. Clean. Non-title, I guess. Yeah, that has to be non-title. And then Milan. In Milan, Italy at the Palatrusardi on April 2nd, which was uh, televised in Italia 1 and Tele 2. Dan Peterson on commentary had Brady Boone over Steve Lombardi. Demolition retained the tag titles, beating Young Stallions. Brutus over the Hammer, Coco by DQ, Coco over Ron Bass, Hurricane Warrior going to double count out. Ed Andre over Duggan, and matches that aired on Best of WF Volume 16. So uh, that's the one thing that was kind of cool about this era is you know you have Mania and then have two week break, but some of the crew would go on these European tours and shit. And do shows. And a lot of it was uh, underneath guys or mid of the card guys. And I always looked, figured that was like kind of a um, paid vacation for all the hard work that they did the rest of the year. Yes. You, you know, for doing the jobs on TV and working every town and, and they're not getting the WrestleMania payoff. Some of them are not. So, hey, we're going to send you to Europe and you get to see all kinds of stuff and you know vacation. Yeah. All right. Johnny V was done by WF. Was working as a manager and wrestling independent shows, mainly managing the Iron Sheik. Davis San Martino and the Sheik are headlining lots of smaller northeastern independents. No surprise that Johnny V got dumped as he and Bruno were good friends. And Johnny V had pretty well been completely phased out anyway. But it wasn't that good. So that was a part of it too. Have wasn't, you, wasn't good. Have, have you seen the clip from the Spectrum <clears throat> where Johnny is managing the spoiler? Oh, and yes. the ring announcer doesn't have a clue who anybody is. Yes. Yeah. And he just says, and his manager. And Johnny gets the mic from him and goes, You don't even know my name. It just <laughs> berates him and is like, Tell me your name. And they start the match and are working, and he's still there on the mic yelling at the announcer. For not knowing who he is. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty famous clip. <laughs> it is on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Spectrum had some weird people bring announcing. They'd have multiple on the same show. Wherever you go, three sometimes. Often for political reasons. Reasonable price. Like Frank Talent. Okay. Let's go up to our ring and out. Okay, let's get it. 
and gentlemen, this contest, one minute, one fall, 20 minute time. Oh, great. Okay. Introducing, in the corner, to yeah, my sure. left, he weighs 263 pounds. From parts unknown, let's welcome the spoiler. Okay, Johnny V clearly knows something's coming because he's standing right next to the ring announcer the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And that ring announcer I do not recognize. I don't no. either. And his opponent, he's wearing red trunks. He's from Oakland, California. He weighs Already introduces Johnny Let's also welcome George Wells. The referee for this match is Gilbert Ramon. <laughs> hey, huh, looks like a Johnny says, hey, how about me? Oh, no, he doesn't introduce <laughs> He's not going to let it sit. Even He's Wells is hey, telling him to <laughs> introduce Johnny V. <laughs> Do you know my name? What's my name? What's my name? Oh, that's you. Questioning him now. <laughs> Obviously, a ring announcer doesn't know who it is. No, 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 no. We don't walk away. Oh, my goodness. That's insane. Yes, you missed him after uh, spoiler jumps Wells. Johnny says, he didn't know my name either. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one guy that everybody should know because he's been in that territory for the better part of 15 years. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, but also, I mean, that guy was put on the spot by Johnny V and he just was, he just like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So what did Johnny know was coming? Like, did he just look over his shoulder and see the cards and see he wasn't on them? Probably. No, I, I think Johnny was just waiting to get the mic to say something to try to get heat. Mm-hmm. And then when the guy's just totally ignoring him, then he's starting to get hot. <laughs> and then when he does it, introduce him, he's like, well, enough of this. I've got to say something. Yeah. Wow. Hilarious. All right. Uh, Vincent Mann's having lobbyists try to eliminate the athletic commission in Washington. Good luck with that. <laughs> a big screen wrestling movie is being planned for with Roddy Piper. It seems to be up his ears in movie offers these days for a Christmas release. That doesn't happen. No, because body slams happened already. Mm-hmm. So no, no wrestling movie for Roddy. But uh, we do have the angle here, which is like a movie, I guess, in a way, on superstars. But Andre the Giant hacksaw Jim Duggan to get them heated up for the house shows after WrestleMania. So uh, let's go to that, shall we? Concerned. This man, Axon Duggan, is not afraid of you. I've got a laugh. 
spinning away. Doesn't want to have anything. Wait a minute. Ah, there's your one-on-one -on -one match right there. He's going to get it tonight.
Uh, that was, I mean, that's a pretty heat-heavy angle with Andre there. I mean, you ain't seen nothing yeah. like that with Andre ever, really. Hogan never got that. No. And he, he gaffed uh, Duggan with his thumbnail right across the lip. Yeah. It's interesting watching that in hindsight compared to what we had seen with Andre in the last year with Hogan. And here he is, there's Duggan just taking him down with the two-by-four and everything. and. Uh, Heating that feud up. He's my, he's trying to make new stars. Yeah, well, they got to do something. I'm trying to get them over. And I think the Andre feud is a definite big part of, you know, Duggan being as big as he would become yeah. in that company. Because now he's being yeah. portrayed as equal to Andre. You know? Bix, any thoughts? Definitely a heavier heat angle than you'd expect from WWF in this period, too. And and then you look at what I mean. They go from this to the you know the Jake feud, where uh, you know he's Andre's afraid of the snakes. So you're getting the you're getting there's a different layers of Andre in this this run this heel run here. He 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 knows the end is coming. Oh yeah, absolutely. So he loves the wrestling business, and he knows how to do business. And now it's time to to build these other guys, to make them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this week's show. So, Bo, go ahead and plug away. What's going on with you right now? Uh, mostly Little League Baseball. <laughs> so I'm coaching, Waylon's playing. Um, as this drops, we just opened up the season on April 1st, and... We've got 17 or 18 games in the next eight and a half weeks. So, and then after that, uh, I'll still be around, be involved, helping with tournament play and whatever they need me to help with. But doing some wrestling on the weekends between that. So you can check my social media out, Twitter, King of King Sport, um, Facebook, Pro Wrestler Bo James. I've got an Instagram now, King of King Sport. So you can see where I'm at. If I'm in a town near you, come see me. Um, always check out the Southern States Wrestling Network, southernstateswrestlingnetwork.pivotshare.com. We just had a big milestone in February. We had our 32nd anniversary, and we had a uh-huh. big card for that. That card is on the uh, network in full, including the East Tennessee Hall of Fame. For that night, uh, Ron Fuller was there, Don Wright, Wayne Rogers, a few other people had made an appearance that night, so it was a great night. Um, you can watch weekly episodes of Southern States Wrestling Legacy on the official SSW YouTube page, so find that. Just type in Southern States Wrestling, look for the page with the logo, click on there, please subscribe, hit the notification bell. As we started doing new episodes in, I believe, October, and we got a young bunch of kids that were shining a spotlight on. Many of them come from Tom Pritchard and Glenn Jacobs Wrestling School, and a few of them come from other places that we handpicked them from. So um, I really enjoy what we're doing. Now I enjoy producing them. I enjoy working with these kids and putting them in front of a camera, in front of an audience, and teaching them how to do TV and, and 
you know, turning them into wrestlers once they come through the school. So I'm real happy with that. Uh, books. I never plug my books enough and I've not plugged them on here in a long time. I got three books that I wrote. You can find them on Amazon. Do you want to be a wrestler kid? That was my first one. My autobiography up to that point. Second book, it takes all kinds of people, places, and events that make pro wrestling. That's just a book of short stories from 25 years in the wrestling business. The third book, Don't Miss This, The History of Pro Wrestling in the City of Kingsport from 1960 through 1969. The first chapter of that book is a 100-year history lesson on pro wrestling in East Tennessee. And you can get them on Amazon, Amazon Kindle, or kingofkingsport.com. You know, working on a new book, hope to have it out in time for the holidays. And I've been working on it for a long time and kind of got delayed with all the health issues and all the stuff over the last couple of years. But hoping to get it out around Black Friday. And it's called It Ain't What It Once Was and Neither Am I. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just kind of a follow-up of the last few years in the wrestling business and, you know, rediscovering my love of the wrestling business. Because as I've said on my podcast, you know, towards the end of 2019, I was getting to where I just hated it. I hated going to wrestling. I hated doing it. And <clears throat> then the pandemic came. The health problems came. And through my little nephew, Waylon, watching him watch today's product, I became in love with the wrestling business again. That's what's led to this whole rebirth of uh, Southern States Wrestling is being a full-time promotion, giving young kids a place to work and a place to learn and a place to be seen and spotlighted. So, And don't forget patreon.com slash kingofkingsport monthly podcast on there. Um, the one that just dropped as this comes out is uh, The Man in the Arena, My Memories of the Little Man, Jerry Jarrett. And I'm going to talk about my love of pro wrestling as a kid and my love of Memphis wrestling and how much that Jerry Jarrett's promotion guided my life. So I think that'll be interesting to listen for everybody out there. And other than that, just I'm trying to survive the summer. Oh, yeah, it's coming quick, <laughs> real quick. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So everybody go check both stuff out. Absolutely. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, show number 400. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's a Patreon-requested show. As uh, Tyler Gignac will be rejoining us. And... uh he wanted us to talk about 1993, and uh, it's a nine-day show, which has two Saturdays worth of TV as well. So uh, so we'll have two weeks worth of television and stuff to talk about. World Championship Wrestling, we'll talk about a lot of WCW everybody's stuff in this section. It's, uh, they're going through quite the thing here in this point in time. We have uh, quite a few clips on the show, a lot involving Rick Flair and Arn Anderson. So uh, news on that. Then we have uh, all stuff going. We got a Von Eric story in the New York Daily News Bix. We'll talk about it in depth. We have all kind of stuff for the Metroplex. We got the rebirth of Lawler's Army in Memphis because there's a rebirth of the first family in Memphis, but not with Jimmy Hart. So we'll have news on that. 
we have an interesting convention in Nashville to talk about. The end of Austin Idol. Oh, okay. The end of Austin Idol's USA Championship Wrestling. Uh, we have Smoky Mountain Clips to talk about. The debut of Eastern Championship Wrestling on television. We'll talk about that. We got one thing I'm not going to talk about because I want to keep that surprise. Uh, and we got stuff. We got Lucha stuff going on in all three major promotions at the time, including a major controversy in CMLL, which uh, is an effect with Booker change and all this stuff. We got some interesting stuff in AAA to talk about. We got a uh, Dream Slam 2, another all, a big All Japan women's show. That's like the theme lately of uh, Between the Sheets. So we'll have that. We got War New Japan hooking it up. All Japan running champion carnival shows. But, of course, the major story of our week is WrestleMania 9. Or not 9. Yeah, it is 9. WrestleMania 9. In Las Vegas. At Caesars Palace. Featuring the debut of Jim Ross. And Hulk Hogan. Regaining the WF Heavyweight title. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about with that. But we also have clips from the day before on Superstars in Las Vegas, where uh, some very interesting interviews took place on that show. And then, of course, we have clips of WrestleMania and uh, all kinds of other stuff on the show, including the Raw after WrestleMania, which was taped two weeks before WrestleMania. So, uh, yeah, a lot of just stuff next week on Between the Sheets as our Tyler Gignac joins us. And we have quite the Hulk Hogan stories as well, folks. You'll love this. So it uh, should be a fun show next week. Bo, thanks as always for uh, being on with us. We always love having you on. Big thank, thank you, as, you guys. Big thank you, you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Cheeks Patreon Special Edition number 78. I'm Husker Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Back to 1998 on this show, and a uh, interesting topic of conversation as uh, we're in WrestleMania season now. And this is one of the first real big WrestleMania season celebrity moments that we that we had in that in that era in the Attitude Era, Iron Mike Tyson. Yes, yes, which ends up being something that plays a big role in turning the company's fortunes around. Absolutely. So. Um, Let's get going, shall we? As we go back 25 years. Man, it's hard to believe. All right, now we got Mike Mooneyham. Excerpt from Tyson McDavious Wrestling Ref by Mike Mooneyham, the Charles to post career. Whether he will or he won't, Tyson Engel Monday Night Raw with Dennis' most controversial performer generated tons of mainstream interest. There's a major publicity crew coup for Vincent Mann and company. Tyson's spokesman, Sig Rogich, had said earlier the former heavyweight champ would not wrestle, but only referee to avoid jeopardize his relationship with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which stripped him of his boxing license in July after Tyson bit off a piece of Van Holyfield's ear in June. The WF, however, has different plans. Much for using the guest, ref- guest referee. Austin embarrassed Mike Tyson with his remarks. It was a call for him, very professional, McMahon said. Mike is now saying he wants Stone Cold Steve Austin. McMahon added he would ask the Nevada boxing officials if they would let Tyson wrestle. The WF European champ, Owen Hart, chuckles at the idea of Tyson participating in WrestleMania. He says Tyson's unpredictable and sometimes volatile nature makes him a risky proposition for such an event. You're dealing with a guy who's been a rapist, said Owen. <laughs> wow, there we go. Owen don't care. You don't know what to expect with Tyson. In a wrong one time, he might go nuts on you. If he even wrestles, you're going to have to handpick his opponent for what he might be making. People want a piece of meat to chew on. They don't want to just look at him and see him standing in the corner. They want to see him do at least what LT did. They'll spit the match out of him. You'll have to find an appropriate opponent. Shamrock would be a money fight, but I don't know how you'd unload a match like that. Owen recalled at one point that his brother Brett had arranged for another celebrity athlete, Canadian world-class sprinter Ben Johnson, to join WF, but the deal fell through. Well, he would have fit in there perfectly at the time because Ben Johnson, who's built the fastest man in the world, was kicked out of the 1980 Soul Olympics after testing positive for the steroid Stanislaw. The Jamaican-born Johnson was also stripped of his gold medal for flunking the drug test. Oh, he would have been perfect, though. There we have. Oh, and don't give a fuck at this time. No, he, he does he not. Just... <laughs> wow. He's a rapist. No, no, no. The, the phrasing, a guy who's been a rapist. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that was one that surprised me when I was putting together <laughs> these notes. I was like, here's Owen Hart just not giving a fuck. Nope. <laughs> How about Brett nope. trying to bring in Ben Johnson in 1988? Well, it, it didn't say 1988. Well, that fell through. Yeah, yeah. He had his issues in 1988. It, it would have been after that. I wonder when it would have been, though. I don't know. Because Brett's not in a position to do anything, I mean, as a player until 91. You know? No, I mean he's got his almost pushes before that. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh my! 
to hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.